That's Let's Go by Richie Valens from 1958. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. This is being broadcast live from the Rio in Las Vegas on June 28th, 2017. The time right now is 8.34 p.m. And we have a free roll coming up in six minutes. So let me quickly get to that and then we'll get to the rest of the show. I do want to inform you guys there's a good chance Calwatt will not be here tonight. He's currently in Asia, and he said he'd try to make the show. It's like 11 a.m. where he is, or 11.30 a.m., but I haven't heard from him today, so I assume he's busy over there, which is fine, of course. <laughs> I wasn't expecting he'd be able to make it from Asia, but it was admirable that uh, he was going to try. But anyway, we may get a check-in later tonight from Brandon and from others who are together right now in Las Vegas, both uh, forum posters and listeners to this show, some people getting together. Tonight, I decided not to get together with anybody and to just do this show by myself and whoever else wants to join me later on. So at 8.40 p.m., we have our free roll. Our free roll this week is going to be $60. This is donated by various users. Three different people donated to make this free roll a reality. Reno donated $30. That's the user named Reno, not the city of Reno. SMI Florida, a frequent contributor to this show, gave $25. And Kilgore Trout gave $5. So that's $60 total. It takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Starts in five minutes at 8.40 Pacific Time. But you also have 25 minutes to late register with a full stack. So you have some time to get in. Totally free. doesn't require any play chips, any real money, buy-in, nothing. It's totally free. You just have to read the rules, understand them, and know whether or not you qualify for the free money. To read the rules, go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, no dashes, no underscores, nothing. Just PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. Ignorance of the rules is not an excuse. The prizes are as follows. First place will get $30. Second place will get $15. Third place will get $9. And fourth place will get $6. That's $30, $15, 9 and 6 It is No Limit Hold'em, as always. And that starts in four minutes. So thank you to Reno SMI Florida and Kilgore Trout for donating to this free roll. I also want to announce that this show is dedicated to Kumba. Now you may say, who's Kumba? 
you may be a forum reader or poster and you probably don't recognize that name. Is it a poker player? No. Is it someone who has been on the show before? Uh, We may have heard them in the background before, but I know they've never spoken to me. Is it someone I've met in person? No. Is it the girlfriend or wife of someone that I have met or gotten to know through this site? No. So who is Kumba and why am I dedicating this show to her? Well, Kumba, for those of you that are unaware, which is probably most of you, Kumba is a dog. (laughs) Kumba is a dog, a rather elderly dog, I believe uh, 14 and a half years old. And Kumba is not my dog, but belongs to Kalwat, who almost canceled his vacation to Asia and ate a lot of money that he had already spent on non-refundable airline tickets, which, as you can imagine, are not very cheap to go to Asia, to take your entire family to Asia. But he almost did it because his dog, who he really loved, was... uh, It looked like this dog was in very bad shape. And when your 14-and-a-half-year-old dog gets diagnosed with cancer, that's uh, almost always a death sentence. So you may say, that's a great way to start this show here. You're, you're talking about a dead dog or a dog that's going to die soon. That's a downer. Well, for once on this show, it's not a downer because, amazingly, uh, Calwatt paid to have the uh, tumor removed from Kumba. And it was found that the tumor, which was expected to be cancerous, was actually benign. So, Kumba is going to live. And I don't know if any of you, I'm sure some of you have owned dogs or currently own dogs, but the one thing that sucks about owning a dog is if you get really attached to the dog, which you often do, the dog is just not going to live all that long. It's going to live a lot shorter than you do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost surely going to live fewer than 20 years, usually fewer than 15 years. So hopefully Kumba will make it uh, beyond that. But the day comes when you have to bid farewell to the dog. And it's very sad. So when you think that day has come and you've emotionally prepared yourself to deal with it, and then you find out, oh, actually, actually the dog's going to live for, for some time longer. It's, it's, not what, it's not as bad as it first appeared. Wow. So I'm happy for Calwatt. And Calwatt has done... A lot for this show. Not only has he been generous with donating money to free rolls and even donated $300 to Brandon to go get a watermelon slushie in what was one of our best episodes of this show ever, in my opinion. Uh, He has appeared here almost every week. And he does so just because he enjoys it, just because he likes being on radio. He wants to contribute to the show. He's never asked for anything back. He doesn't want anything back. So he's been a very uh, present and very reliable co-host, and I think he does a great job, too. It's not just that he's here. I think he does a great job and has really added to the show. He he started appearing very regularly starting the end of 2016, and since then, as I said, he's been almost every week, and it's uh, already the middle of 2017. So I was very happy for him when I saw that his dog 
was going to be okay and that uh, he got to go to Asia and rather than have to cancel the trip and uh, spend the final days with a dog that was uh, either going to die or have to be put down. So I'm, I, that that was great news, and I felt very good for Calwatt for that reason. So the show is dedicated to Kumba and the benign tumor that was surprisingly good news. Anyway, moving on here. By the way, the free roll started uh, a minute ago, but you can still get in. If you want to call the show tonight, the phone number is the same as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. And you can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is a phone which is located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. It forwards to me wherever I go. It's an old 70s rotary telephone. You can't text it. You can only call it. But it's another line into the show. That number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. Then there's, of course, the call-to-listen line. Now, this is a very popular feature. People love the call-to-listen line because it's a way you can listen to the show without any kind of buffering, without any kind of trouble. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need to waste data. You don't need the Internet. You don't need a computer. It's just so simple. You call a number and you listen to the show, whether it's the live show or one of the streaming reruns which take place on that phone number when the show's not live. It just picks a random show and runs it as if it's live, and when that's over, it picks another random show, and it does this over and over and over again until the show comes back live. Sometimes I even forget to turn it off, like tonight. Tonight, <laughs> someone messaged me, hey, you better turn off the reruns, because like while the reruns are going, I can't even start, I can't even start the show. It won't let me start the show until I shut off the reruns. So I forgot to shut them off tonight. They're off now, of course or else I couldn't be broadcasting. So, the call-to-listen line. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. About two weeks ago, someone approached me in the Rio hallway, a listener from Pittsburgh. I hadn't met him before. He introduced himself, and he asked me about the call-to-listen line. He really did, without any prompting on my part. He said, I love that thing. I love that thing so much. I go to sleep with it on, and they said, wait a minute, this isn't costing you money, is it? He was afraid that he was running up my phone bill <laughs> by leaving it on as he slept. As he slept, And I said, no, nope, don't worry about it. The call to listen line is unlimited in that I do not pay a penny more for it, no matter how much it's used. So leave it on all you want. Call it all you want. You're not going to busy it out for anybody. It's got uh, more incoming lines than I could ever need. And it's very easy to listen to. Very easy to use. And he said to me, what I love about it is that I don't have to worry about my connection. I don't have to worry about it buffering or falling behind. It just it just runs. I said, exactly. It's great. 712-775-8162 is that number. If you forget any of the numbers I'm giving out here, by the way, you can... Go to the radio page, the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. They're all listed there. 775-372-8355, our main number, is also our text number. You can text me before, during, or after the show, and I will respond to you. I may even read your texts on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. 
Let's see if we got any tonight. While I bring that up, you can also go in the chat room and chat with other people who are listening live. Don't go in there if you're listening in the archives. No one will be there. But you can go in and chat if you're listening live and mainly talk with other people. I don't read the chat room that often, but I'll click on it right now. I'll click on it just to see what people are saying right now. Um, Ballhawknet is saying it's three ninety nine per minute. <laughs> Can you imagine if the call to listen line cost me three ninety nine per minute? I, I would be quite poor if that happened because that tens of thousands of minutes get listened to on that every month. So that that would not be a good use of my money. I, I got a lot of good luck texts, which are sad to read now that I didn't cash. <laughs> but I thank the people who sent that to me From uh, Scott from the East Coast said, May I call in with a World Series of Poker trip report and, no, and request no interruptions You and regular cohorts are cool to ask anything But no other phone calls except Brandon Yeah, sure You can do that a bit later if you're around um, I got a lot of uh, This is too long to read. I'll have to read it later. Someone from 586 sent me a long thing that I, I'm not even... I, I can't even skim it right now and figure out what it's about, so I'll just have to read that later. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, some good luck wishes. Uh, Larry asking me Busto. That's nice. And yes, I'm Busto. If I wasn't Busto, I wouldn't be on here. I know he asked that earlier. He asked it about an hour ago. Alrighty. So, I'm going to get going with the agenda here and then we'll start the show we didn't do the show last week i meant to but i was driving on wednesday and i said i'll do it thursday i think i was driving on tuesday but then i i got back too late and i said well i don't want to use the first day back to i want to spend it with my family i haven't seen it sometime so then i said i'll you know i'll do it uh, thursday but then something else came up thursday and then it Something else came up Friday. Well, I know what came up Friday. What did the Dodgers game with Ben? Then I said, I'll do it on the weekend. And then I said, well, but, you know, I'm going to be doing the show on Wednesday this week. So, you know, it'll be too close. And I, I finally just said, screw it. I'm just going to wait and skip a week. I didn't plan to, but I'm going to skip a week. I'll just do it on Wednesday the 28th. So here we are. Anyway, we have two weeks of World Series of Poker stories to talk about. And, and the good thing is there weren't that many stories. There were some involving me. There were some involving Poker Fraud Alert members that really only you'll care about if you care about me and Poker Fraud Alert members. The outside people uh, following poker wouldn't give a crap about this stuff. But, uh, you know, it's a show on my site. I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk about things that interest me. But I think you, you guys will find this stuff interesting, too. And uh, then some general stories. The playing card controversy continues. Uh, Phil Helmuth. I didn't have any further run-ins with him. I haven't even seen him since our incident, but he's had incidents with other people. He's been more obnoxious than ever in 2017, including to Terrence Chan. And speaking of Terrence Chan, he asked on the 2 plus 2, or he was asked by someone, I think a listener to this show, by email, which they read on the 2 plus 2 PokerCast, whether he thought he could beat me heads up and limit hold him. So we'll find out his answer, and I'll give you my answer. If Terrence Chan could beat me in Heads Up Limit Hold'em. I'm also going to talk about the rise in popularity of the Omaha variants, such as PLO8 and Big O. You know, regular PLO has been popular for quite some time, and even O8 has 
been popular. That's also increased in recent years. But I'm going to talk about the rise in popularity of Omaha. And I'm going to give you a, an update. I reviewed the King's Lounge before, very glowingly. I, I don't think such good things about it anymore. There's even a side story tonight about the King's Lounge, sort of, which I'll get to shortly. But I think the biggest story from the World Series this week for me... I guess this week's show didn't happen this week. It actually happened about a week and a half ago. I had Howard Lederer at my $10,000 buy-in limit hold'em event table. Not He wasn't at my starting table, but he got moved to my table. And I promised you guys, I promised that if Howard or Chris got moved to my table, I was going to say something. And when he got moved, I wasn't in the mood to really say something. I had lost several hands in a row. I kind of seemed to be headed. I mean, I wasn't close to busting, but it just kind of seemed like it was headed that way. I I just wasn't in the mood to start up with someone at that point. But I said, I've got to keep my commitment to the radio listeners. I'm not even kidding. I thought that. I've got to keep my commitment to the radio listeners. I've got to do this. I said I'm going to confront Howard or Chris if they end up at my table. Howard's here. I'm going to confront him. So I did. I confronted him, and we went back and forth. And we had a very long exchange at the table. A very long exchange. And you might be surprised about how it went. So I'll tell you all about my exchange with Howard Lederer and where that might go in the future. So other stories not having to do with the World Series. I'm going to try to make some prank calls to Indian scammers. You know... Sometimes someone comes up with an idea and they do something and they distribute it in some way and it becomes a big sensation. I'm sure you guys remember the Jerky Boys. At least the older people here do. The prank callers, the Jerky Boys who recorded prank calls and uh, distributed tapes of the calls and then they became really big and they even had a movie about them. They made many millions from this. Um, Someone was making... Very funny recorded prank calls, some even better than the ones we've ever done on this show, before the Jerky Boys, and that was me, but I and I, I just never thought of distributing them. I, I could have been the Jerky Boys, I'm not even kidding. But anyway, I also thought about the Indian scammers, you know, the ones that call up and say, hello, we're calling from the IRS and you owe money, you, need, you must be paying immediately or we're going to be sending the police down to, to pick you up. You know, those calls are other Indian scams. The scams from India where they claim to be some scary entity in the U.S. or they claim to be from Microsoft and your computer's about to crash from a virus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's usually a number to call them back. And I've threatened them before and actually have carried out this threat before to hammer them with just a massive number of phone calls at once, basically clogging up all their phone lines and making it to where they they can't take anybody else's call. And the the purpose in doing that is is twofold. One is just to piss them off and laugh at them. And two is to prevent calls from scam victims from getting through. So you're you're actually both having fun and doing a good deed. And I've threatened to do that before, and in some cases I have done it before. Sometimes I've threatened and not done it. Sometimes I've threatened and have done it. Okay? So, So I've done this. I've done this going back years. And uh, guess what? A current viral sensation is someone who did exactly that. Has been bombing internet scammers with his computer with phone calls and screwing with them that way. 
Up till now, I'd never heard of that before, except me doing it. <laughs> so we, we're not going to do that tonight, but we might uh, prank call an Indian scammer, or more than one, if these go well. I, I have some numbers that may or may not work. The owner of the King's Casino, the one associated with the King's Lounge at the World Series of Poker, Leon Sukernik. I think that's how you say his name. He is accused of refusing to pay a $2 million loan dur- that he was given during an Aria game he was in. And now there is a lawsuit against him. We'll talk about that. Vanessa Russo. Remember we've talked about her. We debunked her whole thing about being targeted by hackers and swatters and yeah, all this BS when we determined it was probably just a lover's quarrel with her uh, lesbian fiancé. That was our conclusion. We don't have proof, but that's what it looked like. She took a break from social media. But she has returned. I'll give you a little update on that. Poker legend Lyle Berman, he's 75 years old. He is going to own a minority stake in the Stratosphere Hotel in Las Vegas. I'll talk a bit about the history of the Stratosphere and about this purchase. Daily Fantasy Sports, Giants, DraftKings, and FanDuel are trying to merge and become one super company, which will have about 90% of the Daily Fantasy Sports market, which is insane. The Federal Trade Commission is trying to oppose that. So I'll tell you about that. We have a listener of this show. I'm not going to name him unless he wants to name himself. Who ran into a situation at the Rio where they did not honor a promotion that they emailed him. Same day, too. He got the email and like two minutes later he tried to redeem the promotion. And they wouldn't allow him to redeem it. And they tried to shake him down for money. It's pretty bad. So I'm going to give you the Jew tip of the day on what to do when a hotel goes back on promotions or promises. How do you handle it? How do you force them to keep to what was promised to you? And if you can't force them, which in all cases you you, you can't, sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't, uh, what's the next best thing you can do? So I'll tell you all about what you should do in that situation. I have an editorial. I don't usually do editorials, but tonight I'm going to do an editorial. It's going to be about politics, too. I haven't talked much about politics here recently. It's about the Republican health care bill. I've taken a great interest in health care reform, and the reason is because it affects me. Right now, basically, my health care is crap. I have an individual plan, an Obamacare plan. I'm not subsidized in any way, but my plan is expensive and it sucks. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I've been very interested in health care reform. The Republicans have come up with their health care bill. And the Democrats are saying that this health care bill is going to kill tens of thousands of Americans. And the only reason it's being done is to lower taxes for the rich. Isn't, Isn't that awful that those evil Republicans are saving money for the rich? And then killing Americans in the process? Horrible. Well, as you might imagine, I don't believe that to be true. But I will tell you how I feel about this health care bill, how I feel about the Democrats' accusations against the Republicans, and also whether I think either party has it right. 
or if I don't like the approach of either party. And finally, I'm keeping this till last, so those of you who don't follow baseball or like baseball can tune out. The Dodgers are 52-27 and 27 this year, which is an excellent record in baseball. They've won about two-thirds of their games. In basketball, you know, you, you win two-thirds of your games, you're, uh, you're a good but not great team. In baseball, if you do that, that's, that's pretty impressive. And most of those wins, you know, they've been a lot better recently. So they've, recently they've won a lot more than two-thirds of their games. So is this the year? Is this the time that I will finally get to see the Dodgers win the World Series during my adulthood? They've won in my lifetime a few times. But they have not won while I've been an adult. So, will I finally see that happen? And will I go to a World Series game if they get there? They haven't even been to the World Series since I was an adult. So I'll talk a bit about the Dodgers and whether this is really going to be their their year. So that's our agenda tonight. Going to run through everything, and when we're done, we're done. No time limit. I have no events to play tomorrow. I, I really don't have much to do tomorrow. So uh, I can do what I want here tonight. So if you call in and I don't answer, uh, in fact, I haven't even opened Skype yet, probably because I, I, I think subconsciously I didn't open Skype because it's been so awful for me the last few weeks that subconsciously I just wanted to avoid it. It's one of those things you just don't do because subconsciously you don't want to do it. But I'm just opening it now. I need Skype on to receive phone calls in this show. So it's up now. If you call me during a segment that I don't want to interrupt, I'm just not going to answer. If you try to hammer me with like 100 straight phone calls, I'm just I'm just going to block your number, so don't do that. And if I see calls coming in that I don't take, I'll tell you guys, you know, wait till the segment's over and then I'll, I'll take them in between segments. I'll, I'll find time for phone calls. And we're also going to, I'll message uh, Scott when it's time to hear from him because I would like to hear about his experiences at the World Series. So, I'll just go right into this by talking about my World Series so far. And a quick two-word summary of my World Series so far. It sucked. It really did. So far, this is uh, the worst and most frustrating start to the World Series I've had. I've had frustrating events in the past, in other years. But as far as the overall picture of the World Series, it's been the worst and the most frustrating. The only thing that compares to it was 2010, where I bricked every preliminary event I played, and also missed two weeks, being very sick, with the worst cold of my life which still to this date is the worst cold of my life. The one I had in April of this year was close. <laughs> but anyway, I, that was the only thing that compared, but then I finished 88th in the main event, so that made the whole World Series look a lot better to me. Now, I don't think back to 2010 and go, oh, man, that year sucked. I think, oh, that's the year I got 88th in the main event. So maybe something like that is still to come for me. But I only have three things left to play. I have the main event, and before that I have two no-limit events with big fields. The moderately big field, 1,500 no limit on Friday, and the probably huge field, uh, $888 buy-in event, also no limit over the weekend. That's it. So, 
then I play the main, and that's it. So if I brick those three, then I go. I bat zero at this World Series, which has never happened. I've I've never had a World Series. I've played 2005 through the present. I've never had a World Series until now that I've not cashed in anything. So I have three more chances, but th- that'll be it. Someone on the forum said, hey, look, it's got to happen at some point. You, you don't play that many events. You play like eight or nine every year. Uh, since only 15% cash, uh, you, you're going to have a year you're just unlucky and don't finish the top 15% in any of those eight or nine events, and then that's that. That's going to happen. And you're right. It will happen. I just <laughs> wish it wasn't this year. But the, the really frustrating thing for me is not that I haven't cashed. It's that I've had several chances to cash. I've had several times where it looked like I was either going to cash or had a good shot at cashing. And I've really only had once, or I guess you could say twice, if I, if you count the stupid giant event, which I don't, if that stupid $365 buy-in that kind of plays just like a nightly event. So it doesn't even have like the format of a World Series event. You don't even use the same chips as the world, regular World Series events. So uh, ignoring the giant, every event I've played so far, except for one, I've run deep. Deep meaning I, I got to the point where it was realistic that I would cash. Not not necessarily, uh, n- I wasn't necessarily a favorite to cash, but I was to the point where I didn't need extreme luck to cash. I needed just a little bit of luck to cash. Where I just needed things to remain okay so I cash. So I set the tone, the 1500, which I talked about two weeks ago, where I, 1500 limit hold in my first event of the year, where I was the stone bubble boy. Stone bubble boy. They paid 94, or 93, I finished 94th. Uh, the next I played the mixed Omaha, I didn't do well in that one, I never got close. I played a, I played the 1500 No Limit, and with about, uh, say about two-thirds of the field gone, I had average chips. <laughs> so, when 85% of the people cash... Sorry, 15% of the people cash, and there's like 33% left, and you have average chips. You know, you're not a lock to cash by any means, but it's looking pretty good. Didn't even come close because I lost all my chips in five hands. Mostly to Brandon Cantu. Then I played a satellite to the Limit Hold'em, which, of course, doesn't have a bracelet, but you do get $10,100 if you... uh, you know, or one of the people cashing in that satellite, they only paid eight spots because it only got like uh, 79 entries, I think. I finished 18th. So not super close, but not that far. <laughs> you know, they paid eight, I got 18th out of 79. Again, fairly deep. And then when it got to the end, I, I, I couldn't get there. By the way, all in, I busted on the turn. All in, I was ahead on the flop and busted on the turn. Um... Then I had the 10K limit hold'em itself. Just like last year, I was the chip leader in the event with about 160-something K, like 164K in chips. You started with 50. In midday one, I got to 164. Was the slight chip leader, according to the chips listed on Poker News and from my observation of the tables around me. If I wasn't the chip leader, I was very close, but I think I was the chip leader by a small amount. And then just like last year... That was the highest I got. And I last year I went out super fast after that. I lost just every hand in an hour and a quarter I was gone. This time it was it was a slow decline. Right? I just lost every hand slowly over time. 
with a few wins in between, and, and I made day two. And again, <laughs> went out on the turn from, from a bad turn card, all in. So then I, 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 after that, I left town for about five days, came back, played the 3K Limit Hold'em, the final Limit Hold'em event. Once again, took a mid-day one chip lead. Once again, made day two. Again, with chips below average. Again, did horribly on day two and was out fairly fast. I was out 58th. They paid 39. So again, not that far. I wasn't the bubble boy, but not that far. So three times I ran deep. Three times I came close to cashing. Two of the three times I was the chip leader or very close to it. So that's very frustrating. One time I was the bubble boy. And even throwing the only uh, No Limit Hold'em event I've played so far, I had average chips with about a third of the field left. Didn't cash that either. Now, you're not going to cash every time you're making a day two. And by the way, when you make day two in a Limit Hold'em event, usually like 70-75% of the field is gone already. So you're not that far from the money. It's not like making day two and 60% is left. So with all these spots where, where I'm not that far from the cash and, and sitting in a decent spot, num- number one, you'd expect you know probably at least two caches out of that, maybe three. And, and number two, maybe some deep runs. Maybe you know I, I run it up and, and get a final table or get close to a final. No, nothing. Just, just uh, a complete goose egg so far. So that's actually worse than just losing every time. The only way it's a little better than losing every time, when I say losing, I mean like just getting smacked out right away where you don't have a shot. The only way it's a little better to run deep but not cash is that at least you have the confidence, okay, I can win pots, okay, I, I remember winning at some point. So when you go to your next event, you don't, just, you don't just feel like hopeless, like you just can't win ever. But as far as the overall frustration factor, it, it's higher when it's like this because you get, a hope up, you get your hopes up and then, and then they crash and burn. And this this is why I don't play tournaments other than the World Series. For those of you that, that play tournaments for a living, I admire you if you can do it successfully. Like like Ari, Bodog Ari, who I, I see I think he's even listening to the show right now. Uh if you can play tournaments as, as, as constantly, and that's what you do for a living, and not go crazy, that's great. Because I can't. This would drive me absolutely nuts if I had to do this all year. Because what you're really looking for, see, in the World Series, you know, I, I've got eight or nine shots to play, and if I don't cash at all, it's frustrating. Now, if you're playing tournament after tournament after tournament, you're not really paying attention to where you cash. You're, you're paying attention to where you're hitting your big scores. Because you're playing a lot. You're playing a large volume, and the only way you win is if you get big scores, you know, final tables with uh, top few spots. That's what you're really looking for. So cashing in those doesn't really matter much. But I'll tell you, it, it can be a long time in between those especially. Forget just cashing. It can be a long time in between running really deep and finishing with a big score. And I know Ari had a big one recently. And, and then he, you know, he had, he's had a number of good ones. But he had a really big one over a million. So that's got to feel great when 
you're playing so many, and you wonder, you know, am I ever going to have one like that? So anyway, good for him, but I, I couldn't do it. I, I needed the consistency of playing cash games where basically more than half the time I'm playing, I'm winning. So yeah, there were, there were big depressing losses there sometimes, but at least uh, at least I, I would win more than I'd lose. At least I would, uh, if I finish ahead for the session, I've won. you know, And that's not a rare thing. So that's been very frustrating. So I want to talk about what happened at the 10K Limit Hold'em event with Howard Lederer. So, so this is what happened. I, I didn't start out very well at the 10K Limit Hold'em. I, my hot run came a little bit later. So you start with 50K, and, and I was down to like 39K, which yeah, by no means is dire straits at that point, but it, it's already a bad sign. I, was already, I had already lost more than most people in the tournament at that point. Even the people who weren't doing well, most of them were not as low as like 39k. So I felt out oh, great. You know, of all the people in this event, I'm probably one of the bottom few right now in chips, which is a crappy feeling. So I'm sitting there, kind of just trying to take my mind off of it. And a new person gets moved into a seat. I think it was the nine seat. And I look up in a towered letterer. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I, I said to you guys two weeks ago that the 10K limit hold'em event, there's a good chance it'll be at my table because they only get 120-something players typically. And so there's not that many tables. And there's Howard and Chris, and they move people around. So it's not even far-fetched at all that one of them will end up at my table. Didn't happen last year, but it could easily happen this year. So, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what should I do. Because I promised everybody I'd say something. Part of me wanted to say something, but part of me did not want to say something. Because I wasn't in the mood. I wasn't in the mood. I, I was thinking, okay, you know, I bubbled the 1500. I, I just totally bricked the, the, the Omaha. And the 1500 no limit, you know, that one I had a decent shot and my chips were gone in five hands. And here I am off to a bad start on this one. And I was just sitting there kind of like a little bit depressed. And I said, do I feel like doing this now? Like just starting up with Howard and it's just going to eat more of my energy and distract me even more. Like, But I said, no, I promised. I promised the radio listeners I would. It, it even crossed my mind to just not tell people he's at the table. <laughs> you know, it crossed my mind, hey, this is a 10K event. This is more important to do well in this event than to uh, make a good radio bit. So maybe I just won't tell anyone he's there. Maybe I just won't even mention it. And this way, nobody's going to give me a hard time about not confronting it. That even went through my mind, too. But I said, no, no, I, I can't do it. I can't lie to the listeners. I can't pretend that Howard wasn't there. And it'll bother me afterwards that I didn't say anything. After all this talk, oh, I'm going to say something if I see Howard or Chris, and I don't say anything. And, and no one really said anything to Howard. Like, they knew who he was, but no one really said anything to him. So, then I had to think, okay, what am I going to say? I decided I'm going to say something, but what am I going to say? How, how do I open 
What's my opening line? You know, like when you meet a girl somewhere and you're, you you have an opening line, so she keeps talking to you. You, you got to come up with a good opening line, so you don't seem creepy or weird, but yet you seem interesting and something where she'll want to keep talking to you. It was similar here, except it was the opening line to Howard Letterer. So I decided upon an opening line, something like this. Hey, Howard. So whatever happened to all the full tilt money that you guys stole? <laughs> now, I, I know kind of uh, part of that answer. Uh, that money really it went partially to over-distributions, you know, distributions to people who owned full tilt when they actually weren't profitable anymore, when they were pretending they were. And, and, and some of it was used up to cover the phantom deposits. That is, people would deposit. They had no way to take the money from people's bank accounts. They just pretended they did. And then they would just cover it with their existing money they were holding. So that's where a lot of it went. Though the truth is that Chris Ferguson still has a ton of money that he made from uh, from Full Tilt. Howard Lederer, I believe he still has a ton of money that he made from Full Tilt. These these people didn't give large sums of money back. They gave a little money back. not, Not very much. So... They gave up full tilt to the government, which was then sold to poker stars, and the proceeds from that sale went towards paying people back. But that's not the same thing. When owners of full tilt, especially the ones who were involved in the decision-making process to steal the money, got to keep all these profits, or most of these profits that came from the site, instead of using that immediately to pay everyone back, that was a big problem. So, that was a legitimate opening question. So, as you might imagine, Howard didn't take to it very well. And I bet you might be able to guess what his response was. If you think about Howard Lederer's response during, or a lot of his responses during his uh, infamous Poker News interview, you might be able to guess what uh, what he had to say about that. Oh, that's not it. Well, yeah, I'm trying to play a YouTube video. Look at this. Look at this. Were there people that, that did not seem as concerned with ensuring that the players got paid? I kind of didn't care about poker community. The only thing that mattered at that moment, the CFO, CEO, Chris and me. That's it. Yeah, 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 I have the money. It was never your money. That's actually a a seriously serious little uh, mix he put together. That's not what I meant to play. (laughs) That is kind of funny. But that's not what he said. I should have had this ready. I just kind of thought of this right now as we were saying it. Here we are. This is what he said. I don't have all the facts. I, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I'm just speculating now, so I just don't, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. So he said, I don't know. Yeah, he actually said that. And then I said, oh, I, I know that answer from you. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with that one. You said it all the time in the Poker News interview. So I was making, like, sarcastic comments like that back to him and I said, you know, I'm really surprised that you show your face here after everything that happened. You know, people entrusted the board of Full Tilt to keep their money safe and there were people out of action for years because their money got stolen by Full Tilt and you were one of the people in charge. I'm really surprised you're showing up here after that. 
So for a while, he was trying to say that this wasn't his fault. It's regrettable this happened, but this wasn't his fault. That uh, he wasn't aware as it was going on. And I said, well, how's that possible? You were, you were on the board. He said, I wasn't on the board. I said, you weren't? That's the first I've heard of it. He said, oh, no, I wasn't on the board. I said, well, I heard that you were on the board along with Rafe first, Chris Ferguson, and then the one in charge of the whole thing, uh, Ray Batar. And, and I believe Ray Batar was the most guilty of everything here, but the, the other three of you were on the board, and if you didn't know, you should have known, but I think you all knew. So he said, I wasn't on the board, he kept saying. I said, you were never on the board? He said, I didn't say never, but after 2008, I wasn't on the board. But then it started to sound like that this was just uh, a technicality, that he was, but he was on the board of something else that wasn't technically full tilt, but was pretty much full tilt. He didn't say that, but that's what I was gathering from what he was trying to say back. So I, I started calling him out on that. I'm like, look, I don't care if you were on the board of Full Tilt or Pocket Kings Limited or one of these other shell companies meant to hide ownership. The bottom line is you were in control there. He said, no, I wasn't. I said, well, how come we haven't heard that? How come we haven't heard in, in everything you've said, at least from what I've seen, the Poker News interview and other, other statements you've made, how come we've never heard yet that in 2008, you bid farewell. You, you said goodbye. You're not involved anymore. He said, well, I didn't say I wasn't involved anymore. I said, well, okay, how, you in, how were you involved? He, he wouldn't really answer that. So I said, well, this is what I mean. This is what I mean here, that obviously you had heavy involvement there. Whether you want to say you were on the board or not, it seemed like you were on the board. You know, it's, To me, it very much seems like you're on the board. And... To me and to everybody else, it strongly appears that you were one of the people responsible for stealing the money. And, and I believe the theft of the money was done with the intent of saving the company, but that's not an excuse. You can't steal player money because that's the only way you feel you can uh, allow the company to, to continue thriving. It's not your money. You, you can't take other people's money. To save the company. So I, so I said all these things. And the rest of the players said nothing. It was so funny. They're just, <laughs> they're just like sitting here watching me and Howard go at it back and forth. And no one's saying a word. No one's telling us to stop. No one's taking any side. At least not outwardly. They all just sat and watched. It was like a show for the Limit Hold'em table there. At this 10K event. So it was pretty hostile. I, I was mainly getting denials and claims of not being responsible for it. So up to that point, other than the fact that he was going on back and forth with me longer than I expected, because I either expected either no answer or a quick answer and then shut me down, just not answer me anymore. So I was surprised that he was willing to go back and forth for a while, even though it was hostile. But things started to change when I said this. I said, you know what, Howard? I'll tell you this. I believe that you honestly care. Oh, I can't believe this. We have a our co-host here from all the way from uh, all the way from Asia. We're, we're trying to connect him from Asia. <laughs> Cal watch trying to come on through Skype, and I. All right, I 
Let me try to call him. I tried to accept the call on Skype, and uh, it didn't connect. It was trying to connect. It didn't connect. I'm going to blame it on his side, because he's coming all the way from Asia. It's probably on my side, but I'm going to blame it on him. But while we're trying to connect him, I'm going to continue with this. If we get him on, then uh, we'll talk a bit with him. But I said to Howard, I know you care about your rep. I know you care. Russ Hamilton, for example. Russ Hamilton was... uh, A lot of people thought he was a scumbag. Russ Hamilton didn't try to bring himself back into the poker community. Russ Hamilton didn't try to convince everyone he was a great guy. Russ Hamilton knew that everyone kind of thought he was sort of shady anyway. Not, Not quite what they think of him now. But he knew he didn't have the best reputation coming into this whole thing. And it seemed like he didn't care that much. I said, it seems like you care. It seems like it really bothers you. Legitimately bothers you that people now see you as someone who stole so much from the poker community. So, I I said to him, if you really have something that you can show everybody to prove that you were out of the loop after 2008 as far as the financials, that you really had no idea and no control over this money that was being stolen, then you need to prove it. You need to show people something they will believe. Because otherwise, people are just not going to accept it. And he said, well, I've wanted to do that, but there's so many people that have made up their mind already about me that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what I show, they're going to find a reason not to believe me. So... I decided not to bother. I said, well, (laughs) you know what? If you show something convincing, yes, you'll have a certain percentage of people that are so pissed about the full tilt thing, even all these years later, that they're never going to forgive you. But there's a certain other group of people that's larger that if they're shown something convincing that you personally were not at fault, then they will probably take that into account and they will probably think a lot differently of you in a positive way. I said, I know I would if I saw something convincing that you had no responsibility in this. But so far you haven't given it, and so far the answers you're giving me are are not very specific and not very helpful and not convincing at all. So that actually seemed to resonate with him. Now, it may have resonated with him because he may have said, hmm, well, there's somebody here who maybe I can uh, talk into thinking I wasn't that bad of a guy. Maybe he can put the word out that Howard's an okay guy. Maybe I better be uh, more cooperative now. That may have been what was on his mind. But I've always said that people always have the forum here to defend themselves and give their side, even if I don't like them and even if I don't like what they've done. Like... uh I've said if Russ Hamilton wanted to come on this show, he could. So, I was not going to deny Howard Letterer's ability to explain himself to me. And uh, what he basically told me was that uh, he did not have visibility into the finances of Full Tilt, and really no one did. They really, they just left it up to Ray. That by the time the stealing happened, and I'm not saying I necessarily believe all this, this is what he said to me. 
that by the time the stealing happened, that everyone had pretty much uh, insulated themselves from possible uh, prosecution by the government, by basically uh, divorcing themselves from most of it to where they had very little control of day-to-day operations, and that they were pretty much working in a consulting fashion. And that's what allowed this to occur, that they, they put too much trust in Ray Bittar, who then abused that trust, that trust and stole the money, and they didn't know until it was too late. And that the reason there was no oversight, the reason that no one saw this is because no one wanted to see it. Nobody wanted to have access to the financials. Nobody wanted to have control over the financials because they were all scared. So the only person who wasn't scared to do it was Ray, and then he abused it. That, that was basically the story. So I said, mm, well, that, that's a pretty big story. <laughs> that, that's something you're going to need to prove. So then, then he kept saying there's no way to prove it. And that was irritating me. Because, of course, there is. You may not be able to come up with 100% conclusive proof, but you can present evidence. I said, here, let me give you an example. Let's say you really did leave in 2008 from any kind of real control over, over full tilt. Even if you still had a position there, even if you still had influence, if you really lost the control that one would have from being on the board of full tilt, there should be some emails that you sent in 2008, that would be indicating this. So you've got to show things like that. You've got to show things that, like a paper trail showing that you really didn't have control after that point. And show the whole trail of you giving up uh, control about emails between you and the, and the full tilt after that that would indicate that you really don't have that much power anymore. And this stuff will show itself over time. Since he was still involved to some degree, by his own admission, even emails after 2008, it should be clear that from reading them, from reading the back and forth that he had with with, uh, the staff at Full Tilt, that that he's no longer the guy in charge. So I say, this is what you've got to show people. You've got to go through everything and show people proof. So he said, well... Here's something for you. If I was really in control like you say I was, how come when we gave up full tilt to the government that we had 23 different companies that had to sign paperwork in order to transfer over full tilt? I guess full tilt was split into 23 different companies. He said, of those 23 companies, the only, only one of the 23 had my signature, he said. So 22 of the 23 did not have his signature on it. And he was trying to imply that meant 22 23rds of full tilt was something he had no control of. Well, that's not necessarily true for many reasons. First of all, these 23 companies didn't necessarily have equal power or equal value. Uh, Second, you can officially have your name on something and not really have control over it. Or you could officially not have your name on something and have a lot of control over it. There's a lot of shady companies out there that are existing in a, an illegal or quasi-legal fashion where some puppet is put forth as the owner or CEO. 
simply because the puppet is either willing to take the risk or the puppet is not reachable by the government, maybe in a different country or whatever. So there's a lot of organizations like that that put forth a CEO who really is not the one in charge and ones where the people are in charge are not officially listed on paper as in charge. So I said that's not convincing to me. If that's your big reveal, if that's the thing you could show everyone, that's not going to convince anybody. It won't convince me. I said, however, if you have other things you can show me that are more convincing, I'm willing to take a look. I'm even willing to take a look with the agreement that I won't reveal what I see or specifically what I see if that's the condition for looking. But so far from what you've told me, I'm still not convinced. And by this point, we were talking civilly. At this point, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to needle anymore. I wasn't trying to ask baited questions like, who's, you know, where's all the money you stole? Like, I, I, it wasn't stuff like that anymore. At that point, it was a calm, kind of low tone of voice, just conversation. And it, it wasn't hostile at all by this point. But at the same time, I wasn't acting like I was buying everything he was telling me. I was basically saying, you've got a way to prove that you weren't responsible? Show it. I'd like to see it. If that's really the case, then you should put it out there. You should let everyone know. So uh, you might wonder, how could I play poker at a 10K event with all this going on? Wasn't this a terrible distraction? Wasn't I uh, risking my money and my backers' money? I sold over 40% of it to listeners of Poker Fraud Alert Radio and readers of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. Wasn't I being cavalier with that 10K, putting all this energy into debating with Howard about full tilt? Well, I told you I started with 39K. When all this was going on. By the time this little debate was over, I had... 0.0. That's actually not true. By the time this little debate was over, I had 138K. (laughs) So... This really, the run-up started as soon as I started with Howard. I, also, I felt like it was like karma, like I was being rewarded <laughs> with good cards for, uh, for saying something that I was supposed to say. So like, like right at the beginning, I look down and I'm Del Pocket Jacks. I go, hang on, let me play this hand. I play it, I win. We continue talking, two hands later, pocket eights. I play it, I win. A few hands later, you know, I, I have another hand, I have another hand. I, I, like, I'm having to stop every few, like, every two or three minutes, it seems, to, to keep playing hands. Now, I didn't want to talk during the hands. I, needed, I knew every hand that I, I played I had to concentrate on. And when he was in hands, I, I gave the respect to not talk during the hands. Like, he'd start playing a hand, I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll wait till you're done with the hand. So... Yeah, I was like winning every hand. In fact, I was winning and I was even having a hard time counting what I had, which I usually do, not just for the 
updates that I give on Twitter, but also just for my own knowledge of where I stand. But I, I was even having a hard time counting it. I was accumulating them so fast, and in between accumulating them, I was talking to Howard. And what was also interesting is when I'm playing these events, I'm usually like like focused on how I'm doing at the moment. Even if I'm doing something in the background between hands, like reading the internet or whatever, or uh, like even then, I'm still thinking, okay, I have this much now. Like uh, uh, th- this is what I hope I'll have by by the uh, you know by the time we get to the end of the level, uh, or or I think I'm in bad shape right now, or I'm in good shape now, but I've got to keep like I, I'm always thinking about this and kind of stressing a little bit about where I am in the tournament, even if I'm doing well. But here, because I was focused on talking to Howard in between hands, I knew I was starting to do well, but I wasn't even thinking much about it. I was like, eh, I want another hand. Okay, so anyway, let's keep talking, Howard. <laughs> so, so I'm just running up here, and I'm not even like thinking much about the fact that I'm running up. So then it, 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 a break came, and he actually came right up to me. And he gave me his phone number. And said that I can call him and uh, he can show me some things. So I haven't done it yet. But I am interested in doing this. Now, I don't want to be used as a mouthpiece to put out the message that he wants to poker. Because what I said is true. He really does want his rep repaired. And he's, he's kind of resigning himself to the fact that it won't happen. Now he just wants to show up, play poker at the World Series, and then uh, quietly slink away. He's given up with the rep repair. He's tried a few times. He tried with Poker News. He tried with Negranu putting out a statement for him. That was kind of surprising, too, because Negranu never liked him. Because Negranu had problems with his sister, Annie Duke. And by extension, he ended up having problems with Howard. But somehow the two of them got on better terms. And Negranu actually put out Howard's statement, which we talked about on the show at some point. But he's tried, and, and these things didn't work. And he even told me that. He said he's tried, and it's just people, they have their minds made up. They, they they just don't want to like him now. And I said, the reason is not because they don't want to like you. It's because you're not putting out anything convincing. You can't just say, well, you've got to believe me. I wasn't involved. You can't say that. You've got to show it. When someone strongly believes something about you, you have to do something to prove them wrong. You've got to show them a reason to believe you. Now, just tell them they should. And I told him that. So, you know, he's aware I have this show. I don't think he was before uh, we talked, but he's aware now. He's aware that, you know, I, I was kind of speaking for a lot of players in what I was saying. And I was aware that maybe he thinks I can be a vehicle to get his reputation back. So, I don't want to be the vehicle to publish bullshit. So as tempting as it could be, oh, I want to be the exclusive person to bring out Howard's statement. And he even said, oh, maybe it's a time for me to make a statement to everybody with, with more information. And I said, yes, I think it is time. So as much as I'd like to be the person that delivers that statement, I don't want to deliver BS that I don't think is true. Even if I, I preface it like, oh, you know, I you know, take this at face value. This is Howard's statement, not mine. I don't want to even put it out. Unless I, I believe in at least some of it. I'll, I'll never know if everything he claims is, is totally true. But I'm going to want to at least somewhat believe in the message. If I'm going to put the message out. Now it is possible I haven't uh, 
asked him yet formally, but it is possible that at some point he could come on this show and that we can ask him questions. Hopefully we'll get better answers than I don't know. And we can have another round of him answering questions about his role in Full Tilt. Maybe that's a possibility. Um, the things he was, you know, he didn't say specifically what he's going to show me, but he was offering to do this not just for my sake. He doesn't care that much what I personally think. He was offering to show me for the reason of me then taking it back to others in some way, such as through this show or whatever, and disseminating that to people. He didn't explicitly say that, but that was clear. So that's where that stands. I haven't done much with it since. It's only been about uh, a week and a half since then. It actually feels like a really long time. <laughs> that feels like ages ago, to be honest. It was on uh, June 19th, nine days ago. That, that's been a long nine days. That feels like a long time ago to me. I think about that conversation. It feels like it's three months ago, not nine days. I'm astounded thinking about that was nine days. <laughs> I'm sure you've had these, these things in your life before where you've something has happened and then a lot kind of happens in between. And then you think, I can't believe that was only this short time ago. And sometimes the reverse happens. Sometimes something seems like it's really recent. And it was actually a very long time ago. I even have some things like, yeah, I think about, uh, especially stuff with poker and stuff with this this community we have here. And I, I think about interactions I've had with certain people, especially the World Series. And I think about it. And I remember it really clearly. And it doesn't seem like that long ago. Like, oh, crap, that's 11 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, that's a long time, 11 years. So... I actually was thinking that today because uh, the guy who busted me is Juha Helpy, who's from Finland, and he, he's a good player. And I used to play Limit Hold'em with him all the time on the CryptoLogic network at high stakes. And then we'd met each other in person a number of times, and so, so you know he instantly recognized me, and I instantly recognized him. But you know, he was talking about the old days and the good games back then, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking about when I used to play with him and when I used to see him in person during those t- days when we had been playing each other online. And and I looked at him, and you know, he was a young guy back then. He was probably like 24 or something back then. So like, he looked a lot older. And you know, he didn't look like this young kid from Finland anymore. <laughs> he looked like uh, an older guy. And I, and I thought, wow, it's been a long time. And wow, like I'm 45 now, and like back then... I, I saw 45-year-olds as pretty old. <laughs> so, But here I am now, I'm 45, and, and he's not like a kid anymore. It's kind of like the same feeling I got when I saw Eric123 looking like a middle-aged man. Eric123, the little kid who was so good at uh, Limit Hold'em back in like the year 2001, 2002. <laughs> and now you see he's like a, a middle-aged guy. Same one around back then who remembered Eric one two three. Like to see what he looks like now is strange. Here's some text I got on seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. If you somehow get Howard letter on the show and still don't have a sponsor, I will flip the f out. <laughs> That's what people have been saying to me. Like you've got to get a sponsor before this. I've, ha- I've had a few people telling me that. For the three four seven listening now while playing the thirty five hundred Venetian now. Oh, it's Ari. 
Hi, Ari. I had a small talk with Chris Ferguson when we were at the same table the other day. Nothing noteworthy. That doesn't surprise me. Chris Ferguson doesn't want to talk. People have tried to talk to Chris Ferguson, and he just shuts them down. He either says nothing or says, like, one word. So I'm, I'm surprised he even talked to you more than, like, one word. I think if I got Chris, I would have had, like, pretty much the same thing. Howard, I, I, I guess because of Chris, I expected the same thing to happen. So I was very surprised Howard talked as long as he did with me. And I did say to him towards the end, well, I'll give you this, is what I said to him. At least you were willing to have a long and detailed discussion with me about this. And that's true. He could have just said, F you, I'm not talking anymore. He, he could have shut this down after a minute. He could have shut this down before a minute. He could have just res- not responded. I, I, can't, I can't force him to answer me. In fact, if he wanted to, he could have gone the Phil Helmuth route right, and uh, complained to the floor man and got me to shut up like he did in uh, Phil did that in 2009 at the TV table of the main event, which I was on with him. By the way, <laughs> to show you how some things have changed, do you know in 2009 when I was the uh, on the feature table with Phil Helmuth that I was the secondary poker star at the table? Obviously, Phil was the primary poker star. He was the main reason that they had that. But if it was just Phil and the eight dwarves, meaning you know eight people who are not known, they would not have had that. They... they had that feature table they always want like two people at the feature table who were known so it was really Phil, me and seven people who were unknowns in poker a few of them were known to like two plus two posters as good online players uh, I'm not saying these were bad players or amateurs but really like none of them were known so I was really the secondary player there and I was even told this by the someone who was in charge of arranging this and they weren't looking for like fireworks involving UB. In fact, when I gave Phil a hard time about UB and we went back and forth a little bit, that was edited out and then Phil said something and then they told me I have to be quiet or I'm going to get a penalty, which essentially would have busted me because I was short-stacked. So, obviously I went quiet. But I, I was actually the secondary poker star at that table. If you don't believe me, go look it up. It's on it's on YouTube. You can enter 2009 World Series of Poker, Phil Helmuth, Todd Wittellis. You can see it. You can see me bust against Phil with my set of threes and his queen deuce suited that he played under the gun. And he made a flesh on the turn. But you can see you can see the people at the table. You'll see you recognize none of them. You can actually, I, I haven't looked. I haven't gone back and looked to see if any of those people have become known in poker since 2009. I don't think any of them have. But in 2009, you'll notice that none of them were known names in poker or even semi-known names in poker. It was just me and Phil. So I I never like to take credit for notoriety in poker I really don't have. And I'm less of a name in poker now than I was in the past simply because uh, I won a bracelet 12 years ago. And my high-profile days and the big Limit Hold'em games on Poker Stars are now many years ago. So, yeah, I, I don't go on the tournament trail. I don't, pl- I don't play prominently online anymore, so I, I shouldn't be a big name. And I'm really not. In fact, I, I probably have now more notoriety for this show than for winning a bracelet. So I, I don't know if that's true, though. You know what's funny? You know what's surprising? And I, I know I'm getting on a tangent here, but I have people that tell me, it happened this year twice already, 
like people I don't know that tell me they're very aware of my, of my accomplishments and limit hold them and that uh, you know, they're actually a little bit afraid of me. And these are like amateurs. These are not people just trying to screw with me or be sarcastic. Like these were people who actually know who I am through poker, not even through this show. Like I, I say, oh, you listen to the radio show? They go, oh, what radio show? <laughs> they don't even know. I have others who come up to me who, who know me from the show during the World Series, but I have some that know me as a poker player and aren't even aware I have this site or this show. So, I, I guess somehow I got that. I'm not sure how. I mean, I'll take it. I'm, I'm glad that there's some. Uh, I have some admirers as far as my poker skill. But uh, you know, the last several years, I haven't done a lot to, to earn that, and that's mostly just from not playing that much or from what play I did was kind of anonymously. So, anyway. I did tell Howard that I admired at least that he was willing to have this long discussion with me. And I'm sure there's some people listening who go, wow, you shouldn't compliment him on anything. You know, uh, look, he didn't have to discuss this. I'll give him credit for that. Whether you believe what he said or not, whether it's true or not, at least, at least he had a discussion with me. And I came at him in a hostile fashion. So it's not even like I said, hey, Howard, you know, let, let's have a frank discussion here. I'm going to be very you know, polite and nice to you. Don't worry, I won't, I won't be hostile or sarcastic or nasty at all. It's going to be a very polite and low-key discussion. I, I didn't come to him like that. I just came to him immediately with like uh, a loaded question about where's all the money you stole. So. Anyway, Ari, good luck at this uh, 3500 at Venetian. I didn't know what it was Ari at first. I'm like, listening while playing the 3500 Venetian. Wow, we have a, a listener who plays pretty high. You know what I'm curious about? Is, is the 3500, like, do you get many recreational players at that? Because I always talked about the $2,500 barrier. And that is once an event has a buy-in of more than 2500 especially at No Limit Hold'em, the quality of players goes way up. Like the recreational players just don't want to do 2,500 or more. 2,000, yes. 1,500, yes. 2,500, no. That's not a rule. You know, some do, but it's, it, it goes down, in my experience, a lot as far as the percentage of amateurs you have in the field. And I've felt if you don't have many amateurs in the field, then it, it mainly becomes a run-good contest, and I don't really want that. I'll say this, at the 10K limit hold'em, despite, there was a lot of criticism of this event before it took place. Oh, it's an awful event. Oh, it's super hard. Everyone's good. It's just, you know, all the good limit hold'em players playing each other and, and, you know, whoever wins. I actually know some good limit hold'em players who sat out of it simply because they just felt there's no value in it. And I was pleasantly surprised there were actually a lot of not very good players in that event. Were there a lot of good players? Yes. But were there a lot of not very good players? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, they had positioned on me. That was the one problem, is that I constantly had these guys cold calling me. Like, I mean, so often. I'd raise flat, flat. I'd raise flat, flat. I'd raise flat, flat. Like, like, there were certain guys at the table always flatting me. So it's not even like these guys are flatting with, uh, with hands that they kind of want to draw and they don't want to waste a lot of chips three-betting me and they're getting check raise and they want to keep the pot small. It's not like that. I mean, these, these are people who are just like flatting constantly with garbage or semi-garbage. 
paying no attention to whether the razor's tight or not. You know, th- things like that. Paying no attention to position. They don't. They don't think. Oh, it's an under the gun raise from a guy who's who's playing solid. I, I better. I better let go of this hand. No, they they just call. So like, there was a lot of that. Not just at my table, but at every table but one, I was told they were pretty good spots there. There's one awful table where I had like like a lot of the best limit holdem players in the world, like like all together. I, I had that last year, so I, I don't even feel bad for those people. I, that's pretty much what I got last year. So that was the table next to mine. So that was an awful table. It got a little bit better because they they were moving players around. It just so happened they took off two players from that table who were very good. They took off uh, uh, Ann Van Tran, and who's known as Van Diesel, and Brock Parker. So obviously it's nice to lose those two guys. And they replaced them with some guys who weren't that good. But that was still a pretty bad table. I remember but besides... Those two, they also, that table had Mike Schneider, it had David Baker, it had uh, Ian Johns, uh, Terrence Chan. <laughs> I mean, that was just a horrible table. Uh, I think Eric Froelich was even there. Yeah, he was. <laughs> it was a horrible table. I, I think Terrence Chan actually tweeted that's like the worst tournament limit, limit hold'em table that he's ever been sat at. Like the worst the worst table draw in history. But the the one I had last year at the 10K was pretty close. I had uh, seven people with limit holding bracelets at the table, including myself. So <laughs> that's, that's not a very good one either. Despite that, I ran it up and then ran it back down. But my table wasn't bad. Um, there were a few... You know, there's some good players at the table, but uh, a number of players who were not very good. And sometimes they'd bust and they'd move in someone who's also not very good. So I was happy with that field. Like, I, I didn't feel at the 10K, oh, man, it sucks. I just had to run well because everyone here is just as good as me. Like, it wasn't like that. It was, uh, there were a lot of players. I'm not being like an arrogant guy saying, oh, everyone sucks except for a few people. Like, there's some people in poker like that. They, they pick a few people they like. That they think are good at the game, and everyone else is quote terrible. I'm not. I've never been like that. I've always been honest. Who's good? Who's who's uh, decent? Who's okay? Who's bad? And there were a lot of players at that 10k limit hold'em. Some I played with, some I didn't play with. Who you could classify as either okay or bad. So there was definitely value in it. I'll tell you that. And even the, the 3k, I got. Uh, there are plenty of players at that event who were not that good. And as the day went on, they moved some better players to my table, and by the end, the table wasn't very good. You know, I had Justin Bonomo and this guy, John Hopman, who's known as Hopscott, and he actually cashed. Um, Kathleen Tran, who also cashed, she's known as CC at Commerce. So these are all good players. I don't really want it at my table. I got Bonomo, by the way, at all three Limit Hold'em events. He's the only person I think I've ever had at all three Limit Hold'em events. <laughs> I got him... On day one, all three times. And never to start with. He's always been like moved to the table all three times. And it wasn't even like a late buy-in thing. Like He moved with, with different than starting stack. So he obviously had been playing somewhere else. And I, you know, when they first moved him in, at the 1500 event, I expected, you know, maybe this is just after I had my incident with Helmuth. The Helmuth was already gone by now. And I, I thought maybe... Bonomo and I would that, that like he'd be the next one I go back and forth with because he had been rude to me like two years prior to that, 
out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere, he made a nasty comment to me. So I was all ready to get into it with him, but then he just didn't say anything to me. So I didn't say anything to him. And then the next two events, the 10K and the 3K, uh, he, he spoke to me a little bit. We didn't have like conversations, but he spoke to me a little bit, and he was always polite. He was very polite. <laughs> uh, I was surprised, because my last experience playing with Bonomo, he was a jerk to me for no reason. And that was before I was like bashing him on the show. I actually been bashing him on the show more. I'm like, I don't agree with the stuff he, he writes on on Twitter and on his blog. I, I think a lot of that's ridiculous. So I'm not just criticizing because I didn't like him, but I didn't feel bad about a lot of the stuff I was saying about him because he had been a jerk to me for no reason two years ago. But this time, no. This time he was it was very pleasant. All three times. First time he just didn't really talk to me, but that's fine. And then the next two times he was actually like, uh, you know, very polite. You'd, you'd never guess. That we, we had any kind of issue. So, anyway, I, I, I think that these Limit Hold'em events, if you're a good Limit Hold'em player, are still a good value. Which is kind of surprising in this day and age, but they all three of them were. But what's also frustrating is in the late levels, you have to get hands. Or you lose. No matter how good your start is, if you don't get hands in the late levels, you lose. And you, you, you kind of become a slave to luck to some degree. In the third event I played, the 3K event, I even made some changes to my style, which I'm not going to discuss out here in case some opponents listen or some friends of opponents listen. And I know this year it won't matter, but I don't want people getting tips next year, but I, I looked at some things and said, I th- "What can I do differently here?" Especially since I kept chunking off big stacks. I was like, "What can I? What can I do differently here?" And I made I made a few adjustments, not huge adjustments, but some adjustments, and, and they seemed to be working. They seemed to be working at this three K event until I was getting rivered every hand, which is basically what happened to me. I was getting ri- rivered constantly at this event, this three K. Okay, I'm not going to whine about my luck anymore. Let me uh, move on to the next topic. So, regarding Howard, uh, we'll see. But I kept my promise to you guys. The playing card controversy continues. If you remember, Mac Lance said he wasn't going to play some of the 10K events because he felt that there it was actually... He, that he, he had a negative edge not being able to see the marks on the cards that well. He said that others who have a better eye for detail or just better eyes than he has can notice marks a lot better than he can, and that if they don't say anything, even if they're not the ones marking them, if they, if they notice marks and don't say anything, then they can have a big edge over him. And he doesn't want to play 10K events where that's a factor, especially because he's not very good at noticing marks. And th- these were his own words. He said that on this show. I think it was the last show we had. And I understand that because I'm not that good at that either. I'm just not that good, unless it's obvious, I'm not that good at looking at cards and seeing that there's marks on them. And the, the first event I played, I was even looking for them. I usually don't look that carefully, but the, the first event I played, I was really looking for them. And at the 10K, I was looking for them. And I, I just didn't see any. Possible they weren't there, but I'm just not all that good at seeing that sort of thing. I, I think it doesn't help that I'm 45 and... I'm also nearsighted, and 
the nearsightedness is corrected with, with glasses. See, Brandon's trying to call here. My, uh, I don't know why Brandon's trying to call my cell phone during the show. Let me, let me try to call Brandon. But what happens if you, if you wear prescription glasses, whether glasses or sunglasses, what it does do is it induces a little bit of farsightedness. Not terrible. Like, I don't need bifocals or anything. But it does... Your, your close-up vision is not as good. So even if I move my face closer to the cards, I, I can't see as well. Like when I... Hey. Hey, Brandon. We're, we're on the radio. Welcome. Oh, okay. I was I was texting you to ask you what room you were at. So I was maybe going to swing by the Rio and make an appearance. Oh, well, you, you know the problem with that, though. I don't have equipment to... Like, well, like, no, I was just going to come say hi. No, I realize. Okay. I realize I, no, I, 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 I can text you where I am. Yeah. Fine. Okay. How's the, how's the show going? It's fine. I'm just talking about the World Series. I was talking about the, the the playing card controversy and the people. You know, there's more problems with the cards and just get into all that. Yeah. Listen, I may have a breaking or kind of breaking story for you. I'm waiting for confirmation. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'll tell you what it is. Somebody told me. Someone I trust. Uh, uh, and I want to get the email, and if it's true, I'm going to send it to you so you can talk about this tonight, that they received an email from WSOP stating that on the anniversary of a year of inactivity on their account, that their account will be shut down, which is kind of odd in itself. Yeah. This is someone that lives in Florida, that not just having dinner. But what's even odder, and I'm going to, I want to see the email, I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but this person claims to me that it also said if they shut down your account for inactivity, all funds in said account will be forfeited, which I, I said there's no way. You score up and down. That's what it said. So I'm waiting to get the email. I want to read it myself. And if it's true, I'm going to send that to you. And that's just outrageous if it is. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. In fact, this this has been discussed about New Jersey. They were doing this crap too, and I think it's awful. I don't. I, I think at the very least, they sh- you know they could charge some kind of reasonable maintenance fee or something. Until you get the money, but but to just take it, I I think it's horrendous. So yeah, definitely go I'll, verify yeah. that. I will. So anyhow, I'm just finishing dinner. I'm actually at the Hard Rock, at a new steakhouse that opened up called MB Steakhouse. Um, so I'll uh, I'll touch base with you in a bit. I'm going to take a drive to the Plaza. I know Jack Daniels and Larry Laffer were, were at the link as of maybe 20 minutes ago drinking at a bar, <laughs> but it sounds like it's getting a little sloppy already. So I may have to kind of dodge that tonight. Okay. About three, four hours into drinking, and uh, you know, might be a little, might might be a little sloppy by the time I meet up with them. Okay. How that goes? Yes. Okay. Well, so, uh, yeah. Anyhow, uh, thanks for calling me. Text me your number. I, 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 I just, I, I just, I just sent, I just, hello. I just sent it. You have it. Okay. And if I get that email, I will send it to your text, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. All right. Have a great show. Sorry right. about today. Yeah. This is I brutal. Know. Well, thank you. Anyway. The limit, you know, what have you? Yep. Okay. Jesus. Was that three day twos? Three day twos. Uh, th- yeah, but three and t- two. One one was one was a stone bubble. The other two, I had the chip lead midday one. Brutal. Is that awful or what? Yikes. <laughs> when are you playing next? That'll be on Friday at the fifteen hundred no limit. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye bye. That was Brandon, and uh, he may come by here. I uh, I better put away anything I have here that's embarrassing. You know, if I uh, brought any gay porn videos that nobody knows I watch, or uh, 
and anything else that I wouldn't want him to see. I got to make sure he, it, it's a pristine looking room before he comes here. Usually nobody comes in here. Let me see. I'm looking around here. Yeah, I, th- I think I think everything I don't want him to see is is out of plain sight. So I think I think I'm in good shape. What I was telling him about how I don't have the setup. It sounds pretty cool that me and Brandon would be in the same spot doing the show. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have a second microphone for him. <laughs> and you may say, well, why don't you? Well, because I, I just don't. I, we're, we're not in the same location doing radio enough to where it's worth buying that, and especially not worth lugging two of them over here. But I don't even have it. And not only that, there's more I'd have to do because I, I have a preamp, but it only is for one connection. So I'd have to get some other equipment to make it work. It, it'd be kind of a pain in the ass. But he may come anyway. So, anyway, getting back to the playing card controversy. I noticed that the 10K event, and by the way, the card markings, if you haven't heard, it's not even being accused that people are doing this on purpose to cheat. It's just that the cards are such poor quality that they accidentally get marked. Uh, when I I had a conversation with Seth Polanski at, in the media room. You know, there's a media room where media people can hang out. Kev Math's in there a lot, and uh, Seth Polanski works in there during the day because he's the head of the World Series of Poker Media. And... I asked him about about the playing card. I asked him if they're going to replace them. This was before I played the 10K. This is about two weeks ago. And uh, so I asked him. I said, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know about the playing card controversy. Are you guys going to replace the cards at all? In fact, I heard from Matt Glantz that there's a rumor that you guys are thinking of bringing back some old cards from 2005 for at least some of the events. Cards that were liked. Cards that people thought were good back then. So is this true? And his his response was... (laughs) His response was no. We're not changing the cards. The cards are fine. They're basically the standard cards that tournaments everywhere are using. You know, he's saying the specs of these cards are pretty much the same. The thickness, everything else is the same as being used everywhere by other organizations as well. And that the only reason the World Series is having issues is because they're the only ones who are running mixed game tournaments. Or tournaments where there's a low hand. He's saying we're not having this problem at No Limit Hold'em tournaments... We're having this mainly in mixed games or tournaments where there's low hands. He was saying that all other poker tours would have this problem as well, but they only just run No Limit Hold'em, so they don't run into it. Or they run No Limit Hold'em, PLO, and pretty much the same thing as far as that's concerned. So that's why they're not running into it. That's why the World Series is being unfairly blamed for this. So I said, okay, well, but still, <laughs> still, you're having problems. I understand. I understand you guys are offering additional games, and that's great. It's great you're not just subsisting on No Limit Hold'em, and that's it. 
That's why I like the World Series, but since you're offering different games, maybe you need different cards. Nope. He said that the people just need to learn how to be more gentle with them. So yeah, I didn't love that answer, but that was that was his position. Uh, this is not his decision, so don't get mad at Seth for the decision. He was communicating it to me, but he was not the one who makes that decision. He he is a, a high manager at the World Series, but more along the lines of, of, of media-type things. He's not... Uh, making decisions about playing cards. It's just it's just not his decision to make. But he's the one I know. He's the one I've gotten to know over the years. So when there's ever an issue that I see comes up at the World Series, I bring it to him. And then he brings it to whoever else. Just because I know he listens to me, I, I know he uh, has some respect for what I uh, find important and, and, and for my opinion... So I'd rather bring it to him than, than somebody else who does, someone else there that doesn't know me as well. They'll just see me as some random player. But anyway, that's what he told me. So I, I was prepared to have the same cards at the 10K Limit Hold'em event. Well, lo and behold, the same cards were not at the 10K Limit Hold'em event. In fact, I noticed that the cards looked very much like the ones that I played with for the very first time back in 2005. I can't guarantee they're the same cards because I I can't tell you exactly what they look like. I didn't memorize the cards in 2005, but I did remember looking at them because that was my first World Series event in 2005. And I was kind of just curious, you know, what a World Series cards look like. And I remember seeing it had, it said World Series of Poker on them. It had the, the four suits of, of the cards on there, on the, on the back. I, I seem to remember those are the 2005 cards. And Mac Lance had just said on the show that they're going to bring back the 2005 cards for 10K events. And here I was in a 10K event. Now you may ask, well, what cards did they use for your 3K event that you just played? The answer well, it's, it's, it, they looked a little bit different, but they were definitely the newer cards. It even had like a copyright of 2017 written on the card. So those were not the 2005 cards. Uh, I could not find anything about 2005 on those cards for the 10K event, but they, they were definitely different cards, and I didn't see them again in the 3K event. Some people asked, well, that's not very good. Why are they bringing back those cards only for the 10Ks? And uh, that's a good question, <laughs> but they... Apparently, these are not cards that have been opened since 2005. They are ones that have been sealed, and I guess they don't go bad in any way. So, and they seemed fine, the ones that we used at the 10K. So, they may not have enough to go around for all the other events, so they may have just had to make a decision. We're going to use them for the bigger buy-in events. But, of course, that begs the question. If they are changing the cards for these bigger buy-in events, then that's acknowledging there's a problem. There's a reason they're changing them. So why not just go purchase better quality cards that are not going to have this issue? Now, Matt Glantz at one point seemed happy. I don't know if it's because he saw the 2005 cards or whatever, but he said, oh, I, I see they've changed the cards. Poker's great again. He even received some criticism that... Um, he, he praised them too quickly when they should have done it a long time ago. So, now there's problems again. 
Now poker isn't great again, and Matt Glantz is, is angry again. Uh, someone tweeted out a picture of playing cards. Um, actually, I don't know if this is... I think Matt Glantz got it from somebody else. I don't know where he got it. This is a picture he got from somewhere. The reason I don't think it's from him is because I see the chips being used, and these look like chips that are used in non-bracelet events, and Matt Glantz is a high-limit player. In fact, he plays higher than me. He plays a lot of 10K events. He plays the 50K. So I I don't see him the type who's playing uh, dailies or things like that. But still, it's the same playing cards, these Copag cards with, with 2017 on them. And four cards with dents in them. Noticeable dents. I don't know where this came from, but uh, Matt Lance reposted it. I believe he reposted it. So, that is uh, apparently still a problem. If you go to Mac Lance's Twitter, you can see he posted these uh, kind of early in the day, kind of like late morning. Today at uh, June 28th, probably like 11 a.m. And you will see these these cards. Very noticeable dents and markings on them. So Matt wrote, don't know what's worse, the poker media feeling under threat to stay silent or top pros consciously choosing to stay silent themselves. So he feels that the poker media is afraid to say anything or they're going to be kicked out of the World Series. By kicked out, I don't mean that they're not going to be able to enter the building. I mean that they won't get their credential is what he's saying. He's saying that they're afraid to say something or they won't get their credential. I believe that's what he's saying. And he's saying top pros who are choosing to stay silent themselves, he's not giving a reason for that, but he's saying that's also shameful. Well, as you can see, I'm not staying silent. I I have not personally seen any damaged cards in the events I've played, but I see it's a problem. And I just don't understand why they don't fix it. I just don't understand why they don't determine what specs they need, even if these are the same specs as the ones that other poker tours use. It doesn't matter. It's not working. For whatever reason, it's not working. So they need to say, okay, these are not working. It would be nice if people were gentler on the cards, but they're not. So we've got to find a solution. We've got to maybe pay extra. Ah, Calwatt, there you are, live from Asia. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Druff? Are, are you uh, you're at an amusement park right now, right? Well, we were, but there was a monsoon. Wow, really? So, wow. Yeah, so we're waiting it out. Uh, we're having some Thai food, actually. Oh. Or we're about to, yeah. So, so, so I figured you're probably not through the intro yet. Yeah, so anyway, if you, <laughs> you want to follow along in the chat room, everybody, we have a chat room on this site. And, uh, no, we we got past that a little while ago. I was talking about the playing cards, and I don't know if... Did you see the tweet that Mac Lance set out? I don't I don't think he took this picture, but there were four playing cards that were, like, badly damaged and dented. 
No, I didn't see it, man. I've been I've been traveling. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're not, but I guess you're not following that closely because you've been busy. But uh, yeah, th- th- there's a really bad looking picture of like four really marked World Series cards, and I think someone else <laughs> took it, and Matt Glance has been distributing it. But uh, I, I was saying, I I I still don't get why they don't completely replace the cards. Why they don't just uh, there's obviously a problem. It's obviously worse this year than it's ever been. That even if, even if these are the same cards that other tours are using, for whatever reason, it's not working over here. And they need to spend the extra money and get good, thick cards that this is not going to happen to. That's what they need to do. It's simple. When I, It can't possibly be that they don't know that they're thin, shitty cards. You know, someone just said, all right, go ahead, go with it. You know? Well, I, I talked to Seth Polanski, and he told me, this is about a week and a half ago, he told me that they're not going to replace them, and these are the same cards that the WPT uses and other, other like, not the same specific cards, but the same specs. But but whatever it is, it doesn't matter who else uses them. It matters that they're not working. That's, that's all that right. matters. They don't work, fix them. Right. That, that's all. It's very simple. This is one of these things that's not a complicated situation. So I don't get it. So... I know Mac Lance is unhappy. The poker media is being silent about this, and many top pros are staying silent. Well, I, I haven't been as passionate as Mac Lance has been in uh, in pushing this, but a, as you guys have heard on this show, we've given plenty of time to this issue, and I agree with him. Well, but so you you use them. What what was your opinion of them? I didn't see any issue, but the, uh, it could have been a few factors. It could have been that. Uh, this is happening more at certain events than others. Like uh, I, I heard this is happening more at events that have uh, low hands, though I didn't see it happen you know, at, at the Mixed Omaha event. It could be just that I've just run well in that sense. I haven't seen cards of damage. It could be that I, I'm just not as good at recognizing this as others. It could be one of many factors. And, and I said, I said a short time ago that I noticed different cards were used for the 10K limit hold'em, that they used uh, what I think were the 2005 cards. So... Anyway, this this is not rocket science. This is not something that's going to require a genius to fix. If the playing cards that you're using are not working well, if you're having to replace decks all the time and take out mark cards all the time, then it is time to revisit the playing cards you were using and get better ones. That's all. It's that simple. So... That has been the ongoing problem with the World Series, where most of the other things about the World Series have been going pretty well. They they haven't screwed up very much this year, but the, the playing cards thing is is constantly dogging them. So, you still here, Calwat? Hmm. He's here, but we're not hearing from him. No, that's okay. I'll let him. He, he may be dealing with kids in the background. I don't know. <laughs> They're waiting out a monsoon. Can you believe that? How many other poker shows do you think have a co-host on there who are waiting out a monsoon in Asia? I bet that's a first. I bet we've never had that before. I bet I bet two plus two never had that before. Even though Terrence Chan is Asian, I bet Terrence Chan has never been on the two plus two poker cast from Asia waiting out a monsoon. I bet that's never happened before on that show. Okay. I'm going to talk about something more local to our site. I've always been amazed at the generosity that exists on Poker Fraud Alert. Oh, here you are. I hear something. You put my order in. 
Oh, you put your order in. Okay. okay. No, I had to put my order in. Okay. Okay. That's good. No, but here's the thing, Druff. Like, you said that the cards were made to the same specs, right? Yeah. So here we are. We're at Legoland. And right across the street, there's a mall. And right out in the open, literally like 20 feet from Legoland, there are about 50 different knockoff Lego uh, sets that are being sold. Right? With all different, like, Chinese brands or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, that's what's going on with the cards. You know? Yeah. Maybe there's some Chinese knockoff or something. You know? Well, yeah, they're, they're made by Copag, but yeah, who knows? This could be, it could be that they say these are the specs and then they're really not, or who knows? Or, or it could be like what Seth said is that they're just used differently by players here because of mixed games, because of games with lows. Whatever it is. Well, if there's a problem, there's a problem. Yeah, right. Fix it. Right. That's what I don't understand. It's, instead of saying, well, it works other places. Or if it, the problem is only in mixed games. The mixed games get a better deck. Yeah, right. That's easy. Yeah, I, then, you I, don't, you, then you don't have to replace all the cards, just the mixed game cards. Yeah. I, I think they, they make enough money here where they can afford quality playing cards for all the World Series bracelet events. All yeah, this them. is Good Caesars, right? Yeah, this is the Good Caesars. <laughs> yeah, we're part of Good Caesars. Why can't we get good cards for Good Caesars? What That's right. Hell? That's right. This is the Good Caesars. This is the original Good Caesars yeah. when they they separated the companies, and uh, this was the good, the real good one they were protecting, the one that owns the World Series. Right. So what the hell? <laughs> right. The good, yeah. The Good Caesars can spend a little bit of money for some good cards. Right? Yeah. That's true. Unbelievable. So. Anyway, the, 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 this is pretty simple. There's not even that much to discuss. There's I, there's not much more to say. Right, right. And make it's, it right. And it's That's weird. It. Make it right. It's weird because they got so much else right this year. This year they've 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 fixed a lot of past mistakes. They've avoided a lot of fail for the most part. They've they've really done. If you take away the playing card thing, I think they've done a great job this year. But this is an issue that just keeps dogging them over and over, and they just don't want to fix. It's weird. Well, who needs good cards? I mean, you're only playing poker. It's yeah. Not really that important. <laughs> There's all, only right. hundreds, only hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars at stake. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, and and it's only the primary tool that people yeah. are using when they're playing. I mean, it would be like if you went to, if there was a FIFA tournament and that you played with like a little squishy Nerf soccer ball, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, or, or or if like the, the or if like the soccer ball just like wasn't rolling properly and it's it's bouncing in all kinds of funny ways because it's not made right, and you're like, well, this is the soccer ball they use in AYSO, so. That's what we're using yeah, here. It's inflated. It's inflated to like three psi, <laughs> so it sits like a piece of jello on the field. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Well, we we, <laughs> we see people using that in uh, soccer games with their ten-year-old kids. That should be good here too. Yeah, and uh, you know, in in uh, rural Ecuador, they're kicking it around on the soccer fields. Everything's fine. Yeah. All right. So so as I was saying, the the uh, the, the poker fraud alert. There's so much generosity on this site, and some of it even comes from from Calwatt here himself, uh, who's, yep. who's donated many times to the free rolls. By, by the way, this I did dedicate this show to to your dog. Your, okay, uh, cool. Is, is now where's the dog right now? Since you're in Asia, so Kumba, yeah, he's at home. And did you tell everyone the deal with him? I did. I, t- I dedicated the show yeah, to Kumba okay. and told everybody the deal. So, I mean, he's like a, a miracle dog. But, yeah, he's at home, and we've got a good friend of ours uh, that is actually staying at our house. And we, we came damn close to canceling the trip. Going to play out. And if it looked like he wasn't doing super well, or if he looked like he needed us, we were just going to cancel the trip. And, yeah, I think I talked to you about that. There's nothing that we could do. You know, we would just probably eat, like, 
probably ten grand worth of bookings. Yeah, but, I, I actually I know. actually mentioned that on the show that you were considering canceling uh, the trip about this. So yeah, that's a yeah. But he ended up doing so well, and his recovery really just amounts to uh, not getting much exercise, and the tumor ended up being benign. So we said, you know what, family's important too. So we're gonna go. Yeah, you that's know? good. I mean, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, so that's that's great. Yeah. And but did uh, you donate the hundred hundred dollars to the show? Uh, well, what happened was since I announced this show so late, uh, mm. I, I decided we're going to hold that hundred for the next week's free roll. So it's dedi- the show's well, dedicated. It's, it's it's actually a hundred ringgit though. That's no, a hundred ringgit. Well, I say that's good. I didn't donate it's 100, that. Yeah, it's a hundred <laughs> ringgit. So that's like two dollars and thirty cents, right? Yeah, and whoever whoever pays it out, I'm going to actually send them ringgit. Okay. Oh, you know what? Actually, so you I, tell me. Wait, hundred ringgit who wins. That's actually not that, that bad of it. I just thought it, it's not two dollars. It's twenty three dollars. That's actually not even a bad donation anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but whoever wins, what I want to do is I'm going to send them actual Malaysian ringgit. Okay? So you're going to send them a hundred dollar, a hundred ringgit note, or I'll send it to you. Okay. You know whatever. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let's make it simple, so it's only one person. The winner gets a hundred ringgit note. <laughs> so if you ever go to Malaysia, okay, then, then then you can do it. And the rest of the free roll is that, the is rest that of my the little ca- is that Calawat? It is. He's is from, yeah, from from Malaysia. From Malaysia? No, not Malay- Malaysia. He's in Malaysia. Really? Yes. What the, yeah. the hell is going on in Malaysia? Hey, buddy. Right now you? we're waiting. We're waiting out a monsoon so that we can go back to Legoland. They have a Legoland in. in- Indonesia? No, in Malaysia, and no, they're Malaysia. and they're actually he's actually yeah. waiting at a monsoon. A monsoon's taking place right now as he's on the radio. Yeah, wow. right. Hey, so we're, what we're I taking. Said, Go ahead. Be careful with the hashish or any of that other stuff. You'll be in jail <laughs> for like fifty years. Yeah, don't worry. I left don't my stash at home. It's okay. It's okay. How's how's the puppy doing? Puppy is doing fantastic. Nice. Kumba Kumba nice. is like a new dog. I saw pictures. That's a, a that's a great story. How, how so? How long are you in Malaysia for? We are here for another eleven days, and then we go to Japan for wow. a week. Now, do you have family oh, that lives out there? Is that why you're? Tr- is yeah, that why yeah, you're out there? Been, is, why, okay, cool. Hold on, my wife is going to say hello. Oh wow! Okay. Say hello. 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 You're, are you Cal Watt's wife? Y- yeah. Yeah, you are. Okay. <laughs> are, are you okay with him? Uh, <laughs> are you a okay? fraud show. Yeah. Are you okay with him doing this show like nearly every week and just uh, disappearing late at night? Is that okay with you? Sure. It, it doesn't get you mad? I mean, he's been doing that for a while though, right? Oh, yeah. For like the last uh, seven months or so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just asking, yeah. if, I'm just asking if there's like an issue from this. I always, I always wondered that. Because uh, yeah, to be honest, no, 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 the, the, no, it's fine. Oh, that's that's great. To be honest, the the girl I I'm with actually has issues with that, and uh, you know this is actually uh, a show on my own site. This this is uh, Calwat actually disappears to do this on somebody else's site. So that's, <laughs> that's very understanding of you. I appreciate that. No, he does, he does whatever he wants. Take good care of him. I don't yeah, want no, him ending up in a Malaysian. Uh, we don't want him ending no, no. up in a Malaysian prison or anything. Yeah. No, no, listen. It's okay. 
So, yeah, listen, no, my wife doesn't mind me doing the radio because that's another night that I'm not asking her for a sexy time. Right? So that's, that's good. Oh. She gets a break. Yeah, if, she, if, she, if she's looking to avoid – that's true. If she's looking to avoid that, then the radio is a great thing for her. That uh, Right. She's like, yeah, yeah, go do the radio, yeah. She's, is, is, is there like a daily show you can do? Yeah. Listen, I got to – What time gotta, is it – What Calawat, what time uh, is it in Malaysia right now? I think it's like one or two o'clock. Yeah, it's like, like it's like one thirty p one thirty p.m. on Thursday, right? On Thursday, yeah, on Thursday. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on mute because uh, we're gonna be eating. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're gonna listen. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Okay. All right. So he's going on so mute. Listen. Yes. I, I'm I'm only calling back because I've actually I got the email. I have it saved. I can forward it to you. And yes, it, please it, do. it's not as bad as I thought. My friend got a little confused, but it's still, to me, pretty, pretty nuts. So what the email states, and again, I've read it, is after your 12th month of not depositing or playing on it, your account goes into what's called a dormant mode and then becomes inactive. And what the email LOL says is if you have money in your account, they will begin immediately charging you a four ninety nine a month maintenance fee until all your funds have been exhausted. And then it even goes as far as to say if you don't have any funds in your account, they, I mean, you, you don't owe the money. They just won't charge you. So basically, if you do have any money, they're going to charge you 60 bucks a year after starting with month 13 which I don't know how they can get away with that. The LOL maintenance fee, like they ever even do anything. That's just so ridiculous. Yeah, well, but, it, okay, uh, I can so send you this email. I'm going to assume a lot of people have got it. it. Just It just was sent a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, go ahead and send it to me. And, and yeah, it's, uh, I, I think what they should do is, at the very least, it should be something like, uh, uh, we're, we're going to issue, we're going to close your account and issue you a check, or, 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 or yeah, it could just be the account's inactive and uh, we're just going to hold the money. This way they don't even have to say they're, they're maintain. there's no cost to maintaining an account with money in it. There, there's, there, they can say there's a cost for security in, in maintaining accounts that are not being used, but they can make it inactive, which they're doing, and at that point there should really be no cost to just hold a balance. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm with my friend right now, Larry. He's a good friend of mine. lives in Florida. I'm in his suite at the Hard Rock. He actually knows who you are. This is the person I mentioned about dinner earlier. How do you, how do you know? I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to put him on the radio real fast. Okay. Whoa. Hello, gentlemen. Good evening. Hello, Larry. So, and this is not Larry Laffer, by the way. This is a different Larry. But, uh, Larry, uh, not I, Larry Laffer. Yeah. No. Now, I don't. I, I don't, met him. Yes. <laughs> so, so I don't think I know you, but Brandon says you know who I am. Yes, I used to play on Poker Stars back in the day. Oh, okay. so you, are the, you are the limit specialist, sir. Yes. Yeah, so, so who were you on Poker Stars? I'm leap. I was Leaping Lair Twenty Two. I'd love to say I remember that name, but I don't think I do. It's been a long time, though. So, uh, I don't think I remember. I used that to name. play the uh, seven card stud, uh, eight or better, uh, heads up, sit and goes. I was like the specialist at that. Oh, so you didn't play Limit Hold'em? Oh yeah, Brandon says it. Uh, only a little bit. Only a little. Okay, that's why. Brandon, we were just having dinner here at the uh, MB Steaks, and uh, over dinner we were uh, talking about you a little bit. Nothing bad, of course. And uh, there's a guy that I know from Florida that was best friends with, uh, I don't know his name, but his screen name was Ty J. Oh, yeah. uh, South Africa. You familiar with him? Very familiar. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Said that he was from Baltimore on the screen, but he was actually from South Africa. Right. He, you met him in person? Yeah, and he, he was a jerk to me. The last time I saw him, he was a jerk over uh, something that happened at the Bellagio, where he uh, um, basically they have – do you know about the playing over rule at Bellagio? Where they, they put a, a – Yes. They put a box over the, the person's – box over right. the uh, If someone yes. disappears for a long yes. period of time – uh, you have the right to ask to play over, which means they put a box over their stack so you can't touch their money, and then you bring your own money, and, and you temporarily take over their seat, and then when they come back, they, they get their seat back. So this uh, that's not a bad idea. Of course. But, but what yes. I, I had never actually done it, but, but Pi J was gone for a while. I asked, can I play over there? They said yes. I don't need to get his permission. The floor has to give me permission. So I, they, they put the box over his stack. Absolutely. I was playing. I didn't even play that long. I played about 20 minutes. I, I I got out to a bad start and was losing. It is at forty eighty limit hold'em, and I had just paid my small and big blind, and I was on the button, and he came back and he said, "Okay, I want my seat back." I said, "Okay, just I'll give it up. Wait till I get to the big blind." He said, "No, I want it right now." <laughs> and I I said, "Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute! I just paid the small and big blind. Let let me just finish the round out. It's not you, it doesn't take that long at limit hold'em." And then I'll be happy to give the seat back. He says, no, I have a right to take it right now. I said, well, first of all, I don't believe that. And second, if you do, that's a, that's a terrible thing to do. That's a, it's a real jerk thing to do here. He says, if it's my right. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's disgusting. If, if that's my right, I'm going to take it. So I thought at least, I, I mean, I thought what he was going to do was just I was going to be kicked out of the game and then he'd have to wait to the big line to post or something. No. They, they called the floor man over. The floor man said, yes, he does have the right to take it. I said, what? they didn't tell me this. I said, yep, he has a right to take this. And they, 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 they forced me out. They kicked me out. And he got to play the free hands remaining from the blinds that I paid. <laughs> I mean, that was outrageous. If, if they're going to kick me out, at the, very least he should, he should, at the very least, he should have to post to come in. But no, he got to see free hands that I paid for. I, I couldn't believe this. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't even and, know. And what, the house wouldn't even refund your money. For some reason, now that I'm telling the story, which I think I've told on radio before, now I'm mad at myself for not like going to the top manager there and demanding sixty dollars back for this. But but somehow I just accepted it, but was mad. So uh, anyway, that was my uh, last experience with him. Prior to that, I'd played with him before. He seems kind of like a kind of a unfriendly, kind of gruff guy. But other than that, we hadn't had any issues. But that that pissed me off, and I told him. I, I told him he's an asshole, and I said a lot, you know, a lot of nasty things to him. But he didn't care. <laughs> he he uh, he did it. So that was a, that was a really raunchy thing that he did. But anyhow. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm uh, it's interesting. So you knew of me from just like seeing who was sitting at the limit hold'em games. Is that pretty much how you know of me? He asked how you know of. Oh yeah, I I know you from playing just from playing on Poker Stars. I never forget screen names. Okay, I okay. I played. Maybe one time the hundred the hundred two hundred limit game on there years ago. I I just brushed the uh, the waves so to speak with that game, but I didn't stay in it long. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. I, I was just saying earlier in the show. I've always uh, when there's people who just know me from from poker. Uh, I say, oh, that, that's that's cool that some people know who I am. That uh, that just uh, that I didn't. Yeah, never uh, never had the pleasure of meeting. Never had the pleasure of meeting you in person yet, but. One of these days, I mean, I'm here in town for the summer. Yeah, yeah, you know what, I, I, 
Brandon invited me yep. to come to dinner tonight, and I said, you know what? Uh, number I one, I, I just you know for the third time made day two of the limit hold'em event and, and busted without the money, and then I, I was kind of in a bad mood about some other stuff that's been going on. And I said, also, I haven't done the radio in two weeks, and it's Wednesday night when the regular night of the show, so I want to just do radio. So that's uh, otherwise I would have come tonight, but maybe yeah, at some point I probably we'll, we'll probably meet up, and uh, and I, you know, I'd like to meet you. Okay, sounds good. All right. Have a great show. I'll touch base with you guys later. We're going to head out to the strip now All right. and see if we can get into some trouble. Okay. Have a great show. All right. I'll send you that email. Yes. I want to look it over and discuss it. All right? All right. Thank you, Brandon. Bye. All right. Godspeed. That was Brandon and, uh, and a different Larry, not Larry Laffer. But not to not to let one Larry monopolize this, here is the other Larry. Larry Laffer, hello. Larry Laffer. Yes. Answered. Oh, my God, Jack Daniels. We're on the radio right now. I've never heard Jack, Jack Daniels before. Huh? Jack Daniels, hello. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call. I don't know what you're talking about. We're just we're just rocking around. Yeah, I know. I, I saw some calls from you. I was just in the middle of, like, World Series-related rants, and uh, what we just I just took oh, a Oh, no, totally, totally. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You want to see a Jack Daniels right quick? Yeah, you go ahead. Put him on. This is Jack Daniels okay. from the forum who's trolled me for many oh. years. Hey, saw Jack. I've got one thing to tell you, and one thing I'll eat. Okay, go ahead. I'll tell you, Sodger, you need to simmer down to fuck. Because you just there, you over-simmer them over Todd. You need to come down and hang out with me and Laddie, drink some babies, and talk some weed out the pipe, and play some mixed games, and just not give a fuck. <laughs> so if you want to come and do that, you should then call Laddie back. Well, I'm doing radio right now. Is the problem? Yeah, I, I yeah, can't. I yeah, can't hang yeah. out with anybody. What are you talking about? What's going on here? He's saying, uh, 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 "Torture, you need to, to come down and uh, play some mixed games with us." You need. You need to. By uh, the way, Jack Daniels, I want to say is a stand-up individual, amazing guy. If you can understand him, you know, you know. You know. Yeah, it was even even by being Colonel Fabersham, I had trouble understanding him. I understood like half well, of that. Well, because your your Colonel Fabersham voice needs a little bit of uh, you know practice. Well, I I, th- I think that me uh... <laughs> and Jack Daniels are trying to find a pool table right now to go play pool. <laughs> to go play pool. Now, is he drunk right now? He sounds like he's drunk and ranting. Jack Daniels is really drunk right now. I am not though. Yeah, I, you don't seem like uh, you are, but he sa- seems like he is. What he? Yeah, he is definitely drunk. We've been gaming all of the uh, bars around here for free drinks, and uh, you know we're having fun out in Vegas. Obviously, you know. Now, how how do you and, game? Uh, how do you game a bar, a bar for free drinks? Well, it wasn't really well for Jack Daniels. It was free because he can play video poker better than me. Uh, for me, it, for me, it didn't. It cost a little bit more because I'm not very good at the video. Yes, 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 yes. Me and me and Jack Daniels have come up with plus expected value drinking. So uh, we we go around and we're trying to find places that will will just let us put the money in the machine to drink. And we did find that at the link. Really? Because they they're clamping down on that pretty hard. They are. That's why I'm bringing it up. They are cracking down on it. I told Jack Daniels that. However, he is slick. He did. He was tipping very well. And the the bartender gave him a drink without even playing a hand in the machine. Jack Daniels actually plus right now for drinking. I'm minus at the moment. However, 
I'm, yeah, I'm probably even for the fact that uh, a drink was like $11, and I've had three for 20 So, obviously, I'm plus EV, but Jack Daniels is actually ahead on the night. I think he's like plus $6 with like four hey, free drinks. I gave Obama a nice tip. He gave me $3. It's too bad he didn't come a few so, years ago. It, it's only a few years ago that they started to clamp down on this, like maybe two years ago, and they and they started introducing these red light, green light systems and other stuff to make exactly sure you're really playing. That. And do you want it? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Now go ahead. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I put my money in a machine and the green light wouldn't go on. I had to play so many hands. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's not about money. They don't care about money in the machine. They care about how much you play, and that's when the green light comes on. Exactly. But now we had one bartender who was like, oh, just play a hand. You'll be good. And then he went away. Yeah, he just told us to put our card in the machine, and then he went away, and the next guy was like, oh, I need to see the light on. (laughs) And, and, And it was insane. And then, by the way, a guy from Brooklyn walked up and refused to pay for a $10 drink. And Jack Daniels was telling him, oh, just put money in the machine and play one hand, you'll get a drink. And he wouldn't do it. <laughs> and he just walked away. And he just walked away. Well, you know what? It's too bad that Vegas, uh, which was once a longstanding situation where you could slow, slow play video poker and get a lot of drinks. Now you can't anymore. Well... Yeah, you can slow play video poker, but me and Michael yesterday, we were slow, or two days ago, we were slow playing a penny slot machine and getting drinks. So it really depends on where you are. Well, that's another, that's, if you that's are true. Out in the slot machine area, most likely the wages are going to care. But if you're sitting at that bar. Jack Daniels is just Yeah, he's he's really, really drunk. But you're right, though. In in the main casino area, when you're away from the bars, the the waitresses not only don't they ask if they don't ask if you're playing, and they also don't even know because there's no indicator for that. The only way they can see is at these bars where they have those red and green lights. Yes, and like I, I like kept I like kept hitting this button. I'm betting max credits. And I'll be honest with everybody, I'm really dumb at video poker, and I probably lost, like, five hands that I shouldn't have because I kept hitting the wrong button. But it, my, my light wouldn't go on. I told the guy, I was like, what's going on here, man? Well, what's going on here? And we figured out that if you cash out and then put your money back in the machine without your card, without your card, the light will go on again. And it won't, it won't tell you, it won't, like, make you, like, play more. You'll just think you're another person. Well, that's interesting because I would think it's just a, a, a certain amount you have to earn, and that's going to be the same whether you're a new player or an no, existing no, player no. just earned this, it. This guy told us, just play a couple hands, and as soon as the light goes on, I'll serve you a drink. Uh, so this is interesting. And he totally did that. What, what, it's, what it sounds like here is I, that – I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. It sounds like to me that – a new player who just sits down doesn't have to play that much to earn the first drink, but then to earn the second drink, you have to play a lot more, and then you can trick it by pulling the card and appearing to be a different player, and then and then reinserting it after you get the next drink and and appearing to be coming back. So I, I wonder if that's... That is totally how it works. Hmm. However, you have to cash out your voucher and then reinsert the voucher into the machine. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what we were doing. We were just pulling out our voucher and putting them back in. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I'm glad you guys have figured some of these things out. Maybe I'll even uh, post this for people who want to know. So, okay, uh, guys. Well, we tried. Guys, well, you know, have have fun here tonight. I'm going to go on with, with stuff on the agenda here. Uh, ha- yeah. have, have fun well, tonight we're here. we're trying to find Drexel. He's around here somewhere. He's going to be No, no, no. He, he's, he's, I think he's eating right now. Find Drexel? Well, he's eating right now. He just called in before you, and he's with another Larry who, who he knows. He is with Leapin' Larry. Yes. And he's been Larry, who I met last night, is amazing. Amazing. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad, Larry. I'm glad you're having a good time here with. Uh, and yeah. you, you. Uh, by the way, I was about to talk about you anyway. You, you played uh, one event that you were bought in by C Money. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, and you, you were the only one so far of the people staked by Poker Fraud Alert members to get to a dinner break. That is true. And now, now, I'll admit that's not the best showing. However, I really did not have much to work with. Well, and he got his – talk about getting your money in good. He got his money in with top pair and a straight flush draw, and, and it didn't win. <laughs> like, no, how- no, not just that draw, but I had an over pair to the two pair – or an over card to make two pair to the guy I was against. So I had – so many outs. Yeah, he, has, he had so many outs. and I mean, usually when you're short and you get all in, you're just happy to have any kind of pair. Here he had top pair and a straight flush draw, and also the, you know, he's up against someone with two pair, apparently, and if he made, he would have made a better two pair and, and would have uh, done that. So there are a lot of different ways, so many different ways he could have won this and and did not. So that's that's heartbreaking. When you when you see that and get your money and you go, oh my god, this is a dream situation to get my money in like this, and nope, <laughs> you lose. Oh, oh, well, okay, let me... Can I, like, really quickly tell what happened? I mean, I can totally tell what happened. Yeah. I was in the big blind with Jack-10 suited, okay? And I have about, like, I don't know, like, 5,000 left. Right before this happened, I shoved in with Ace High because I came back from the dinner break with only 7,500, right? And I, the first Ace High I saw, I shoved in, and I lost to a coin flip. I'm only left with, I'm only left with like, 5,500, right? Like, the guy who called my all-in didn't have had less than me. And then two hands later in the big blind, it's, it's what, 25500 okay? And I have Jack-10 suited, and the guy up front, who, by the way, was eating anchovies next to me. It was insane. The guy pulled out anchovies and was eating them. It was, I can't believe it. And he, uh, uh, you know, he called it off, and then, and, 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 you know, oh, I'm sorry. That guy, same guy, made it a thousand to go, a thousand to go, right from up front. So when it gets back to me, there's only one other caller, five hundred more with Jack Ten suited, and I've got ten big lines. You're not going to call there, Druff? No, you're correct. Call that for sure. The only thing, the only thing I'm questioning, and then I, the only thing I'm questioning before that is I've decided over the years that unless I'm really short. I don't like the shove with uh, with ace high uh, pre flop. I agree with you, but I was coming back from the break. I mean, I was asking you know people who I know that play a lot of tournaments, and they were like, "Listen," and even C and even C Money himself was like, "Listen, you got to find a spot. You're doing great." And I feel like I found a spot. I mean, listen, I play a lot of cash games. I'll be honest; I don't play a lot of tournaments. But poker is poker, right, Drop? Okay. Yeah, um, I just 
Chad Daniels going to get smoked. I, mean, I did this. I, I used to do this myself. I used to do this myself when I'd start getting short. I mean, like like, like fairly short. And I'd come up with you know, Ace Four suited under the gun, and I go, I got I got to shove with this. The problem was that uh, when you get called, it, you're you always have three outs. <laughs> so so that's not very good. Well, yes, that is true. It's very true. But listen, you're coming back with fifteen big blinds. What can you do? What can I do? There were there were multiple spots before dinner where I flopped sets, could not get my money in. I had aces in the big blinds, the button raised, the small blind three bet. I shoved. He didn't call. And these are spots where you're supposed to double up in the middle, in the early stages of a tournament, and then you coast. You don't get those spots. You don't. You don't make it. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. No, I agree. In tournaments, this can happen sometimes where you just can't get action. When you do have yeah. hands, or or you just don't win hands, and you just get short, and there's nothing you can do about it, and then you, you can't. Win. I can do. I can't rebuy. Yeah, I can't add to my stack. No, I know. I, I just I just have decided, and I used to do this too, but I, I decided over the years from both my own results and just thinking about it that that I would actually rather shove with something that uh, not only could could draw, but that uh, may the pair may even be good. Where we're like, let, let's say I shove with with. Uh, Eight nine suit or nine ten suit. Those aren't great either because they can't win on their own without without help. But but at least there, no, the drawing hand. At, at least there, if you're if you just got one person calling you, let's say ace king calls you, ace queen calls you. Well, okay, you're not in that bad a shape. You're 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 a dog, but not a huge dog. The only way you're really screwed is the sure. pocket tens, pocket jacks. Those things call you, then you're in trouble. But uh, but but at least with that, uh, that's a hand that's not that likely to. Be really crushed. Like for example, the very worst hand to have against aces is ace king, which which people sometimes don't really think about. I mean, yes, when you have ace king, someone that has aces against you, you go, oh, "Crap, I, I don't like this." But but if you really think about it, the absolute worst to ha- hand to have, or, or if, if it's not absolute worst, it's closed. It may not be very worst. Maybe like ace six is worse. But I, I think one of the worst ones you can have against aces is ace king. What would you want against aces? What we'd actually like, if, if you have to be against aces and you can't have the other aces, I, I think the best thing you can have is six seven suited. So that so so that's that's something to think about when you're shoving. And that's something I think about. It, it it seems counterintuitive. Why would I want to shove with something that needs to hit in order to in, in order to win? As if you, but if you're going to be against a premium hand, you actually may want something that doesn't match up with that hand, so at least you have various ways to win. You can make what that hand would draw to, you can make just a pair, if, if they don't have a pair they're calling you with, things like that. So that, that's that, that's so I started to dislike the shoving with the ace-fort suited type things. That that I, I started to want to play these hands more like uh, like you're drawing for the, for like the ace-fort suited to, to just call, to flat with it if you have chips, and then and then be able to draw at the flush or the straight. So that that's that's been my approach in recent times, but uh, anyway. But as far as the jack as far as the jack ten hand, that sounds totally standard. To be honest, that, uh, I don't think there's a, a thing you did there that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I'm short. It's only five hundred dollars more. It's seventy five dollar antes, right? There's so much money in the middle. I have jack ten suited. I'm short. What can I do there? No, he's not. What can I do, Josh? Right? And then I see a dream flop. 
that guy should have turned over aces, and I would have been happy. Well, that's the other thing with Jack. Even up against that two pair drop, it's still like a fourteen out draw. No, I know, I know. No, that was that was just one. That was just one where the cards over pair to two pair. The the cards just didn't fall for you on that one. That 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 one was standard. That one they didn't. That that one was standard. That one you you should have gotten it in. I would have gotten it in. I would not only would I have gotten it in, I would have been thrilled to get it in. So that that's fine. No, when the guy said he calls, a fucking smile on my face happened because I didn't care what he had. I have. So many outs here. I'll take it. Right. Because I could be getting my money in as a coin flip. I don't even think I'm a coin flip there after the flop. To be honest with you. No, I know. Sometimes when you're short, sometimes when you're short, you've got to go all in with middle pair or bottom pair. So, so uh, anyway, uh, Larry, th- thank you for calling. We're going to move on with with the show here. But uh, you know, if you if you find yeah, yeah. me and Jack Daniels are going to go explore this house. Okay, very good. We're going to go gamble on pools. Okay, very good. Don't lose too much money, though. Very good. Thank you, Druff. All right. And good I'll night. talk to you soon, right? All right. Good night. Wait, can, can Jack Daniels... All right. I'll put him on one more time, one more time really here. Okay. Okay. One more time. All right. Here he comes. Hey, Todd. Hello. Ken and Nigel Fabersham here. Are you ready? Huh? Yeah, this is Ken and Nigel Fabersham. How are you? You know, this is all right. Your sister is your mother. Your brother is your father. Your dirty inbred bastard. They're Todd, your family. Have you gone mad? Have you gone mad? What the devil are you saying to me? I, I don't, I, I don't understand any of this. It's something about the Adams family, but the Todger family, and he, he hangs up the phone. That's, that's a bunch of bollocks, in my opinion. He's, he's being shameful. He's being shameful and dreadful, and he's not representing those from England well at all. Not at all. All right, let's move on here. Let's check out the chat room. Here, while, while we're uh, here, this is this is what's being said at uh, by Saw Twenty Four. He doesn't agree with me. He says you can take nine ten suited. I'll take Ace Four. We can run one K boards. Deal. Well, the, I don't mean nine K. I don't mean nine ten suited against Ace Four. I agree. If you picked one of the two. If we have to do, have those two against each other and run it a thousand times, of course I'm going to want the ace four. The problem is, and this this is my opinion here, okay? And this this is what I think from my tournament play and just from thinking about it. That you can't just think about what your hand is. You have to think if you shove with any reasonable stack. Reasonable means not so tiny that anyone's going to call you, but like something where most will fold unless they've got a decent hand. What hand is likely to call you? And that's the important thing, what you're going to be up against. And what I hate about Ace-4 suited is you shove it, and you know, let's say you shove uh, 5K, and then the blinds are 250-500. Well, you're, you're not going to get a lot of people calling 5K. You're going to even have people with, with King-Queen folding there a, a lot of times. Not all the time, but a lot of times. So what's going to call the 5K there? Uh, Ace-Queen, Ace-King, Ace-Jack... Pocket pairs. That's what's going to call you. And what happens? Well, you're you're down to three outs every single time. Maybe you'll look out once in a while and you'll get called by uh, threes, twos, or king-queen. But the rest of the time, you're going to be called by a hand that's crushing you. Whereas 9-10, it's going to get those same hands calling you. But there you have a reasonable chance against them. You're not a favorite. But I'd much rather have 9-10 against ace-queen than ace-four against ace-queen. 
So that's my problem. I'd rather have nine ten against uh, against sixes than ace four against sixes. So that's how I look at it. Who's going to be likely to call you? Not just uh, which hand is is uh, of those two is better heads up against each other because nine ten is not going to call a five k shove unless the person doesn't know what they're doing. Um, disposition is saying ace four does better against jack than six seven suited. I, I don't love six seven suited that much. I was saying against aces that's the best thing, but of course aces is just one hand. It's not likely aces what is what's calling you. But um, the thing is, it's not just jacks you're up against. It's all those ace hands. A lot of big ace hands likes to call you there. Ace jack, ace queen, ace king. You get a lot of calls from those. Like you're usually getting called from those, especially ace queen, ace king. If you're shoving pre-flop when you're short, and it's a disaster to have ace four. In fact, you just think, what's going to call you with ace four, where you're anything but three outs, and with nine ten, now that you're sometimes called by lower pairs where you're racing, but uh, you also are not screwed against the ace queen, ace king, ace jack. I think there's there's only the, really the only things you absolutely hate seeing when you've shoved the nine ten short and get called are nines and up as far as pocket pairs. So. There's a lot of other hands that will be calling you that are not nines and up. So that, that, that's my opinion on it. And I, I used to... I used to shove in the ace four suited when I was short. Now, if I'm very short, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the ace four suited. Because it's either that or trash. Because you're going to get blinded down and it's... You know, you've got to make the move with the ace four suited or you're, you're going to be gone. But... Uh, When I'm not super, super short and just looking for some hand I can go in with, I don't like the ace four. Now, all am I late position? Yes. Then I'm shoving it in for sure. I'm talking about like under the gun. And of course, the difference being that uh, there's a lot fewer hands that, that uh, are left to possibly call you, and the chance that they have a premium hand behind you is much lower. So the, so the, you have a, a better shot at that point to just take down the blinds is what we're really looking to do. So uh, there I would shove both the 9-10 suited and the ace-4. And if you happen to run into a big hand, then so be it. There's no question. And he's saying, you know, try poker stove, learn math. This is not about math because I'm talking about... you. There is... You have to look at what hands are likely to call you. And then look at the math. Otherwise, uh, if, if you run ace-4 versus uh, just various hands that wouldn't be calling you and say, oh, look how much better it does than 9-10, well, because those hands aren't going to call you, it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> Snake in the Ass is saying, sorry, uh, but Druff is right, I'm with the Jew on this one. Well, thank you, Snake in the Ass. How often do we ever talk about strategy on this show? It doesn't happen much. You, you know what's funny? I had the reverse argument before. 
I had the reverse argument before where I shoved I, – I had just hit the money on a no-limit event at the World Series. This is probably about four years ago. I had just hit the money, and I got Ace – I think it was it was Ace 4 suited under the gun, and I shoved it in. And I got called by Ace Jack, and I lost. And at the time, I'm like, well, what can I do? I had short. I had Ace 4 suited. I decided to shove. I happened to run into Ace Jack. What can I do? And people said, no, 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 that's terrible. <laughs> people started going off on me about how you don't do that. You know, I, that I wasn't short enough to do that. And, uh, and I had a lot of people criticizing that. And I said, well, let me think about it. Go, oh, you know what? I think they're right. I, because as soon as I would get called by the H4, I'd always think, ah, crap, I'm screwed. Like that was my first thought because I, I know, like, I'm like, what could have called me that's going to, I'm going to have any kind of reasonable chance against So, anyway, there's a debate in the chat room about it. Like, there's, <laughs> there's some people on my side, some people against me on this one. Well, look, if you play with me on Friday at the 1500 event, and I'm short and I, I shove under the gun, just know I won't have Ace-4 suited. Unless I'm really short, then I may have Ace-4 suited. But uh, that's a tip. That is a tip. It was much like today when I when I busted in the 3K event against Yuha Helpy, and he was in the big, I was in the small, he had A7 off. So I raised, and after he called the raise, there, you know, like I, I was pot committed with how much I had left, and I, you know, with A7 high with any board, I have to put the rest in. So I, I said, here's a hot tip for you: no matter what the board comes, I'm going all in. So. uh Anyway, you guys know now. I've got Nikki in the chat supporting me. She's backing me on this one. So, anyway, you, you guys just heard from Larry. And he got to play a 1500 event courtesy of C-Money. One Step played a $1,000 event courtesy of... Handicap me, Simp Dog, and Hockey Guy, who all contributed $150 towards the event, and then he contributed 550 to play a 1K event. I was actually the one who supervised that buy-in, the one-step buy-in. Uh, Brandon has been really doing the Lord's work here as far as getting these people bought in. Because C-Money, has, he's been contributing to it financially. He's been the one who's been giving most of the money for these stakes. And I mean, he's given thousands of dollars here, and that's amazingly generous. However, he also needs someone to supervise the buy-ins. You, know, you don't just go send money to a stranger on the internet, even if it's someone you know from the forum. But you don't just send the money and say, "Oh, here, you know, go sign up for the World Series with it. We'll just trust you." <laughs> so, so see, money's like, look, I, I, I want to at least have a hundred percent assurance that. These people are going to really play with the money and not lose it in some other way. Even if they don't intentionally try to screw you, if they just kind of get drunk and shoot off the money or whatever. Anyway, this type of thing happens all the time. So it was no offense against any of the people who were being staked, or otherwise C-Money wouldn't have done it. But C-Money, at least if he was going to put these people in, several of whom have never played a World Series event before, including Larry Laffer, and some of whom, to be honest, just don't have very much money to their name. And that's the reason they don't play the World Series. So for these people, it's a great opportunity to play 
a bracelet World Series event, and not even like this BS three hundred sixty five dollars giant crap, but like a fifteen hundred buy in World Series event with no risk. I mean, that, that's that's great to do that. And he put them in, not even based upon poker skill. He didn't even know. He didn't know how good they were at poker. He just put them in to be nice, just because you know, he he held held various little contests. Sometimes he just would volunteer to stake someone specifically, but he just wanted to make sure that they really were in the event and that they were really going to play it. Because there's all kinds of tricks you can pull. You can you can go register, and then before the event starts, you can go unregister and get a full refund. So the only way to ensure that somebody that you are buying in is really playing is to go with them, not just to buy in, but to go with them and watch them play at least one hand. Because once you play one hand... You are not allowed to get a refund for obvious reasons. So that's all you have to see is the person play one hand, and then if they were to go and say, hey, I want a refund, the floor would say F you. And rightfully so. So uh, I did that for one step. I met with him. And uh, one step believes I sent him to the wrong place. I told him to go to the tournament area, and I kept describing it, and I talked about the go to the Diamond uh, VIP room. I think it said the registration room. Well, he took that to mean the Diamond registration room for the hotel. So he showed up there. I'm sitting in front of the Diamond registration room for the World Series. They're completely on the opposite sides of the Rio. <laughs> it took a while to understand what was going on. But finally, he, he realized what was going on, blamed me, and came over. And, you know, one step was, was pleasant. The only, the only thing... He seemed mostly normal in person. The only thing One Step did was uh, he asked me if if I think it'll be okay during this bracelet event he was playing to hire a a twink to, uh, what was it, massage him in some way. I forgot the way he described it. Massage him in some way that would have been inappropriate for uh, the World Series of Poker. I forgot if it, I forgot even what it was. I'm not even going to try to recreate it. I forgot what he said, but something about a twink massaging him in some way that it wasn't like like it wasn't like something like involving his dick or anything, but it involved something that would not have gone over. He wasn't being serious, but I'm like, come on, one step. You're bringing up twinks now to me. <laughs> I understand the stick on the forum, but that's like we're together for like. Five ten minutes. If he's, he's already got to talk about twinks, he also said he's going to shout "Todd is God" over and over if I make the final table at the event that I was going to be playing. So I met one step. I brought him into the seven stars room or the the seven stars section of the diamond uh, registration area. So he got to, even though we were late, he got to buy in right away. Uh, he did start with a full stack, so that was no problem. He didn't get any chips blinded off. And he was only like uh, eight minutes late or something. So it, it's meaningless. You miss, you miss the first eight minutes of a tournament of the first level, and you haven't lost anything out of your stack because you start with a full stack. It's, it's just pretty much the same as starting right on time. So he didn't make dinner, though. And Michael, he played the PLO8 1500 event, which I would have played if I was around. I just I just had to take a break. I saw it. I was like, I'd like you know, I'd play this one if I were here, but I got to take a break. But I think next year I'm going to try, I'm going to try because, and I'll get to this shortly about the 
rise in interest in Omaha variants. There's a lot more people wanting to play these Omaha events than there were before. There's more and more interest, including from people who aren't very good at it. So I think next year I'll make more of an effort to play the PLO 8 1500 event. Anyway, Michael played that. Uh, He did not make the dinner break. Daly played a no-limit event, and we talked about this in the last show. This is uh, two weeks ago. He played a no-limit event and did not run well. I saw him during the $1,500 Limit Hold'em event I was playing. He didn't play that. He was playing the... uh, He was actually offered to play that, and he ended up playing a a no-limit event, I I believe. But he didn't make the dinner break. And Larry was the last one. And Larry made the dinner break. And then he had that Jack-10 hand. And by the way, I I don't want to come off as too hard on Larry. Because Larry... Um, as you see, there's there's debate about that ace, whatever. He didn't say it was ace four, but he said it's a, a, you know ace high hand, whatever it was, ace something. He got he went in with and got called and lost. So there's some people in, in the chat room who think that's fine, and some who didn't. But uh, yeah, it's not a horrible play. It's just one I decided I'm not going to make anymore. And the jack ten hand was very simple. I mean, that one basically uh, he had to see it against two opponents for five hundred more when he was in for the big blind for five hundred. So that's obvious, and then he gets that monster flop, and you know you can't get the money in fast enough when that happens. So, that, so anyway, he made the dinner break. You don't get any prize for that, but he did. He made it the farthest of the one staked by C Money, Handicap Me, Simp Dog, Hockey Guy. So, the sad thing is, between those guys and me and Brandon, the total caches on Poker Fraud Alert this year are. Zero point zero. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. That's that's where it stands right now. <laughs> I, th- I think collectively we're like like over fifteen, something horrendous. So ha- hasn't been a good World Series for, for poker fraud alert. <sighs> Frustrating. Well, uh Michael He's a, uh, a beloved figure. He's been on these uh, forums for a long time. He goes way back to Never Win Poker. Larry came more recently. I think Larry came around like last year or the end of 2015, something like that. So Larry, a lot of bad reaction to him for a long time. I had people begging me to ban him. and Finally, from this whole thing, from his trip out to Vegas, where people got to finally see pictures of him, now people like Larry. Larry now, he still has his critics, but there's a lot of people who now like him that didn't before. So Larry, it's, he's starting to become uh, much more liked on Poker Fraud Alert. He even has positive rep on the forum. Michael has been liked for a very long time, but believe it or not, Michael also started out to heavy criticism when he showed up on Never Win Poker about like 10 years ago. In fact, people were sure he was a dupe. People didn't think he was real. Some people thought he was annoying. A lot of people didn't like Michael. And I said, number one, Michael's real, and number two, I, I like him. But People got used to Michael, then people got to like Michael, then people really like Michael now. And that's been that way for a long time. So sometimes there's just like an initiation process you got to get through. <laughs> Some people are liked right away, and others, others uh, grade on people's nerves at first, and then some of them eventually integrate into the community and are liked. So Larry is starting to make that transition. And I'm happy to see that, because I always like Larry. But Michael... 
Uh, he's been since his return to the forum. And he was on the forum. He registered an account fairly early, but he didn't use it very actively until last few months. But he has been talking about. Uh, he, he's basically he's single, and he's been making a lot of effort to hook up with a lot of different women. And he's come up with his own schemes and, and ways to do that. And, uh, you know, he's come down with a routine that he feels works. And uh, Michael's not even as young as as, you know, as he once was. You know, anyone who was around back in the day on Never Won Poker, even the ones who were young back then, aren't that young anymore. Uh, I'm not going to reveal Michael's age. I know it because he sent me his ID as part of the whole process to uh, get him that stake. So I have his exact age. I won't say what it is, but yeah, he's not that young. Younger than me, but he's not that young. But Michael was posting some various stories about women that, that he was meeting, uh, mostly around in his area in, in Florida. So I did wonder, with Michael being here for a while in Vegas, was he going to make the magic happen here? Was Michael going to get some action away from the poker table? And not action he'd pay for. Because if you just go hire a hooker, that's not the same thing. I mean, anybody who has the money can do that. But can you actually mention... Or can you actually make it happen yourself? So this is what he wrote on the forum. He posted this on June 26th. Yes, I got laid in Vegas. I take the mindset that sex is not a big deal. It's like a Zen thing where when you don't care too much but still take action, things happen. But I won't lie. In the back of my mind, I kind of wonder if it would happen. That's like a Vegas thing, right? So, see, Michael was thinking, look, I'm getting laid a lot here in, in Florida, but, you know, here I'm coming to Vegas. And everyone thinks about going to Vegas and having sex you know, with some stranger. Like, not, not everyone, but yeah, a lot of people think that. A lot of single people come out and think that. A lot of married people come out and think that, too. So, so uh, he's thinking, you know, how do I come to Vegas and since, spend some time there and not make that happen? So he says, you know, I care, but I didn't care. So he says, um, so I get some vodka tonics at the casino and tell the girl I'll meet her at whatever nightclub across from Bally's is. Get there and it seems pretty fun, your typical nightclub, but uh, ten times a thousand. I don't know what he means by that. But now, now, the girl he's talking about, uh, he mentioned in a previous post. He said, uh, I've texted and talked to a lot of girls in the last few years while trying to get good at this girl's thing. It feels on. Maybe it turns out she's down for rough stuff, but not a prerequisite. Vanilla sex is fine, too. It's Vegas, it's her 21st birthday, she wants to fuck a dude to make the experience, and she built up some comfort making out and talking with me last night, so I'm the most comfortable pick. Also agreed to meet up at her room and her friends like me. So, I, I hope Cal Watt's kids aren't hearing this. I know he has it on speaker. I, I apologize, Cal Watt, as you're waiting out the monsoon if this obscene material is coming on, but I, I hope you had the sense to turn it off once you uh, heard the subject matter. So, th- this is really your fault if you left it on. I, I'm not even going to take responsibility here. I, I, I was introducing this segment. It's clear where I was going. If you still have it on at this point and your kids are hearing, it's your fault. I take no responsibility for this one. So we're back to this. We're talking about you know that girl he mentioned there that uh, 
having their 21st birthday. They want to have sex with someone that you know Michael seemed the most comfortable to do it with for whatever reason. Uh, so this he's meeting her at the Bally's nightclub. He said, see her and her friend standing and walk behind her and smack her ass. And remember, he had already made out with her the previous night. This wasn't a stranger. LOL, she gets startled, turns around, and then smiles and laughs and we kiss. Our chemistry was really good. I'm always attracted to artsy chicks, and sure enough, she was an artist. Also, she watches anime and goes to comic conventions. She allowed me, she showed me pics of her in a costume. You know what? I'm just going to throw on a side here. I, I've never done well with the RT t- chicks. Never. That's just... I, you might be able to picture that, too, for just knowing my personality. It, ju- it just... Uh, we just don't seem to click. Like, personality-wise, we don't seem to click. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I, I guess Michael likes that, and he manages to click with that type and, and also the type that watch anime and go to comic adventures like also the like the geek type of chicks you you would think that 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 would be a type i'm into but i usually not usually i kind of find them annoying usually i i find that they actually have like some kind of arrogance like oh i'm into the stuff that mostly guys are into so therefore uh all the guys want me i i i f- run into a number of girls over the years who are nothing special at all that really think they are just because they're into that stuff. Kind of the same thing happens with some girls in poker, too. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a similar situation. Anyway, let's get back to Michael. Let's not spoil this and talk about me. He says, We just danced around, grinded, grabbed her throat a couple of times, and made out, and her friend was having a good time, too. Grabbed her throat? In public, of all things. She starts whispering to her friend and then says, we are leaving. Get an Uber to her hotel at Circus Circus. <laughs> she said, Circus Circus, jeez. Uh, now she had told me earlier that this had to be somewhat quick because besides her one friend, she had her two other lesbian friends in the room. What the hell? They'd go smoke while we did our things. I don't know if it's smoking pot or smoking cigarettes, but... For some reason, she's rooming with lesbians, and she must not be lesbian herself because she's messing around with Michael. But she's got two lesbians in the room, and, and they were going to go leave while she and Michael had sex. She pounds the door and yells, Stop fucking, we're here, and we go in. LOL, two naked lesbians are in the bed, one covered up and looking sleepy as fuck. They all start talking about how Vegas is going to kill them and they need to get out of this town. Oh, and when we opened the door, one of them said, Is the guy here? This tells me she was down for this the whole time. It wasn't a matter of winning her over or anything. It was just not fucking it up. So, you know, so what he's saying here is, uh, since she already told the lesbians, Hey, I'm going to bring a guy here, so get ready to vacate as soon as I come, that she'd already decided this is going to happen. That it wasn't that he had to put a lot of effort. He had to just not mess it up. So they all sleepily get dressed and say they're going to smoke. The one friend says, Have fun. Wear a condom. Love ya. Really cool and sweet friends. The sex was off was awesome. A lot, lot of slapping, spanking, choking, and she was loving it. She wore me out. My legs and arms were shaking when I walked out. I went ahead and did the cuddle thing after and talked sweet, and she was extremely happy and smiley. I figured she doesn't stay in my city. I'll never see her again, so it was okay to let my guard down and just be sweet to her after. 
We took longer than we were supposed to because her room her roommates had called her a few times, but she had her ringer off. They came up and I told them thanks. The girl walked me to the elevator and she said she never expected to fuck a random dude in Vegas. Well, it kind of sounded like she did. <laughs> Isn't that the whole reason she she was with you there? We laughed about how good we were and high-fived. LOL, because come to find out, she's pretty much a dork like me. Oh, when I got back to Bally's, I went to Sbarro to get a, a slice of pizza. Two hot, hot girls who were fucking lit came up and asked for a cigarette. I asked the essays working if I should. You know, like, hey, essay, what's up, Holmes? That type of essay. Not, not an essay you write. They said, I don't know, Vato. They're pretty, pretty lit. He didn't really say Vato, though. So I guess he threw the Vato in. <laughs> Why write that if that's not what happened? Uh, I'm still in daddy mode and feeling playful and say, if you give daddy a kiss. This is, of course, these, these two hot girls that Sparrow, not the one he just had sex with. I expect a regular peck, but she starts making out with me. haha. Then they stumble off. If I didn't feel like I just ran a marathon and had sex, I would have tried something. But I'm exhausted. And it seemed like a good way to end the night. The Vato looks at me and we both start laughing. He says, that's what's up, man. This has been the greatest fucking trip ever. Thanks again. I love all you guys. <laughs> That's what happened for Michael. He was lucky enough to run into a 21-year-old girl who wanted to have sex on her 21, 21st birthday weekend and didn't mind doing it with someone who was substantially older than she was. I don't know if he told his true age to her, though. Mike, Michael's someone, he, it's hard to tell how old he is, and he probably does look younger than he really is. So he could probably uh, either convince you he's younger or you just assume he is if you don't ask. So maybe that helped him. But good job. Good job. He got a lot of green reps on the forum, which you know, people do when they like a post. They give it a green rep, and then they can write a comment. Or if they don't like a post, they can give it a red rep and also write a comment. A green rep will give you plus one reputation points, and a red rep will give you minus one. But he got tons of green rep on that one. So I guess Michael got action, even if he didn't get much at the PLO8 event. I will tell you, I've I've never once had any sexual encounters with girls that I just randomly met around Vegas. Now, some of it was the fact that once I was an adult, most of the time I came to Vegas, I was with a girl already. So I'm not counting that. I mean, yes, I've had sex with girls while visiting Vegas, but, but always girls I was already with, or in one case, uh, a girl I was going to meet who lived in Vegas. But that, we're not talking about that. We're talking about just you meet some random out there. I've, I've never had that before. I know some guys who've had that before who don't even, like, do that very often. Like, guys who, who rarely have sex, and if they do, it's like someone they meet online from a dating site. Like a, but they've managed it in Vegas. Kind of just fell in their lap. But uh, never happened for me. I've dated and had encounters with girls who lived in Vegas, but most of the time that's when I lived in Vegas myself and met them through some other means. So, Anyway, good job, Michael.
And it's happened. It has happened. I knew it would happen. It always happens. I lost my agenda. <laughs> Every sing- I, I can't go one show where I don't lose the agenda. By the way, we also lost Cal Watt a while ago. That's why you haven't heard from him. So. Anyway. Let's get to the next uh, World Series topic. But I, I do, before I go, I, I want to praise C-Money, especially. But also Handicap Me, who I believe is putting Larry in, uh, in one more tournament. In fact, I have to hand the money to Larry. I want to see him tomorrow. I, I saw Larry briefly at the 3K event. He came up to me during happier times. I had a big stack yesterday when he came up. That's like right around when I was chip leader. But you know, handicap me, simp dog, hockey guy, and especially see money for donating to these guys to really have their World Series dream and get to play. And uh, then there were the hotel rooms that were donated by I Am Greek that were given away on the show that were utilized by Larry and One Step. And then there's Brandon, who took so much time to do... You know what? Brandon didn't just meet them and make sure they bought in and made sure they played. He hung out with all these people. He, he took them around Vegas. I mean, he, he was a very, very gracious host. He, he really helped these guys actually have a good time in Vegas beyond just the poker play. And he did not help Michael get laid. But everybody had a good time with Brandon, and Brandon even uh, organized a dinner where a lot of people went, some of whom were getting these steaks, some of whom were not. So, very nice of him. Brandon really helped a lot of people this summer have a memorable trip to Vegas, just because they were on the forum and he wanted to help enable this. Same thing with C-Money. He enabled it financially. Brandon enabled it uh, with his time. And then there were the other donors who also enabled some of this financially. So I, I think that's amazing that we have so many people who are willing to give their money to complete strangers like this so they can enjoy themselves. Especially ones, you know, there's some people on the forum who are extremely successful like C-Money. And there's some who... Uh, don't have very much. There's some who, who really just getting by and, and playing a, a 1500 buy-in World Series event. They, they That's not likely to happen for them. So that was great. So I'm going to talk about Phil Helmuth. Now I mentioned last week, or two weeks ago, that I confronted Phil Helmuth at the table. Not about UB. I mean, I eventually got to UB, but I was a I didn't really confront him. I, 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 I made a rule call on him. I had the floor rule something where he threw a chip in, and as he threw it, he just did a thumbs-up motion to mean raise, and I said, that's not necessarily a raise, a single chip and a thumbs-up. This is that limit hold him. And the floor ruled in my favor, and he was very mad, and we went back and forth after that. Now, before that, I had not heard that Phil Helmuth had any incidents with anybody at the World Series. 
He may have, and I didn't hear about it, but I hadn't heard it. In previous years, he hadn't been that bad. I hadn't heard many stories of Phil being obnoxious in recent years. So I kind of thought that was mostly behind him. I know he's kind of famous for that, but I thought that was mostly behind him. And this year, the first incident that I had heard of was the one with me. But you could say, okay, I, I, I kind of caused it by, even if I was in the right, I kind of caused it by calling for this ruling on that thumbs up thing. In fact, it, it was very mixed whether people thought I was right or wrong in that thumbs up thing. It turned out the tournament rules really backed me on this. But that aside, this wasn't me putting a beat on Phil Helmuth and him berating me. This was me calling the floor over when he meant to raise, but that his raising gesture I didn't think constituted an actual raise. And I've gone into all that last show, and I'm not going to do it again. But there's been others. One of them was at our table in that same event. I mentioned him before, but I've, I've since identified who the guy is. There's a guy on Twitter from Minnesota. His screen name is Luckbox Loki. That's L-O-K-I. Luckbox, exactly as it sounds, and Loki, L-O-K-I, all one word. And he lists himself as daddy, entrepreneur, CEO, musician, graphic designer, gambler, golfer, ex-pro footballer. He must be a pro soccer player at one point. Poker player and all-around Luckbox. Uh, he actually did live up to that name. He actually was quite lucky in that event for a while, but he, he his luck ran out and he busted on uh, day one. But he was at my table too. I didn't know who he was, and he's not anyone famous. But he put a bad beat on Phil Helmuth shortly after the thumbs up thing. Now, what I didn't know was that as the thumbs up thing was going on, Luckbox Loki was quietly on Phil's side. See, nobody spoke up at the table. People kind of made jokes about it, but no one spoke up about whose side they were on. No one. But Luckbox Loki was on Phil's side. In fact, he seemed a little bit starstruck by Phil. He tweeted to Phil Helmuth, kind of like right after me and Phil had the argument, at Phil Helmuth, don't waste your positive energy. (laughs) Don't waste your positive energy. He's tweeting that to Phil Helmuth. (laughs) Come on. Is Phil Helmuth known for his positive energy at the table? You can tell that's someone who hasn't been around poker long enough. Don't waste, don't waste your positive energy talking to people who lack respect for you or the integrity of the game. So, very very fanboyish comment there. And he's aiming that at, at me. He's not naming me. He didn't know. I don't think this guy knew who I was. But he, he basically saw like I was a jerk and he was telling Phil not to waste his positive energy talking to people who lack respect for you or the integrity of the game. But Luckbox Loki kind of got his because he was the one who then bad beat Helmuth about 20 minutes later. And what happened was Helmuth had pocket aces. Luckbox Loki had ace-queen suited. He raised the flop and then kept betting the whole way. Phil conservatively played it and called down, and then all Loki had was a gut shot draw and made and made it on the river. So Phil berated him there, and then berated him again when 
Loki uh, got uh, pocket kings and got a lot of money out of him on, on King Ten. So obviously he can't complain about how he played kings, but, but he said something to Loki like, you're the reason I play these events. So what Loki did at that point, right after this happened, is he took a screenshot of the tweet he wrote about me, about how you know, Phil shouldn't waste his time with positive energy, blah, 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 talking to people who lack respect. He screenshotted that tweet and then deleted it. And then posted a new tweet saying, deleted this tweet after my ace-queen of clubs beat his pocket aces, then my pocket king got max value versus his king ten. I believe he said, you're the reason I play these events. So he's basically saying, I made this supportive tweet about you, then you berated me just for my poker play. And that's why I deleted it. Basically, you don't deserve this tweet anymore, Phil. And I'm showing everybody. I'm showing everybody I wrote something positive to you, and then you abused me at the table, and I deleted it, and I'm showing everyone why I deleted it. So, Luckbox Loki learned a lesson very quickly about why I didn't, quote, respect Phil. Because he doesn't deserve it for both his table demeanor and for what he did with UB. How he promoted them all those years after the cheating scandal without a care in the world. But something happened after that. In fact, a number of things. There were a number of reports about Phil Helmuth bashing people. I don't have them all in front of me, but I kept seeing on Twitter people saying that Phil had berated them. And he was getting worse and worse, more and more obnoxious, and going on longer and longer every time he was bad beat. So on June 20th, eight days after my incident with him and with a number of Phil Helmuth blow-ups in between, Again, which we hadn't really seen in previous years, at least not recent years. Terrence Chan, in the 10K Limit Hold'em event, shortly after I busted, he was actually directly to my left, Terrence Chan. But he had moved tables after that. I think our table had broken after I was gone. He wrote this. Bucket list. Just bad beat Helmuth, and he called me a moronic motherfucker and berated me for 10 minutes. Even if I stone bubble now, it's okay. Well, Terrence didn't stone bubble. They paid 18 spots in this event. He finished 7th. But this is the same 10K event I played. I didn't play with Phil on that one. But he called Terrence a moronic motherfucker and berated him for 10 minutes. Now, the hand in question, uh, I guess, uh, Terrence described it as a loose call. But it was where the flop was ace-jack, low card. I think Terrence Chan had king-10. And called the flop, which is fine, with the gut shot, but then called the turn, which I wouldn't do. I don't think that's correct. And then the river, you guessed it, was a queen to make a straight. And he raised Phil, and Phil was outraged. (laughs) And... uh, showed a set of jacks that he flopped. And that's when he... Now, Phil's defense was that he didn't call Terrence a moronic mother motherfucker. He just said, these moronic motherfuckers, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then Phil actually tweeted something about... He didn't use profanity, but a, a quote, pro did such and such, and he described the hand, like I just told you. But he apparently berated Terrence for 10 minutes. And... 
this got a lot of attention, especially because Terrence has a, a fairly good following on Twitter. And he, from that tweet, people started retweeting it like crazy. And this, this got a lot of play. So Terrence said in a subsequent interview on Poker News, because Poker News even interviewed about him about this. He said that he's okay with it. You know, he's been around. He doesn't care. In fact, he thinks it's kind of amusing that Phil berated him, but that he doesn't like the fact that Phil does this because if Phil does this to amateurs, th- this is going to ruin the tournament for these amateurs, especially if they don't cash. That that basically these amateurs are here to have fun, and that if Phil does this to them, that they won't have fun. And it's totally true. I've said that before too. Is that Phil does not keep his berating of players to pros only who can take it. He he does this to amateur players who are sometimes dead money. Sometimes if they're not dead money, still you know pretty likely to lose. And it really takes away their enjoyment, and they're not going to want to come back. And I I watched someone who was at least a semi amateur in this luckbox Loki get berated. And, and Phil even said, it's people like you for the reason I play. So, Terrence didn't like that, and he said that, uh, you know, he doesn't mind that he was berated, but he just doesn't, li- doesn't like the fact that Phil does that. He thinks it's wrong. And I agree. So, I'm glad Phil got called out on this. I'm glad that this got a lot of attention. Especially the way he wrote it about bucket list. Bucket list. Even if I bubble this event, it's okay because I got Phil to berate me. So Terrence is like saying he kind of enjoyed it in a way, just because he's always wondered if it's ever going to happen to him, and it did. Phil also cashed in that event. He didn't get as far as Terrence did, but Phil also cashed in that event. Who won that event? That would be uh, limit specialist Joe McKeon. I'm not kidding. Joe McKeon somehow won limit hold'em the, the 10k championship event. <laughs> Shows you how important run good is In these limit events You really can just hit everything And then just win <laughs> So uh, McKeon actually made it deep in the 3k so Maybe he's not a bad limit player I've never played with him before So I, I, should, I shouldn't mock him too much Maybe he is uh a decent limit hold'em player, at least in a tournament setting. So, anyway, uh, Phil's been more obnoxious than usual, and I don't know why. But I, I wonder if I was the catalyst to this. I wonder if me calling that floor ruling on him and them ruling in my favor, and then him taking subsequent bad beats, I wonder if that just triggered him. I hate using that word, but I wonder if that triggered him to just be in a, a perpetual bad mood in these events. Just it just set him off to where now any bad beat he takes, he can't hold himself back. I wonder if I started the whole thing. I hadn't heard of any of this until I did it. Until until I called him on that thumbs up thing. That was the beginning, and then there were so many incidents of him berating people. The funny thing is, since what happened here? There we go. Uh, since Terrence called him out. I don't think he's berated anyone. So maybe he's ashamed. Trey Risky, hello. What's happening, Josh? So where are you right now? I'm driving from Bellagio to go meet Brandon. 
You're always driving. It's just it's constant driving with you. I know, right? So, you got like I should be an Uber driver. Somebody. Yeah, you should be. Maybe, money maybe that's. I was going to say maybe that's uh, the career choice you've left behind uh, unwisely, but so. so you're going to meet up with Brandon. It seems like a lot of people are trying to look for Brandon tonight. Larry Laffer, I know who he met you, and uh, Jack Daniels were, were attempting to find Brandon, but I, I don't know if they did. Jack Daniels is really, really, really drunk right now, like ridiculously drunk. But uh, yeah, so so you're, what, what are you meeting Brandon for right now? Um, just to hang out, grab a beer or whatever. Um, I did have a question. If I could go back to the, uh, the better, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, conversation with, what's his, uh, the professor, what's his name? Oh, with Howard Lederer. Yeah. Just, I don't know if you want to go back to that, but I did have one question. Did you bring up the Ray Batar and his heart condition thing? I, I briefly brought it up when we were going back and forth. I said something like, uh, uh, he said something, because Howard was saying at one point that he was never indicted, which, by the way, I found out from someone else is false, that he was actually, that he was indicted from what someone told me. I haven't verified this, but someone told me that I was incorrect, but that he was never indicted, that proved he didn't do anything. I said, that's not true. This whole thing was about money in the first place, and the government got its money. So who they indict is not really that important. And so he said, but, you know, but other people were indicted. I, I, I said, well, yeah, but the, as you can see, the government wasn't interested in justice here because Ray Batar was indicted, but, but he got a, a laughable sentence and then they decided he's not compatible with prison because he has a heart condition. And then somehow, uh, uh, everything gets better and he gets married and, and seems, uh, totally healthy afterwards. So the, the, the government didn't care about any of this as far as bringing anyone to justice. This, so, so saying, yeah, stating whether or not you got indicted is not that doesn't mean you were innocent. That just means that that's not what they were after. It's like the bill he did the Bill Cosby. <laughs> you know, he comes in, he's blind, and you know, gets sympathy, and then all of a sudden, now he's you know, yeah, the, that is sick. Yeah, he should have done a Billy Cosby routine at the table, Howard Lederer. He should have said, oh, you know, uh, we, we've got this money here on full tilt, and uh, I, I don't know what happened to it, but it's just uh, it's just gone. Zam, zam, zoom! So. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. All right, so yeah, so I missed part of the show because I was uh, having dinner with my cousin, who I think you might know is... Uh, I think he played with you online years ago. Really? What was his and, name online? Uh, what was his name online? You know, I don't know his screen name online. His name's Damon. He has a brother named Sebastian. That doesn't but, uh, doesn't sound familiar, but I bet if I heard yeah, his maybe, name, I probably would know. Yeah, but maybe you'll meet him together tomorrow night or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think tomorrow night. I'll, t- I'll tell you. I, I see. I got invited by Brandon. To uh, to go to dinner with him and uh, this Larry, not not Larry Laffer, but this other Larry uh, tonight. And I said, you know, there's a few reasons. Uh, I I had, as you know about, and I, I even have discussed publicly. I, I had some things that were happening in my personal life that were not uh, pleasant to deal with. And, and by the way, I'm not. Some people assume this means that my girlfriend and I have broken up or something that that didn't happen we're, we're still together we didn't break up there was that wasn't the issue 
but there there was an issue. I, I could tell you about it later, but I'm not going to say it on this show. But anyway, there, there was there was something happening that was very stressful that I had to deal with at the moment. That's why I had to. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this. I, I came to the thir- th- I know you know it, but I came to the 3K mi- uh, limit event 90 minutes late. But my stack didn't blind off. I actually got them to suspend my stack to where it doesn't blind off, which they made an exception for me, which I appreciated. Uh, because you can't just unregister and re-register, apparently. That's against the rules. So I had to have them make an exception that I didn't unregister. They were just, like, suspending my stack where it's not out there, and then I'll, I'll just start playing when I come. So that, that's what I did. But, uh, yeah, I had to handle something, and then it, it continued today. It was, it, it's been a difficult two days in more ways than one. And so between that and the disappointing finish I had in this 3K event, uh, I, I just wasn't in the mood to see people tonight. And I said, well, I've got to do something with my time here. And tonight is the usual night for radio. And I hadn't done radio in two weeks. And I felt like it needed to be done. And I said, okay, I, I think this is a good thing to do. I'm feeling kind of crappy about all this stuff, but you know, radio I can still be by myself. I may not be... I may be talking to a lot of people, but it's it's uh, I'm still physically by myself. So that's uh, that's what I decided to do. But I, I think by tomorrow it should be fine, and I can meet up with some people. I know a lot of people have been getting together here in Vegas, and I haven't really been part of that uh, either because I haven't been around or just nights like this. But uh, d- disposition saying share and chat what happened. The reason I'm not sharing in chat is it's not, I I can't tell you guys everything and. Uh, I know, of course, you're curious. You know what what would have been happening to where I would have missed the first 90 minutes in, in the 3K limit hold'em event, which which didn't hurt me, by the way. By by level three, I was the chip leader, so definitely I wasn't suffering for that. But uh, my my trouble came later when I was at the event. <laughs> so, but uh, that might be a new system starting 90 minutes. Yeah, right? maybe maybe just get them suspended. Yeah, maybe just late register by 90 minutes, and uh, and then maybe it's like a modified Phil Helmuth. He does that all the time, except he comes like hours late, not 90 minutes. But the, the reason I'm not sharing it in chat is it has some personal elements to it. and It's not even embarrassing things. You know, uh, it's, it's not something that I'd be ashamed to have known. It's just, it's just a private thing. I, I don't really feel like uh, discussing it out here. And so it was just something that, that had to be dealt with that day. I couldn't just put it off uh, that day, that time. And I said, wow, that's awful timing. So that happened. So, yeah, I knew someone was going to make some kind of diarrhea joke. Beer and Poker says that having the poops is serious business. <laughs> I knew it was going to be something like that. I knew, I knew he was going to be thinking that, uh, I knew there's going to be someone who makes some kind of suggestion like that, some kind of scatological uh, reference or joke. But no, it, it was not even a health thing. Like, it, I'm healthy. I don't have uh, any health issues right now. It's just uh, something happened, and I was informed of it in the afternoon before the event. Very bad timing, but uh, that's that's when I had to deal with it. And I I thought I could probably deal with it, or at least deal with all I could do on that day within a few hours, which is why I asked, can you just suspend, you know, is there any way if I can't unregister and re-register, which, by the way, they told me the reason you can't do that is because they don't want you seeing your table and then going back and unregistering and then getting a different table. So I countered with, look, I, there's like one person sitting at my table so far. I'm here early enough to, to, to ask for this, that there's like one person who's here early sitting. But, the, you know, unless you think I'm doing this based upon one person at the table, uh, obviously that's not what's going on here. So they said, oh, okay, fine, you, know, you raise a good point, fine. We'll, we'll just 
suspend your stack so it's not out there blinding, and then uh, we'll put it in when you show up. And then when I showed up, they actually did move me tables because uh, they didn't want to make the person they didn't want to make them play short for ninety minutes. So they put me in a new table. And honestly, looking at the two tables, I actually did. It looked like I benefited from this. I had benefited because the the new table seemed to be better than the old one. But that benefit didn't last very long because all the people busted. Like every single person from my tab- my original table busted. Original meaning the new original, the the one I sat down at at 90 minutes later, every single one of them busted fairly fast. So all the other people with me were new, and most of them were, were good players. A few who weren't, but most of the ones who were moved, they were good. So, anyway, uh, have a good time with Brandon. There. You can hang on the line if you want. but uh... Yeah, I'll hang until I get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> Brittany Grinders-Glitt saying in the chat, uh, Neo Neo was the one who was sitting there waiting, for, <laughs> sitting at the table with me. The, the one person that was there at the original table. It, it, you know, obviously that's a joke, but the, the person I didn't recognize is actually one of the biggest online winners in Limit Hold'em, but nobody knows him. It's like a guy who's like very, very under the radar. But but for, for whatever reason, he does very poorly at the World Series. Like this guy has a really bad record at the World Series. Uh, he doesn't play a lot of events, but I mean, he's this is one of the biggest online limit winners of all time. And Limit Hold'em. And I, I think he has like one cash. or He's a very light record, shall I say, in Limit Hold'em in the World Series. He, did, he, he actually had some moderate success many years ago at a no-limit event. But, uh, boy, in the Limit Hold'em one, he's, he, Limit Hold'em, year after year he comes and plays and loses. He doesn't make it deep. I don't know, I don't know what he was doing. I haven't played with him much. So I can't say why. I mean, he's just running really bad. But... I mean, he's not even doing what I did this year, getting the three deep finishes, not cashing. He's just like never there very far. So, for, for that reason, who uh, was that from? My headphones fell out. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't say who it is. I don't want to try to embarrass him. I but, but, uh, but I, I've been amazed at, uh, at the difference between this guy's success in Limit Hold'em Online and how he just has not done well at all in these Limit Hold'em tournaments, where he doesn't seem to come. He doesn't come close to cashing. <laughs> so. Uh, like everyone he plays, it's weird. But I haven't really played with him. Maybe, maybe it's just running spectacularly bad. It could be that. So a- anyway, he was the only one I saw there. Uh, he would have had position on me, but I wouldn't have switched tables for that reason. I I really had to go for ninety minutes to to fix this whole thing, and sadly it bled into today too. And I had to deal with this today in the morning as well. So uh, and it's not even completely over yet. Anyway. Uh, Terrence Chan, speaking of him, someone, a, a Poker Fraud Alert listener, most likely, emailed the 2 Plus 2 Poker cast. They have an email feature. They, you know, On this show, we do it live to where we interact with whoever's listening live. Most people listen in the archives, but there's some who listen live and interact either in the chat room or by text or by, by calling in. Uh, 2 Plus 2, they don't do that. They produce the show... And then do some post-production, and it's a show you hear in podcast form. So, in order to make it a bit more interactive, they they had an email feature. And they still have it, an email email feature where you can email them, and then they I don't know if they read them all, or if they just choose some, but they read some of this on the air and then answer the questions. So, someone who listens to both shows asked Terrence Chan, who is a successful Limit Hold'em player over a long period of time. If he could beat me heads up and limit hold him. 
And then they, and then somebody, not the person who asked it, but someone who heard the two plus two poker cast, alerted me to the segment on there. So I thought that was an interesting question. Uh, Terrence played a lot of heads up on poker stars back in the day, and he was also friends with what I called the Bill Chen math crowd, uh, and he's still friends with them. This is a Quaternion. Bill Chen, uh, Jared Ankeman, who I haven't seen in a while, uh, uh, Matt Grapenthien, who I just played with at the Satellite, actually the first time I ever played with him live, uh, you, know, it's, you know, Terrence, of course, is part of that, and I don't know if I missed anybody, but anyway, that's it, oh, uh, Haas TBF, uh, Matt Harlenko, who also seems to be retired from poker, but came out of retirement to play the 3K and the 10K limit hold'em, but didn't get very far in either. Um, those guys who, who were all successful limit hold'em players. I, I don't think Bill Chen played much cash. I know he was mainly a tournament person, but the, the rest of them were, were successful in uh, in limit hold'em cash, and and some of them in tournaments as well. And th- and these were the guys who all had somewhat of a math background. And if if they didn't have a, a complete math background, just the friendships with the others, uh, and the, you know they were smart enough to understand it all. And so they, these are the, the people who approach Limit Hold'em from a, a math perspective. So, and a game theory perspective and all that. So, so anyway, uh, Terrence Chan, a lot of these guys like to play heads up because that's the easiest game to solve from a uh, game theory mathematical standpoint. The heads up Limit Hold'em. And uh, they, they all played a lot of heads up and did well at it. I didn't play much heads up until more recently. I played some, but I even watched my match with Yebsite, which embarrassingly I lost from four years ago that I recorded and we put up on, it's up on YouTube if you want to watch it. If you just enter Dan Druff Yebsite, you can probably find it. But I even watched some of it and I'm like, wow, there, there's some hands I'd actually play differently today. Like there's some of my own play I don't agree with anymore. And not even just because things have changed. Like I actually, I've changed as a player to where if you put me back there four years ago, I would have played some of them differently. I mean, Yepsite ran really well. Even he admits that. But that's. But anyway, back a number of years ago, Terrence Chan was a really good uh, heads-up limit hold'em player, and uh, and played a lot of it. Whereas uh, uh, I didn't play as much back then. But I think they're asking about Everybody. about currently, not. Uh, not like Before if you, we if start you, the uh, show, just a quick sure, note from our partner, SharkScope. <laughs> Look at that. I'm advertising chart. I, I don't want to do I'm trying to play this portion of it. I hate that. I hate when I advertise for non-sponsors. <laughs> that was an accident. I, I was trying to bring it up so I could just play the relevant little part where they were talking about me. I, I didn't want to give SharkScope uh, a free ad. I'm, I'm going to send a bill to SharkScope for this. I think they owe me money for this. It's not fair that they get advertised on my show for free. I mean, it's bad enough that 2 Plus 2 gets these sponsors, and I don't. But then, I, then I've then i got to advertise the sponsor for free? I mean, I, I can see Adam Schwartz is going to pitch this to them next time. He's going to say, not only are we on this show, but uh, Dan Druff goes and, and plays your ad on his show for free. That's a throw-in you get. We say stuff that Dan Druff's interested in, then he, he tries to play our show, and our player doesn't... Uh, doesn't work perfectly, which it doesn't, by the way. Um, I have to open it up in a 
browser I usually don't use to get it to work. But but uh, I couldn't start the damn thing without turning the the volume down. Like I was trying to like frantically turn the volume down, and I could. Okay, so here I, I'm going to play this part of it. Uh, Terence answering the question about me and whether he could beat me in heads up limit hold'em. Fabulous uh, for to listen to you guys. Uh, in fact, off to mow the lawns, and we'll be listening shortly. I'm going to keep up the good work. Uh, how much do you have on you, Adam? Uh, he's guessed, okay. I've got I've got the wrong. He's guessed. Got the wrong portion. I, I, I'm screwing this up big time. I think I got the wrong portion here. I think it's right here. Let's try this now. For Todd Watellas. Uh Anyway, all the best for the events you play this year. Hope you hit something big. And it's 271.3 miles from Kells. So that that was that was him reading the question. Could you beat Todd Wattellas? I'm not going to go back and play that, but it's basically. Could you beat Todd would tell us in a heads-up limit holding match? So here's his answer. Um, Todd and I did not play very much heads-up. Um, I don't know that Todd played a lot of, of heads-up himself. I know he was a... Short-handed, yeah. He was a short-handed. I guess he was a time. very... Yeah, and I know that he was a, a definite winner in the short-handed, yeah. uh, like, 30, 60, 100, 200 range uh, on Poker Stars in the day, but... Uh, yeah, that's correct. So, that's, so far, he's correct about this. Uh, I was mostly a short-handed... Poker Stars player, not a heads up player. Uh, I was a winner in the 30, 60, 100, 200 games. And in fact, people used to spy on me about that. They'd look up on poker table ratings and uh, see if I was winning or losing. See if I was one of these guys who just postures about winning or really wins. But no, they, they, they saw there, I was really, people saw I was really winning in those games. And so that's true. That's what I played. I didn't play much heads up, and I didn't play very much against Terrence. That's also true. Uh, Todd and I never really crossed paths that much. I mean, I think we probably had some some skirmishes at some point, um, but yeah, we didn't uh, don't play each other too much back then. All right. So uh, imaginary imaginary uh, fight to the death and let me hold them uh, heads up. Uh, you're, you're liking your side, I'm guessing. So this. Uh, Adam, who I, he's even listening tonight, Adam. I don't know if he's still listening right now, but I saw him on the list in the chat room. Adam wasn't letting him off easy. Adam demanded answers here. Adam wanted Terrence to answer the question. Is Terrence like, well, you know, Todd wins in 30-60 and 100-200 back in the day, and and uh, he didn't play me that much, and he wasn't that much of a heads-up player. And I'm like, okay, that's all true, but that's not the question. The question wasn't, did Todd win on Poker Stars? The question wasn't... Uh, did you play him that much? The, the question is, can you beat him? So, so Adam said, okay, in an imaginary heads-up skirmish between you two, are you liking your side here? I like my side against pretty much like everybody from the 2007-ish era. I mean, but that doesn't mean I'm right. <laughs> there were definitely people I lost money to, so, I mean, you know, I could be wrong, but, you know, sample size is a thing, and I don't I don't know who I was a favorite against and who I was a dog to, but I mean, I was comfortable playing. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I played everybody. I, I had, I had, I only, I, I very rarely quit people, and I, and I did, I didn't really avoid anybody as long as they were playing mistakes that were appropriate for me. Email number. Okay, so that's that's somebody else's email. So okay, so that's his answer. Um, so. If he's talking about the 2007 me, or even like the 2010 me, pro- yeah, probably he wins that one. You know, if 
you take away the luck from the situation. Obviously, if I ran better, I'd win. And if he ran better, he'd win. But, you know, if, if we take away the luck from the situation, he probably had an edge because he, he played a whole lot more heads up than I did. And there's things I did heads up then that now I'd look and say, oh, that's wrong. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that today. Even, <clears throat> again, if, I were, if you could transport me back in time and play against the same opponents, I'd play heads up differently. Uh, but if you took the current me against the current Terrence, I, I think it would be mostly a draw. I, th- I think that would really come down then to who would run better. I, I feel I've improved enough heads up to where even against a, a good limit hold'em heads up player that uh, I should be able to hold my own just fine against them. In fact, I wish there was a heads up limit hold'em event. Like they have a heads up no limit hold'em event. I wish they had a heads up limit hold'em event. In fact, I'd play it even if it were a 10K. They, they don't have it. They never will have it. But if they had it, I'd play it. So because I, I played a lot of heads up against you know, some of which was against good players on Merge and on Bovada over the years. And it, it helped me improve. It helped me get better. It helped me realize some mistakes I was making. And you know, some spots I was, it turned out I was too aggressive. Some spots I wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, some spots I was being uh, too tight. Preflop. So uh, I've uh, I've since made some adjustments. Anyway, that's uh, that was what he said. Very diplomatic answer. But you know, at least he didn't say, "Oh yeah, I was gonna crush him." Oh yeah, like he didn't. He was he was just he first he was trying not to answer, and then he when he did answer, he's like, "Oh you know, I, I would have taken on anybody then." So you know, back back then I, I I felt I was one of the best, and so therefore. The answer is yes, I would have beaten him or basically anyone around that time. That was basically what he said. So. Uh, when Terrence was to my left on the day two of the 10K limit hold'em when I came in short stacked, I came in with like 53K, which was short stacked. The average is 146. I mean, you start with 50 on day one. So 53 on day two is not good. Terrence only had 80, so his, his stack was not good either, with the average being 146. Terrence also lost the first hand and was probably down to something like what I had. But then from that point, he, he was winning everything. He was, he was just hitting every hand. And he was directly to my left, and I didn't play any hands against him. So none, none of my chips went to him, at least not directly. But I remember seeing him hit hand after hand. I'm going, damn it, this is one hand over. Why couldn't this have been me? <laughs> I really thought that. Like, if it was across the table, I wouldn't think that. But the fact that it's one hand over, I know it shouldn't mean much, but it's just... I go, oh, he keeps getting these hands one hand over because he's directly to my left. Why couldn't these have landed right here instead of in his hand every time? So, uh, and there's nothing against Terrence. I think that about any time, you know, any time when I'm getting the crap cards and the guy to my left is hitting everything and getting the better hands pre-flop as well, I always think, ah, it's missing, missing my spot by one. Why can't it be me? And uh, but you know nothing against Terrence. I there's some people that I don't like that if, if I see they're getting deep in a World Series event, I'm rooting for them to lose. But he's not one of them at all. You know I'm um, you know we're not friends. I, I wasn't going to be cheering for him, but I, he's not someone that I was hoping wouldn't win. You know if if, if he won, it's okay. Yeah, good for Terrence. He's, he's never won a World Series bracelet before. So if he won, it would have been okay. Yeah, I know I, I know who he is. A good limit player. You know, kind of deserves to win one at some point. So okay, great, good for him. Would I rather it was me? Of course. <laughs> Would I rather I get the good card and he busts? Of course. And I'm sure the reverse is true, too. 
So let's see here. Um, I want to talk about the rise in popularity of, of the Omaha variants at the World Series. Uh, Limit Hold'em has been slowly dying, though it's actually getting a little. It got a little bit better numbers in all the Limit Hold'em events this year than last year. So it's 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 not dying as much as you think, but cash wise, it's dying. Every year, the interest in Limit Hold'em as a cash game is slipping. The only there's really only one place in each city that you can play mid or high stakes limit hold'em. In LA, it's Commerce. I guess they do have a twenty five fifty. Well, that's not totally true. In LA, there's a few of them. Commerce is the main place. Some some places have it going uh, also, but usually not above like twenty five fifty. Uh, in the Bay Area, it's Bay one hundred one. In Vegas, it's Bellagio. Uh, Atlantic City is Borgata. So you go to like any other casino, even some of these fairly big poker towns, uh, you're not going to find Limit Hold'em running except at small stakes. So that game's been slipping for a while, and Stud has really been slipping for a long time now. But something that's been on the rise has been Omaha. Omaha's getting more and more popular. And not just PLO, which is that that's been rising for a while now. And PLO has been that's the that's where a lot of no limit players transitioned to when they decided no limit hold'em has gotten too hard to win at higher levels. Because there's just a lot of good no limit hold'em cash players out there. And to go sit at a twenty five fifty or even ten twenty game live, it can be hard to win because there's just a lot of good people there and the, the fish are getting harder and harder to find at those stakes. So some of them have moved to PLO, which they feel is an easier spot and has its similarities to No Limit Hold'em. And for Limit Hold'em players, the closest game is Omaha 8. There's a lot of similarities between the two. Yes, one's a four-card game, one's a two-card game. And yes, one's a split-pot game, one is a, a high game. But there are similarities to where skills transfer pretty well from one to the other. If you're good at one, there's a good chance you you can learn to be good at the other, and vice versa. Whereas a a lot of people who are good at limit hold'em just don't really have the right personality or mind type to be a good no-limit hold'em player, and vice versa. So with Omaha, it's different. With Omaha, the, the skill transfers pretty well from Limit Hold'em, with Omaha 8 or better. But that's not the only form of Omaha that seems to be rising. There are other variants, which until a few years ago people didn't play at all, or played very little. Uh, PLO 8, which is a pot limit version of, of Omaha 8 or better. And Big O, which is a five-card Omaha game, usually played uh, pot limit. I played a World Series event this year called Mixed Omaha, which had all three of those. Limit Omaha 8 or better, PLO 8, and Big O, which is also Pot Limit. And I I did not have that much experience in, in PLO 8 or Big O. I had a lot of Omaha 8 or better limit experience. I played a lot of that online. 
But uh, the other two I didn't have much experience, but I, I did some studying before it to understand the proper strategy, and I also came in with the knowledge that uh, many other people didn't have much experience in it in that event. So I also figured that by the time we get you know earlier in the event, you're going to have a lot of people who just don't know what to do in PLO 8 and Big O and are just going to make a lot of mistakes, a lot of egregious mistakes, mainly not being tight enough. Uh, but if I got later in the event, which I didn't, I figured the blinds would be high enough at that point where even if I'm against better PLO 8 and, and Big O players, it doesn't matter as much at that point because it matters more there just how you run and that you don't do anything stupid. That's, that's re- and at the end of a lot of tournaments, it's like that, where it becomes more of a run-good contest and less of, uh, of, of skill post-flop. But anyway, that that was. But I did a lot of uh, reading about it, and I even talked with Calwatt, who's a, who's who does have experience in these games, and talked to him about the correct strategy. About you know, I had some questions about you know, what do you do in this spot, what do you do in that spot. So I, I felt pretty good about the knowledge I had coming into this, especially against what was likely to be the average player in these events. And, and it was true at, at, at the table. There were a number of people who were doing things that were very incorrect. But it seems like both of these games, PLO8 and Big O, which really were, were barely played a few years ago, ha- have really risen in popularity and more and more people are wanting to play them. In fact, I see a lot of people writing on Twitter and elsewhere, PLO8's my best game, they say. Well, I think the reason so many people think PLO8 is their best game is because they play against a number of people who don't play it right. And make egregious mistakes. And then they beat them a lot. And think, oh, this is my best game. Look how good I am. Also, because uh, you know, someone made a joke at the table that Alan Kessler loves PLO8. Because this is one of the few events where the correct strategy is to only play the nuts. <laughs> and that's actually, yeah, that's not too far from the truth. You, you do have to be, especially in these tournaments pretty tight in PLO 8 and Big O. Much more important to be tight in those than in the in other events of other games. But you, you just don't want to make second best hands. You don't want an easily counterfeitable hand, especially in Big O. So, for someone like Alan Kessler, who uh, really tries to play the nuts or as close to the nuts as possible, and not much else, uh, that's a great event for him. And sure enough, last year, I, I know he was doing well in the PLO8 event. I think he was chip leader for a long time. He didn't win it, but people were joking that that's because they, the correct thing to do is only play the nuts, and he's very good at only playing the nuts. So I, I think a lot of people, um, they they only play the nuts, and then they, they pat themselves on the back. Oh, look how good I am. I, I resist temptation, and others don't, so I'm really good at it. And I know there's more to the game than that. I'm oversimplifying PLO8 by just saying, oh, you just play the nuts, you win. In tournaments, that's that's also more important than in cash for, for tournament reasons. But I, I believe that the reason for the popularity is because these are relatively new and people are kind of hold them down. 
This is something relatively new. And there's not a gigantic learning curve as far as being a decent player. To be a great player, yes, there's a learning curve. Yeah, there's, a big, you know, there's a big curve. But as far as being a decent player, a lot of people learn, hey, I, I can just... Uh, I can just be very tight. I, I can try to. I, I should only chase the nuts. I should only try to chase both sides of the pot. Okay, I'm a good player. <laughs> I mean, that's. Uh, and, and the fact is, that's true. You, that's what you can do, and you won't be bad. If, if you commit in PLO8 or Big O to, to be tight, to uh, understand the, the combinations of, of hands which, you know, which would correspond to being tight. What you should play, what you shouldn't play, you know, what you should play to a raise, what you, uh, you know, what what uh, what you should open with in certain positions. I mean, it, the, because there's four cards, you can't just get out a chart like you can and hold them for things like that. But uh, but still, you you can get it. You get familiar enough with the game. You get a basic idea of of what is a strong preflop hand, and then wait for the flop. Did I hit something? Did I hit a draw? Did I, you know, am I am I playing for both ends of it? Yes. Okay. I, I'll go forward. No, okay, I'm folding. <laughs> so that becomes uh, an easier path to becoming a competent player at the game. Not a great player, but a competent player. And I think that's why this is exploding so much. Originally, Hold'em exploded because it was perceived as easy. Incorrectly perceived as easy, but it was... People were used to stud, where you had to constantly look around the table and see all the different hand possibilities that each person has, and 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 say, okay, what whole you know, look at their whole cards. What could they make? Look at the next person. What could they make? It, it, it's a pain. It's, you're constantly, if you're in a hand and stud, you're you're really having to pay attention to a lot at once. Hold them. It's it's everybody's sharing the community cards, so all you've got to look at is what you have, uh, you know, what's on the board. And then anyone who's in there just think, okay, what could they have that beats me? <laughs> so that's why Hold'em appealed to people. They said, oh, wow, how easy. We're all sharing the, the cards. Yeah, it's not very hard to tell uh, you know, uh, what the, the best hand is, what the second best hand is. Uh, there's not a lot to pay attention to. So a lot of people neglected the strategy elements to Hold'em and, and just uh, saw it as a deceptively easy game. When in reality, it's not easy. But now, now Hold'em has been around for so long, and No Limit Hold'em had such popularity for so many years that now everyone's aware of the correct strategies. And there's things evolving and changing each year, but there's a lot of people are, are, are starting to lose enthusiasm for Hold'em, especially No Limit Hold'em, because uh, there's really nothing new or groundbreaking you can come up with to win at no limit cash. Unless you're if you're one of the truly great players who just really, really has an amazing feel for it and can crush people at high limits, yeah, sure. But that's a tiny, tiny percentage of all players. But the typical no limit hold'em player, there's not much more that you know or strategy you have that some other yeah, at least semi competent player doesn't have. So I, I think the appeal in these Newly popular games is that number one, there's not a lot of people playing. Number two, there's a lot of people still making dumb mistakes at them. And number three, you can get up to speed without that much effort 
to at least become a competent player at the game. So these are getting popular very quickly. And I'll tell you, as long as you have people who are making egregious mistakes in the events, for things like PLO8, yes, there's a lot of value there. Even if you're not a great PLO8 player, if there are enough people who are playing terribly, then yes, there's a lot of value. Because if there's enough dead money in there, then that makes it worth playing, even if you know there's people in there who are better than you. Because these people who are better than you may not make it very far. Or if you both make it far, the blinds may be so high that the skill difference won't matter as much than if you were at a cash game where both of you were deep. Also, at these events, you're playing full table, which makes it a lot more correct to be tight. Where Omaha starts to get hard is where you're playing short. Because there it starts, there you can't just stick to the nuts or you're going to get crushed by the blinds. So, at a full table, that's where you can stick closer to the nuts. And uh, But short, you don't play short at the World Series until the very end. So even if, you're, even if you say, okay, I'm not a very good shorthanded Omaha player, well, all right, well, <laughs> you play these full table events, you're not going to be short until you make the final table. So at that point, you're happy you're there, you're not going to go, oh, man, it's too bad I'm not a good shorthanded Omaha player because I shouldn't have played this. I'm only at the final table, I may not win. So, uh, the, the smart thing to do with any of these poker variants is is to recognize where the money is at the moment and not just stick to what worked 10 years ago or what worked 5 years ago. And even I'm starting to come around on that. I, I used to say, ah, who, you know, who wants to get better at these other games? You know, I, I spent so long getting good at Limit Hold'em. I don't, I don't want to you know, start all over again. And but but the, But the truth is... At some point, you have to. At some point, you have to say, okay, there's enough good players versus fish in this to where I I, I am going to start over or not completely abandon the game that you're already familiar with, but I'm going to start with something new because there's a lot. If I get up to speed and immediately are better than a lot of the people playing, then I, I have an edge here. And as, as I get better myself, then I'll have even more of an edge. So... Uh, I want to give an update on the King's Lounge, and then we'll be done with the World Series topics. I gave a review, a very glowing review, two weeks ago about the King's Lounge, which is the high-limit cash area of the World Series that's kind of walled off. You you can walk in. It's not restricted. It's just walled off, so it's kind of separated from the rest of the pavilion room. And I was saying it's, it looks nice. It's It's set up well. It kind of feels like you're in a high-end area. It doesn't feel like you're part of the hustle and bustle of the rest of the World Series. That there's TV set up in there. I, I said a lot of good things about it. And then I played in there. Then I didn't think as good things. Uh, number one, there's no chip runner. No chip runners. So, this is very much a pain in the ass. Because if you get low on chips... You have to stand up and go to the cashier. You can't play with cash. That's not allowed. You can't call for someone to get chips for you. I mean, I guess you can if you have a friend with you who can do it for you. But other than that, you have to go get it yourself. You have to sit out of the game, go get it yourself. Or if, let's say you're in the middle of a round and you have three free hands to come and you get killed on a big hand and now you're very low in chips. Well, tough luck. 
you've got to play it out till you bust or, or, or miss hands to run over to the cashier. And if you think you can maybe rush to the cashier, quickly buy chips and get back and maybe not miss a hand or maybe miss one hand, think again. Unlike at Bellagio and Commerce, where they're lightning fast at the cashier, you could buy in for thousands of dollars worth of chips, and they, they count it so fast by hand, and they hand you the chip so fast, and it's such a fast transaction, you'll, you'll be amazed. It's the opposite at the World Series cashier. They are so slow. Each person takes so long, and they verify it over and over. It's, it, it's the worst. So not only does it take a long time, even if the line has like two people ahead of you, but your transaction, even if there's no line, it's going to take a while. And they don't leave that many stations open, especially late at night. Now, you can walk around to the other cashiers for the regular area. That's not the King's Lounge. And do the transactions there, but then you're competing with all the other people in, in the regular cash section, so those may be busy too. And still, again, they will be slow as well. So there's not enough cashiers working in the King's Lounge. They actually put some ropes there to kind of block people from from getting into the cashier area of the King's Lounge. What they're doing to prevent people from the main cash area from going to the King's Lounge cashier, but it also prevents the reverse. You know, it's not it's not a one way rope, so. <laughs> It also prevents you from walking to the other side. So that part's awful. I asked them, why is that? Why don't you have chip runners here in the King's Lounge? They said, gaming took it away from us two years ago. They said that Nevada Gaming, and this could be a BS excuse for all I know, but they said Nevada Gaming will not let them do chip runners because of suspicion of money laundering. They claim that the chip runners were not monitoring people buying in if they kept buying in, for example, 5000 over and over and over again. Now, the federal requirement is that if you buy in for 10000 or more, that you are required to uh, submit a cash transaction report to the government. You have to, you know, they have to fill out a form for you. You have to sign it. So if you buy in like three $5,000 buy-ins, that's 15000 you have to fill out a CTR form. But they claim the, the chip runners were not strict about this and that they were not paying attention, maybe on purpose. And so people were buying it over and over and over for way more than 10000 total in 24 hours and that uh, the chip runners weren't doing anything about it. And the government found out and Nevada Gaming took away their ability to have chip runners. That's the, that's the story I got from the King's Lounge. Though I'm not sure if I believe it, because I, I never see chip runners. I, I've seen it occasionally at Bellagio where they tell someone, hey, you know, I can't do, do this anymore because you have to, you know, unless you want to fill out a CTR form. But usually they don't pay attention. And at Commerce, they definitely don't pay attention. At Commerce doesn't give a crap. So I'm not sure if that story is even true, but whatever the reason, there are no chip runners in the King's Lounge, which is a pain in the ass. Second, um, what about food? At the Bellagio, if you want food, you, you order room service. There's also places you can walk to within a short distance to get food. But uh, you can at least have room service deliver over there. It's not cheap, but you can do it. The Commerce, they actually have their own kitchen that makes food. Uh most poker rooms are like that. They either have their own kitchen or you can order from room service from the hotel. What about Rio? Well, 
I don't know about during the day when room service is going, but late at night, there is no room service anywhere in the Rio. So what do you what happens if you want to order food at the King's Lounge? Can you? Well, yes. You might wonder from where. And I, I wondered that too. I heard people talking about food. So I said, oh yeah, I, I want to order food. But I didn't think anywhere is serving food right now. This is like three in the morning. And they said, well, it's actually not from the Rio. Uh, you're actually ordering from an outside place. And they handed me a menu from some like little takeout Italian place a little bit west of the Strip. <laughs> that, that was the official food service of the King's Lounge. It's one of these like little places that usually slips uh, their menu under people's hotel room doors. <laughs> that's who was doing the food service for the King's Lounge. Not officially, just unofficially. That's somehow they, I wonder if they bribed the floormen for this, but they're the ones whose menus are given out and that's who, you know, they deliver the food. But it takes 60 to 90 minutes to get your food delivered. So uh, I asked the guy, what do I do about this? What if I order food and it doesn't get here and I'm done playing poker? I don't want to be committed to sit here and wait for it. And the floor man said, no, that's okay. Uh, he says, well, look, what do you want to order? Uh, I said, well, wh- why does that matter? He said, well, everybody seems to like the chicken parmesan. So if you order the chicken parmesan, I guarantee someone's going to want to take it when it arrives. So order chicken parmesan. And if you're gone by then, someone else will take your, veal, your, your chicken parmesan and it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? So I, I'm being told to order chicken parmesan. Because it, it, it's so slow to come here that if I'm gone from the game by the time the chicken parmesan comes, it's a popular enough dish to where someone else will take it and pay for it. That the guy is certain that if I leave, someone else will take my chicken parmesan because it's so popular. <laughs> so I said, okay, order chicken parmesan. And sure enough, the game broke about uh, 45 minutes in. My chicken parmesan was not there. I stood up and left, and I, I hope someone enjoyed it. I didn't pay for it. You know, you pay when it gets here. So... Wasn't my problem. I, I was told your chicken parmesan will go to somebody else. I mean, is, is this stupid or what? And I know the King's Lounge, they don't dictate the food service. They, they can't really control that. But that's just part of the whole picture of fail here at the Rio with a food situation. So uh, anyway, I'm not a big fan of the King's Lounge anymore. I think some of these things are kind of showstoppers, especially the chip runners, the cashier. Bellagio is far superior in these ways. Okay, so let, let's get past the World Series topics. Uh, we'll try to... It's later than I wanted it to be when we got here. I didn't think we'd be talking for this long about the World Series, but it seems like we always do. I want to call up the... An Indian scammer. And someone sent me some Indian scammer phone numbers. And we're going to try to mess with them. Now, these are scammers who pretend to be from the IRS and try to convince people that they are going to be arrested or have some other bad consequence if they don't pay immediately. Then these people are talked into either going and getting gift cards at the store and reading the numbers off the back of the gift cards or uh, 
yeah, sending money through Western Union or whatever. You'd think that maybe people would wonder why does the IRS want gift cards or why do they want money through Western Union? But there's always some backstory why that's okay. You know, oh, we can take payment in so many different ways. We just need payment. You're delinquent. Blah 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 blah. This works especially with older people. While I'm searching through my text messages to get these phone numbers, I see we got some texts. Uh, first poker show with an erotica segment. Nice. That's referring to my my, my uh, Michael story I read. Um, someone said, Michael can't afford a hooker. Good-looking dude that should be able to pull emo chicks. Well, okay, but it looks like he did. So uh, I, I guess you're correct. Uh, the 716 Taking a Greyhound from Buffalo, New York To Vegas Great timing on a show tonight Wow If you're still listening I I, I, got, I got this text three hours ago But if you're still listening Which you probably are if you're on a Greyhound Going almost 3,000 miles But Why are you not flying this? That's a, that's a Especially uh, one person flying I mean uh, it's not that expensive from New York to Vegas. I'm just wondering why you take a great... That's, that's got to be a brutal trip. But I, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that there's a long show here for, to keep you company, because that, that could be a boring trip, too. I'd want this show, too, if, if I was taking a Greyhound from, uh, from Buffalo, New York to Vegas. I, I would definitely want a show like this that just goes on forever. I'd say, hey, can, can you do a 50-hour version? All right, let me look for these uh, phone numbers here. Uh, I can't remember who. Let me see if I can search. Oh, here we go. Okay. This is from the 440. Druff, not sure if you're still looking for these all Indian scam computer support phone numbers. They were active as of yesterday. Unfortunately, that was June 21st, so hopefully they're still, they're still active. These go down very fast. Okay, so this is not the IRS. I'd prefer the IRS, but we'll call it the computer scam instead. The computer scam, by the way, for those of you that don't know, is a scam where they say they're Microsoft or Dell or some well-known computer company and that there's viruses in your system. And they're supposed to be giving you support, and of course they charge you for that. So... We will, uh... Person you are trying to oh, reach is unavailable. Come on. Leave your message at the tone. Press pound when finished. Yeah. That is not going to work. Let's try the next one. i got to act on these fasters. Uh, on this fast. i got to act on this fast. And the problem is I got these on June 21st. We didn't have a show that day. And now it's uh, June 29th. Trying the next one down the list. Currently set up to receive calls. <laughs> Try again later. Boy, they get rid of these fast. I, I may have to look up some of these myself. If you guys in the chat room have any that you know are active right now, please give one of these scam numbers to me. You know, I run so bad I can't even get, get scammed if I want to. Like Everybody else, they get scammed and they don't want to. I want to be scammed, and no one will scam me. Let's try this one. 
this doesn't work, I'm going to look up the next, try to look one up on the internet. Thank you for calling support. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I, I, I having a problem with uh, this here computer. Uh, it, it, it ain't, it okay, ain't, you have a problem? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it done ain't working for me. Okay, okay. Uh, is it the iPad or iPhone, sir? Oh well, well, yeah. It, it, it's my 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 iPhone right here. I, I got one of them uh, iPhone five uh, S's. No problem, sir. I will go ahead and take care of it. All right, Let, let's get this going. Oh, now, okay. now, well, hang, hang on here. I, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Now, now, did I? Is this Apple technical support? Yeah, this is the. Uh, yes, we do support in all the Apple devices, but this is a third-party independent company. All right, now, now, now right, whatever the problem which you have, we will go ahead and take care of it. All right, that, that's good. But here, I, I just want to make sure that you know, uh, you know, that you're going to do just as good of a job as Apple would do. You know, because I know Steve Jobs ain't around no more, but I know he made sure the company they, you know, they know what they're doing. I just want to make sure that since you are a different company, that you're going to know how to fix my my my, my damn iPhone, which ain't working no more. Okay. Right, yeah, we will go ahead and check it, right, what is the problem, and then, right, let me go ahead and help you. All right, let, let's, let's get going with the process here. Yeah, sure. just please click on the settings. All right, just click on it. Now, now, you're saying settings like that, that thing that looks like a gear shift, like a gear shift from my tractor, right? Yeah, 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 you're right. All right, I, I, I'll done click on that. All right, now this, uh, the, it's coming up now. What should I click on next? Once you click on settings, right, just check all the lists one by one, and then you will find option Safari. Wait, what, what am I looking for? Safari. Sir. Safari. All right. So I'm I'm scrolling down here, and it's uh, the general display and brightness, uh, touch ID and passcode, uh, blah blah. Let's see here, iCloud, um, messages. Um, Compass. Yeah, I, I was wondering why, why someone used their iPhone as a compass. If, if you if you don't need your iPhone to be a compass, you got more than problems in your direction. That's what my daddy once told me. So okay, my my it says uh, Safari. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, it says click on Safari. All right, click on Safari right now. Okay, now what should I do next? All right, once you click on Safari, just check it on the very bottom, sir. On the very bottom, there is one option that is. Clear history and the website data. Clear all right. history and the website data. All right, I, all right, I done clear. I, I, I got to give you credit. You already given me help here. You ain't taking no payment from me. I, I got to say, you, you're a nice guy here to sure. do all this. Take, take, take your time, sir. It's okay. No, no, I, I, I done it. I, I done click that thing, and, and it, uh, I think it cleared. Okay, once it is clear, I just check it on the very bottom again. There is one option that is advanced. Click on advanced. All right, we're getting all advanced now. Now, now... Now I know we're getting into nitty gritty here because you know advanced. I, when I see something on a computer or a phone says advanced, I just stay away because I ain't no advanced user. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. All right, I'm there. It's so so. It says uh, website data, JavaScript, and web inspector. Yeah. Click. Okay. Click on website data. That's the first one. Website data. All right, clicking it. it. It's saying loading, and this thing's spinning around. It's going spin, 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 spin. spin. You know, I. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just yeah, it's just it's loading, loading up. It's loading something here. Okay, now a bunch of stuff is all li- done listed on this thing. You know, like uh, all them different websites I went to. Uh, 
Um, that, that, yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's, and click on remove all website data, sir, on the bottom. So, Do you see that? You can see the option yeah, remove all I, website data. I, I don't scroll down signal. here. Let's see. It says uh, um, uh, familyincest.com, uh, bigblackbuddha.com. Um, it ain't what's supposed to click, right? Yeah, on the bottom, on the bottom, right, if you just check it on the bottom, there is an option, remove all website data. It says uh, um, cousindatingsite.com, ain't that, right? Just oh. below that. Just oh, below oh that okay, okay. It's, it's, right. Below that, all right, all right, all right. All right. All, so, so, all right, so it said, it said remove all website data. All right, so i got to click that right now. Yes. Okay, so I, I click yes, on that. Click on that. Uh, I did, yeah, yeah, I did that. Then click on remove now. There is another option that is remove now or cancel. You have to click on remove. Okay, I, I remove it all now. So now wipe out all that, all that uh, website data. I think it all done. Okay, okay. And uh, right, just close that page. Yeah, and uh, just check it right. Uh, the Safari. I mean, just close that page. Close, yeah. close it and go back to the home page again. You see uh, the, the the home. I should press that home button on the on the iPhone. Yes. Yeah, I I done that. I'm back. I back on my home screen. Yes, and now just uh, open the Safari icon from there and check it. Is it working or not? No. Yeah. The, the, yeah. It's working. Like there ain't there ain't no uh, nothing up there. Okay. Okay. It's working, right? Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know. And is there any other problems? Well, it, it's a different problem I had. You know I, what I'm saying here is a. Uh, um, I, I've been having a, a different problem here with my iPhone. It ain't about no Safari not working. It just, uh, you know, I, I haven't. It's it's just uh, jumping things all over the place. When I'm trying to press on the screen, it's going somewhere else, and uh, uh, my phone's freezing a lot. And uh, you know, I got I got myself all kinds of problems. And I I paid a, mu- a bunch of money to to, to my, my cousin Jed uh, to get this newfangled device, and it don't work. Okay, okay. Now, if you check it right, it must be working, right? If it is not working, right, what we will do? Right, we will go ahead and reset right this uh, the iPhone again, right? Then everything will be okay. So can you go ahead and check it? Is it working or not? Check everything. And well, yeah, I, 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 I still done got some of these issues now. Now, what, what I ain't understanding here, if you don't mind me asking, you know, um, my, my dad has said to me, if if I if I go if a man in the truck is trying to give me candy for free, then there is there's something wrong with the candy or what he's expecting me to do for it. So I I, I I I hate to be rude here, but I'm wondering you ain't asked for, for my credit card or no form of payment yet, and you giving me all this help. And if it work, then I then I then I would just hang up and say, okay, thank you, we're done. So how how do you stay in business if ain't no one's paying you? No, no, I mean right, it is just the the formalities, right? You know, if you have the problems with the safari, right? You know that is the trouble. So right, yes, you can get it. Right? If you want to just buy the support, right? Yes, you can go ahead and buy the support, right? And we give you the support. Well, okay. well, right. It could be for six months, or it could be for one year, right? That is not an issue. Well, okay. no. What, we'll what, I, what I'm saying here, if, if, if this if this all got itself fixed, then then you know, then there ain't no need for me to buy it. You know, it, it, it'd be kind of like uh, me bringing a no, bunch. No, I mean, that'd be like me bringing ears of, ears of corn down problem. to a farm. Yeah, yeah, I understand your concern, but the problems are the problems, right? You know, that is not the only problems which you can have it, right? But again, in the future, right? You can have a lot of other different problems as well. Well, yeah, I got I got a lot right. of problems here. I got, like what I'm telling you is like I I'm, I'm moving around my device. Yes, yes. 
and and, and you know it, yeah. it, it sometimes freezes up or or I, I'm trying to uh, or, or my Safari just crashed in the middle of a website or or I got them problem where I set the alarm and the phone don't it don't ring the alarm and then I'm late somewhere and then and then you know my my, my sister I mean, my wife she yells at me okay so uh, okay so what what do I yeah, do I now? Understand your concern, right? Then you can do one thing, right? We can make it sure that everything is okay, right? So can you just call us back, right, again in in the morning, right, so that we can go and check it, right? Well, and, uh, I, well may I have your name, please. Well, so no, I, I, well I, I, hold, hey, hey, hold your horses, boy. Now let me tell you something. I got I, I, what I've done seeing is this thing is still giving me issues. I, I like trying to scroll through it and it's freezing up. It's like freeze and it moves and freeze and it moves. Like okay. I move my finger across, it starts to move, but then it freezes. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Right, that means uh, it has to be. I mean, there are some. The software which has to be updated, right? For that, what I can do, right? Yeah, I need to fix all this issue. All right. Now, 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 how do you all fix them issues from from wherever you are? Like, ha- this is the first time where you have called this number. Okay, okay. Right. So in this case, right, what I can do, right, I can go ahead and arrange the call back just for you, right? So may I have your number? Wait, you're you're gonna call me back? Yeah, you uh, right, but you can call only in the morning, sir. Oh, is it okay with you? But I, I was surprised that they actually give you some free help. That they, they, what they're basically doing is having you reset the cache in your browser. So if it's if it's accumulated uh, a lot in, in the cache, there the clearing all that can can speed things up. So presumably, if if now maybe the angle you know, like it's well. If you guys have any IRS numbers that work, that you verify work, uh, definitely send them to me, even if it's after the show, and we will call them. Those will be more fun. I, I, I tried to make this one entertaining. But, uh, oh, by the way, I was right. My guess about the 50-hour show that he'd need to go from... Uh, from Buffalo over here, it's someone who just uh, he doesn't like to fly. So there are people out there like that that feel uncomfortable with flying for whatever reason, and it's tough on them because they have to take uh, buses for long distances. I actually prefer not to fly for short distances, like anything. I, I call it the five hundred mile test. If it's less than five hundred miles, I don't want to fly it. It's just too much of a pain. I'd rather drive it because there's some advantages to driving it yourself. Uh, you control the schedule. There's no way you can miss the drive like you can miss a flight. It, you know, if something delays you, then no problem. You can stop whenever you want. Uh, when it, when it's time to go back again, you're not tied to an airline ticket with a certain time. You don't have to deal with the airport and all the security and all the BS. You you have a car wherever you arrive without having to pay extra. So a lot of times if it is 500 miles or less and if you don't hit traffic, you can actually cover the drive in a similar amount of time that it would take to fly because of all the hassle involved with flying. You have to get there early enough, especially if you have baggage that you have to check. So, uh, But I, I would never drive something like New York to... LA. 
Someone with a 512 texted, you're all hat and no cattle partner. Your southern accent sounds like Randy from Sling Blade. No, it doesn't sound like Randy from Sling Blade. Come on. Mm-hmm. Someone said, your, your sound is dropping in and out. Check the chords. I, I heard that guy's sound dropping in and out. But, uh, is, is the sound better? Can you guys uh, tell me in the chat room, is the sound better? Some people are complaining about this. There's, that bothers me to hear. I hate when sound is dropping in and out. Let me see here. It looks okay to me. Real Talk says, this is why Druff could never handle Twitch. He can't even watch this bullshit chat. Uh, I don't know why the sound went in and out. I think I think it's something I couldn't have controlled. I think it's the internet at the Rio. Because I, I was hearing that guy's sound, the Indian guy going in and out, and I thought it was just the downloading end of the internet here. Because it, it's pretty much two separate things. When I talk and I broadcast my own voice, I'm uploading. I'm My computer is taking my voice and uploading it to the Poker Fraud Alert server, which is then putting it out to you guys. So if the upload speed is fine, which it usually is because people aren't uploading much on the internet. People are mostly downloading. And I'm not, I'm not talking about... Okay, we're back. I apologize if you're listening live. If you're in the archives, this will seem just seamless, just kind of weird. The internet at the Rio is horrible, and it, I guess, was malfunctioning during that prank call, and now, then it just went out. It just, it, it did this to me last time I was here, too. Not during radio, thankfully, but it, it disappeared for about an hour or so. This time it disappeared for not as much time. So I was just about to shut down the show. I even tweeted that the show was shut down because I expected to be out for an hour or more. But, since it's back, I'll continue. So, let's go on. Let's hope the internet doesn't take a crap. If it does, there's nothing I can do. This is the internet. This is the only option here. I'm not getting the cheap package or anything else. This is the only option here. Now, it is true that the amount I'm paying for the internet here is... Zero point zero. But... That's the only option. It's supposed to work, but sometimes it just goes out. It seems like at this time of night, too. It seems like, you know, 1 a.m. or so, 12.45 a.m., whatever. It kind of it, it vanished uh, during one of my other stays here this year at that time. Very odd. But we're back. And in the archives, it's going to be all combined together. So if you just heard me abruptly stop talking and then... Here I am now. There, there is about I don't know, 20 minutes in between. So let's continue on here. I, I don't even remember where I was. <laughs> I think we had just finished the prank call to the scammers. And then I was just rambling about something. So let's get back to our agenda. Leon Sukernik, the owner of the King's Casino, who recently was accused of possibly cheating in an Aria High Roller event is again in the news for something not very good. He is accused in a lawsuit 
of failing to repay a $2 million loan, not just failing, but refusing to pay a $2 million loan that was given to him during an ARIA game. Now, you may ask, why was a loan given during a poker game? Well, in high-limit poker, it's actually common to play people with your own money. That is, if there's a fish in the game, or somebody at least who's not playing well at the moment, who's out of cash, provided you trust that person to pay you, uh, sometimes you will loan that person money to play against you. So you'll take money out of your own stack or give them money you have on you and they will play with that money with the understanding that if they win, they give it back to you and if they lose, that they will pay you later on. Usually, it's expected they pay almost immediately, like within the next few days. Now, you know the risk. The risk is that if the person loses, they just don't pay you. And then you're screwed. And that happens sometimes. I want to tell you a story I heard about a big-time commerce fish who was pretty much feeding the games for the last few years. I won't say his name. But there's a big-time commerce fish who has a lot of money and always seems to be well-bankrolled for the game, has lost a ton of money at commerce but keeps coming back, and the games revolve around this guy. And this is a Limit Hold'em player, by the way. So, someone I know was fortunate enough to get this guy heads up at some kind of high-stakes Limit Hold'em game at a different casino. Because you're not going to get it heads up at Commerce. Everyone's going to want to join. And you, you can't demand the game stays heads up. But this was at another casino which isn't frequented by high-limit players and not even a big place for limit hold'em. So if you set up a game in a place like that, no one's going to typically interfere and want to play, especially if the limits are high enough. So, and this is not about Leon, by the way. I'm, I'm telling you a similar story before I get to the Leon story. So this occurred, uh, I think, two or three years ago. And... The player at, you know, who, who hangs out at this other casino more more than commerce. I don't I don't know why this fish was over at this other casino, but they played, and the fish lost pretty quickly. So the fish said, "Hey, can I borrow from you?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." Because they knew they knew this fish shows up to commerce all the time with a lot of money, loses it, comes right back the next week, loses it, comes right back the next. Like like the, the guy's been coming for a long time. Seems to be very well bankrolled. If there is anybody who it seems was going to honor his debt there, it was this guy. Because he didn't count on poker to make money. So, without any kind of contract, as there usually isn't in this case, he just kept loaning this guy to play him heads up. And he beat the fish out of $100,000. So the fish owed him hundred k. The fish didn't have... 100k to pay him right right on site there the fish had to send him the 100k well then somehow this debt was uh, ignored and this guy wasn't paid and he started asking the fish what's going on why can't i get paid 
Well, apparently when the fish went back to commerce and explained to people what had happened, um, the commerce players in the Limit Hold'em game supposedly told him, you were cheated. And they made up some convoluted reason, even though they were playing heads up, that there was some sort of cheating going on, which there wasn't. You know, I, I know the person who was playing, there wasn't cheating. There didn't have to be cheating. It was against a, a, a big fish. I mean, you know, if there's anyone you're not going to cheat against, it's a, a fish you're going to crush anyway. But they convinced this fish that he was cheated. Now, it is thought that the reason this fish was told he was cheated was because he was very frustrated he lost 100K and people at Commerce were worried that if he paid it, that that might be the final straw for him. Because he didn't lose 100K typically at Commerce. You lose a lot faster heads up if you're running bad. So they were afraid this guy wouldn't come back if he, if he had to cough up that 100K. So they talked him into believing that he was cheated in some way. So the fish came back to the guy I know and said, hey, I, I'm not paying you. You cheated me. And the guy's like, what the hell? How can I cheat you? We're playing heads up. Well, I don't know. I, I think you were. And didn't want to pay him. Well, finally, this fish offered a compromise of 40K. But it wasn't really a compromise. He said, this is what I'm paying you. Either accept the 40K and we're done, or I pay you nothing because I think you were cheating me. I'm being nice to give you 40K. The people at Commerce, they told me what you do. They told me what you're up to. So uh, this guy I know who was in this situation said, okay, fine. He didn't like it. He hated it. He got ripped off out of 60K. But what could he do? Otherwise, the fish is going to give him zero. So he took the 40k and just got stiffed out of 60 thanks to these commerce players who convinced the fish he was being cheated because they didn't want the fish to have to cough up 100k and then maybe be frustrated with poker and quit. Horrible story. And some people were involved in this at commerce who, it kind of surprised me when I heard who was advising the fish not to pay. Some people who I had some respect for before hearing this story, which I believe. Now you may say, why don't you name this fish? Why don't you name the commerce players who convinced him not to. Well, because this is not my business. This is between the fish and the guy I know who beat the fish and then maybe you know, somewhat having to do with commerce players, but I'm not involved in this. And I heard one person's account. Now, I trust the person who told me, but I decided a while ago I'm pretty much done just retelling stories that were relayed to me as hearsay that are accusing someone directly of scamming in some way. You know, if it's just some funny story about uh, someone or something entertaining or something interesting, I'll repeat that, but not not accusing people of any kind of scamming or welching or, you know, I, I have to have more to go on than just one person's story, even if the person telling me the story is someone I trust. So I'm not going to name the names, but I figured I'd tell the story. Now, what's interesting is I had just heard this story a few weeks ago, even though this occurred years ago, like, like two or three years ago. I just heard the story a few weeks ago. And, and the reason that story came up is I was saying to the, the person who got ripped off, um, I, I was talking about certain poker players at Commerce, and, and I mentioned one person. And I said, oh, I hate that person. I said, well, why do you hate this person? Oh, well, look what they did. And then they told me the whole story. So otherwise, I wouldn't even have been told about it. I said, hey, you should have come to me when this happened. 
because you could have sued the person, you, know, you could have sued the fish. You know, there's a lot of things you could have done here. But now it's it's get, it's getting too late. It actually, I looked it up. It actually wasn't past the statute of limitations in California, but it was getting close. So it couldn't be three years. I think the statute of limitations is three years. I think it was like two and a half years ago. But it was getting close, and the person just didn't want to do it. But the farther you get from it, it's it's harder to. I mean, you have a right to sue at that point, but at that point, not only does it become your word against theirs and 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 stuff like that, but you also have the problem where it's been so long. It, you know, the other side can claim they don't remember things, and you know, other witnesses they can say they don't remember. It's it's very hard after two and a half years in a situation like this, unless you have something in writing or some kind of proof, and he didn't. So, anyway, getting back to the Leon Sukernik situation, it's very very similar, and it's so weird because I heard this story about the thing with that commerce fish. And then an almost identical story just came up about something that happened in 2017 regarding Leon Sukernik. And this one I can talk about with names because it's all over the poker news already. And in fact, a lawsuit has been filed. So this is not hearsay. This is not guessing. Uh, this isn't hearing through the grapevine. This is actually a lawsuit, a real lawsuit, which has been filed. So here's what's going on. A There's a player named Matthew Kirk... Matthew Kirk is from Australia. He's known as Aussie Matt in poker. He loaned Leon Sukernik $2 million during an ARIA game under similar circumstances. It wasn't heads up, but it was a loan for Leon to keep playing when he was losing. If you remember, during the High roller at Aria prior to the World Series, Justin Bonomo and others accused Leon Sukernik, who, who finished fourth, of cheating, of having some way to see their whole cards through the camera. Uh, because the, something that the, the table that was being used had some kind of there's uh, some kind of association. I forgot the exact reason why they they were afraid of this, but they afraid that he he had some kind of influence there. In, to be able to find out the whole cards in some way or get some kind of signals. They just they felt that he was making too good a read. Now, I'm not saying that he was. I'm just saying that this was suspected so strongly by people like Justin Bonomo that they stopped showing their cards to the camera. And Leon acted outraged in this interview with Poker News. Hello, everyone. I am joined by Leon Sukernik, who recently just placed fourth in the Super High Roller Bowl, which a congratulations, I think, Thank is you. due. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, it was a great tournament, the best tournament I ever played in my life, and uh, the structure was fantastic. Fantastic people joined it, um, a lot of professionals, uh, a few, uh, few VIP players, and uh, I, I worked my way into a fourth place, which is fantastic place. I'm very, very happy. Uh, my expectations were, uh, my expectations were somewhere. I, w- I would be happy in the twentieth place, and I made it fourth. You know, I, I just like, uh, I made it five times better than I was actually expected. So, <laughs> here you go. Well, you're known for having a very unconventional style, which I think is difficult for some of the other players who are used to these very standard moves. So tell me a little bit about 
you know, how you've developed your, your play style, how it's so unpredictable? Well, it's unpredictable because there's a lot of hands which I would show that it's a very weak hands and people would confirm it. Uh, so they will expect always to have a weak hands, but uh, you, you don't have only sunny days. You have sometimes rain days. So, you know, sometimes I can have good cards as well and a good combination and I could have good luck. I, I got very lucky and I played it well and I think I survived it and um, the first uh, four hours of playing on the final tables were the most difficult play ever I made, uh, which was very, very hard, this bubble, never-ending bubble, moving up chips up in there, losing everything up in there, um, then uh, then recovering, going up to 3 million again, going to 600,000 down again, and uh, um, non-stoppable four hours. You know, very, very hard to survive over four hours of bubble. And then after bubble, everything changed. You know, the, the aggressive style came back. The Leon came back. Well, there was a lot of talk on Twitter. Um, at a certain point, Justin Bonomo stopped showing his whole cards during the TV stream. Did you, did you notice that? Did that bother you? What are your thoughts and opinions? It, it, it did bother me a lot because this was not his show. He was one of the participants. I understand that somebody paid for him to be participant there. I, I think he should have been disqualified. I think he should not be allowed to shows like this. I think he's just, uh, he's, he's just not good for poker. You know? What was the vibe from everyone else at the table then? Because then obviously they're looking for the I think he's just a scandal person. He's just a scandal person, you know. His style is a scandal, and the, the way he behaves is unacceptable. And the big tournaments, if they're televised, they should be informed. Uh, uh, players should be inform uh, informed about that. They don't need to participate from the start. And he was informed that that's, this is a TV show he was invited in. I don't know what he was surprised. He should have been disqualified. Boom roasted. You heard it here from the man. Well, we have... <laughs> Boom roasted. Okay. So that was his comment. And this is uh, in May. This is in May that uh, this occurred, late May. So Bonomo would not show his whole cards, and supposedly others agreed with Bonomo and also wouldn't show their whole cards. So at the time, I didn't know what to think. Uh, I thought maybe it was paranoia, but I, I thought I've never heard of anything like this before. It, it, it does seem that if there was some strong suspicion and it wasn't just Bonomo, that there's, uh, given the amount of money involved, may maybe this was going on in some way. But there's no way to prove it. So, other than talking about it a bit and saying, hmm, this is interesting, wasn't much to say. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, this new story doesn't necessarily mean that Leon was cheating in that tournament. But it does seem to bolster... Justin Bonomo's case that Leon can't be trusted. Filed on... Uh, what date was this? June 16th. There was a lawsuit against uh, Leon Sukernik by Aussie Matt, also known as Matthew Kirk. The firm representing him was the Las Vegas firm known as Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. Yes, the same Chesnoff and Schoenfeld that defended Brian Mikon successfully. The same Chesnoff and Schoenfeld that uh, has gotten a number of people off of very serious criminal charges, including Paul Fua. I mean, if you, if you get into a bad situation, 
especially involving uh, anything with illegal gambling, but but even other areas. Schoenfeld and Chesnoff seem really, really good at somehow getting you a really, really favorable plea deal with the district attorney. It's amazing how well they do, to where I even wonder sometimes, how do they do that? <laughs> is, there, is there anything going on here that maybe shouldn't be going on that somehow these guys can do? I don't know what it is, but somehow, I, I would hire them. I'm not being sarcastic here. I would hire them if I got in some kind of trouble in Las Vegas. But I, I didn't realize that they also take civil cases, especially on the plaintiff's side. I thought they were criminal defense attorneys, but I, I guess they do a number of things. So they took this case from Matthew Kirk and sued Leon Sugarnik. And someone, a fake account was made on 2 plus 2, and someone posted a copy of the legal papers. Now, by the way, there's nothing illegal about posting these legal papers, even if they haven't been officially made public yet. Once a lawsuit is filed with the court, it becomes a matter of public record. So if legal papers are distributed by anyone uh, involving a court case, there's nothing illegal about that even if they hadn't been posted anywhere before. So clearly the person who made the 2 plus 2 account, I think it was even called something like throwaway 4545, something where they really made it clear it was a throwaway account. But they, they it looked like they took pictures of all the pages of the lawsuit with their cell phone and then just posted the images up. They actually posted them not on 2 plus 2 originally. They posted them on uh, IMGUR and then just reposted the images on 2 plus 2. If you want to see these, you can either look at 2 plus 2 or you can look at Poker Fraud Alert under the King's Casino owner allegedly rips off high-stakes player thread on Scam Scandals and Shadiness. And you can see those same IMGUR images that were posted by that throwaway 4545 account. Uh, you basically read the whole complaint. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's several pages. Uh, it starts out, complaint, comes now, plaintiff Matthew Kirk. I love how this starts, comes now. <laughs> that could even be seen as obscene. Comes now, Matthew Kirk. He comes right now. That's how sorry. Comes now, plaintiff Matthew Kirk, by and through his attorneys David Chesnoff and Richard Schoenfeld, Esquire, of the law firm Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so anyway, it, here's the important parts. This complaint arises out of the breach of contract by defendant Leon Sukernik related to a series of loans extended by the plaintiff on, to the defendant on May 27, 2017. Notice that's at the same time that the uh, Aria Super High Roller took place. So this is all kind of around the same time. In addition to the breach of contract, plaintiff was fraudulently induced to provide the loans to defendant when the defendant did not intend to pay, repay said loans. Plaintiff is Matthew Kirk, a resident of Perth, Australia, and was so during the relevant time in question. Defendant Leon Sukarnik is a re- resident of Razavidim, Czech Republic, and was so during the relevant time of frame in question. Um, the amount in controversy is in excess of $15,000. I think it should be established the uh, venue and jurisdiction for the case. It's actually $2 million. Uh, the amounts loaned all occurred in the morning hours of May 27th, 2017, and were in increments of 500000 500000 1 million, and $1 million. The total amount loaned was $3 million. Um, 
plaintiff, uh, d- sorry, def- defendant secured the loans for purposes of playing heads-up poker. I guess it was heads-up. I didn't realize that. Uh, against plaintiff. So I guess it's really, it's really identical to the situation with the guy I know, except different people. Defendant expressly represented they would repay the loans in full at the conclusion of the poker game. Defendant lost in the heads-up poker game has refused to pay the loans in full. Plaintiff relied upon the representation of the defendant that he would repay the loans in full. In fact, plaintiff had lost in a poker game to defendant a day earlier, and defendant received $1.5 million in poker chips from the plaintiff as a result. So it's saying that not only didn't uh, Sukarnik pay the, the money he was owed, but that he had just played the day before and had lost to Sukarnik and actually paid him $1.5 million. So it says, even though plaintiff had lost money to the defendant in that game, the defendant used that prior experience with plaintiff as a basis upon which to convince the plaintiff to have trust in the defendant that he would, in fact, repay the loans as represented. Defendant did not intend to repay the loans in the event that he lost in the heads-up poker game. So it's accusing him of free-rolling. After defendants continued to continued refusal to repay the loans, after repeated demands were made, defendant made a partial payment of... Should have had this ready. One million dollars. On June 3rd, 2017. Defendant refuses to pay the balance of two million that is due and owing. As a result of the foregoing, plaintiff has been damaged in the amount of two million plus interest, attorney's fees, and cost of suit. Plaintiff is also entitled to an award of punitive damages. So, this is very similar. Isn't that crazy, the story I was told? about that fish from commerce playing at a different casino that he wouldn't pay it after losing then made a partial payment and then said he was done that's exactly what happened here in a heads up match so the rest of it uh, is pretty much restating the same stuff as is common in these lawsuits they say the, the same thing over and over in different ways um, they say there's video evidence being preserved by the Aria Resort and Casino of the loans that will provide further evidence of the loans being made. So they must have gone to the Aria and said, hey, pull your video here. Now, they don't have the video, so it's being preserved. So presumably what happened here is... You know, he got worried when when uh, Sukarnik wasn't paying him quickly, and either he went to the Aria himself or he went to these attorneys immediately who told the Aria, "Hey, we want that video." The Aria probably said, "Hey, we're not, we're not giving the video. Casinos don't like to provide their video. They really don't like providing video." But they were probably convinced to just hold it on the side, and maybe it could be subpoenaed if necessary through the court. So this way it's not destroyed. At least it's, it's preserved, as said here. So they don't, they don't have it, but it's preserved. And I, and I believe it exists. I believe this all really happened. I have no proof, but I believe it. Uh, it says, uh, Plaintiff relied upon the representations made by defendant in providing him with $3 million. Uh, so, let's see, let me scroll through to see if there's anything else worth... Uh, no, nothing else really worth reading because it's all pretty much just saying the same stuff over and over, as I said. But that that's the lawsuit. So this is one of the few times that one poker player screws another and there's actually a lawsuit. This should happen more often, but usually there isn't. But because it's such a large sum of money, 
obviously Matthew Kirk was thinking, well, I might as well spend some money on attorneys. Maybe he even did this on uh, contingency. I don't know if these two would work on contingency because, to be honest, the Chesnoff and Schoenfeld make so much money. They're really expensive. They're really good, but they're really expensive. I, I, I don't think they have to worry about taking cases on contingency. Uh, maybe they did, but maybe also Kirk thought this was worth taking a shot because he thought that Zuckernick is collectible. And that brings me to my next discussion topic. Why did this happen? Zuckernick is the owner of the King's Casino, which has an association with the World Series of Poker now. That uh, I mean, the King's Casino must be paying the World Series for this, but they have the King's Lounge, which is to promote the King's Casino. That's the high limit room in the Rio right now for poker. Is the King's Lounge? It's almost like a mini King's Casino, <laughs> except it's only poker in there. But they must be paying some sort of hefty licensing fee to the World Series for this. So how could a casino that has enough money to be having such sponsorships, you know, they're all the way in the Czech Republic, how could they be paying money for World Series of Poker Las Vegas sponsorships if the owner's so broke he can't repay $2 million? Well, clearly this is not that Sukranik is broke. Similar to the situation with that fish in my first story, I believe that Sukarnik believed that he was cheated in some way. He's said to be a poor loser. He's said to be one who suspects cheating whenever he gets completely clobbered at the table. So, someone is saying in the chat, don't loan the fish money, that's a lesson. It is a lesson, and, and I agree. I'd feel very, very uncomfortable with this if I was, no matter who it was, if I was loaning them someone a lot of money to lose to me that they're supposedly going to pay later. Always a bad idea. But there was actually an article 10 months ago, of course, before any of this happened, where Sukarnik is supposedly a sore loser. Very similarly... He supposedly lost $3 million at Casino Barcelona, but refused to pay it back because he felt he was being cheated. Very, very similar, isn't it? Very similar. In an article on PokerTube.com called the 3 million euro welcher, I guess it was actually 3 million euro, not even $3 million, which is even worse. Uh, Sukarnik was not directly named but someone contacted a website called Poker Toke and said that a respected player known as L of course Leon's name begins with L set up a high stakes game at Casino Barcelona during the Barcelona EPT and said someone we know refuses to pay his losing Uh, L is a liar but he's respected by many in the circle he does not deserve it it's bullshit. So people started putting together like this whole long story was told, naming various people on the game. Uh, F, T, J, and E, who were in this game. F was described as a top German bracelets winner. T 
he was described as a reputable politician of the European Parliament. J is described as an online-turned-real-life poker millionaire. And E is a noted Asian poker pro. So the internet detectives put this little puzzle together and figured out that likely F is Fedor Hulse, T is Tony G, and by the way is a good friend of uh, Leon Sukernik. J is probably uh, Daniel Jungleman Cates for the J, and E is Elton Sang, the Asian pro. So, apparently in this game, Sukernik lost $3 million and, uh, and didn't want to pay, claiming that there was cheating. That's what the claims were. Says, uh, L is refu- refusing to pay, claiming the games weren't fair. All the equipment, cards, tables, chips, and even the card dealer were provided by Casino Barcelona. It's not possible for anyone to cheat. L refused to pay, claiming the games weren't fair. What a sore loser. I just want to let everyone know who respects and loves poker to know that we can't endure such behavior and let this happen again. So this was 10 months ago. And it wasn't paid that much attention at the time. But now, now that Leon Sukernik was actually mentioned by name in this lawsuit, obviously, and it sounds like a very similar story, except this one was heads up. Uh... Now that article from 10 months ago is really getting a lot of attention. So that's what... It's ironic that he was so mad that Justin Bonomo was accusing him of cheating, saying that Justin Bonomo is just a scandal person. And what he meant by that is Justin Bonomo just loves to create scandals out of everything, which isn't really true. There's a lot about what Justin Bonomo says that is objectionable, but not... I wouldn't call him a, quote, scandal person. But he was mad that he was being accused of cheating by Justin Bonomo, and then it looks like, from what we can see here, that he doesn't want to pay people when he loses in poker because he thinks they were cheating him. So, interesting story. Now, you may wonder, how could they possibly collect from him if he's in the Czech Republic? And that's a good question. And... I'm not sure if that's possible. I I don't think the Czech Republic would honor any kind of judgment in Nevada, USA. Even, you know, I, I don't think that uh, civil judgment could be collected that way. So I, I believe they could only go after any assets of his in the U.S., but if he were to win any poker tournaments in the U.S. in the future, or really have any assets in the U.S. that could be seized, including like poker chips on the table, they could probably get an injunction to hold these up. So, for example, if, if Leon Sukernik uh, had $2 million in front of him in a big cash game, they could probably have the casino come and seize it and hold it up until the court decides what to do with it. And if he were to win tournaments, same thing. So... I think perhaps the purpose of the lawsuit is not to try to collect through the Czech Republic, which I don't think is possible, but to where Leon Sukernik, who loves playing poker, 
will now be afraid to play in the U.S. knowing that whatever he wins will be seized. Now, you could say maybe he'll take his chance, you know, but paying now and getting it seized later is the same thing. You're still paying the same $2 million. But maybe he's worried that there will be punitive damages, hello, extra, so maybe... They're hoping that he just pays and then doesn't have to suffer the attorney's fees, the punitive damages, etc., etc. Maybe even possible they'll accept some kind of settlement less than $2 million, but I don't think so. I think on principle, at the very least, they want $2 million. So the World Series isn't... They're not doing a very good job with, with choosing people to partner with. First, they partnered with the GPI and apparently... Alex Dreyfus ripped people off, or at least uh, I mean, we know he did last year with that uh, currency exchange scam he pulled on Fedor Holtz and others. And now he screwed the World Series in some way where you could tell that Ty Stewart was very frustrated with him. And then now, now they have Leon Sugarnick, who, who doesn't, seem like, he doesn't seem like he screwed the World Series in any way, but this, this is not a good look. <laughs> this is not a good look. So, we will see where this goes. I'm interested to see if Leon attempts to defend this, if he just lets this go, and if there's a default judgment against him, maybe he won't show up in the U.S. anymore. Maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't want anything seized. He's just going to stay away from the from the United States here. And this was filed, it was filed in Nevada, but let's see what court it was with. It was in District Court, uh, County of Clark, State of Nevada. So this is not federal court. So even in other states, Leon could probably play and not get the money seized, even if there's a judgment. But the problem is most of these high-stake games that he'd be playing would be in Nevada. So if he comes to Nevada, which is probably the state he'd most likely want to come to for gambling, for obvious reasons, now he might be under the fear of having $2 million plus punitive damages and attorney's fees and everything else seized from him. So we'll see where this goes. See if he defends it. It's very possible Matthew Kirk could win a default judgment if Sukernik does not respond. We will follow this story. But I agree with what's being said in the chat room. Just just don't ever loan fish money. Unless you really, 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 really trust them. And them having a lot of money or assets does not mean you trust them. Because there can always be some excuse made that you were cheating. Even if they really believe it. They may really believe they were cheated. You don't want to leave it up to them to pay you after you win. There can be a lot of hard feelings. There's, there's ego involved in poker. And people, when they lose, they want to find an excuse. Sometimes I was so unlucky. Sometimes it was, I got cheated. It's something, you know, people try to find reasons for why they lost that doesn't come down to, I wasn't a very good player. I shouldn't have played this person. I made poor decisions. You'd rather blame this on outside factors that you couldn't control. It could feel better. Now, if you've lost in a casino setting where nobody owes anyone any money, then you can make excuses, but it doesn't hurt anyone when you make excuses. It uh, 
it doesn't really affect anything. But if uh, you're using these excuses to avoid paying, then that's when it can affect people. And to Sukranik, just not paying, it may not even be about the money. It may be like just he feels by not paying, he convinces himself that he was cheated and therefore he didn't really lose. It's like a principal thing, maybe. Or it could be that and the money. I mean, it's still millions of dollars. All right, so let's move on to the next topic here. Hopefully the internet holds up and does not crash, as it did about an hour ago. Vanessa Russo, I have an update about her. She is back on social media. If you remember, she claimed after posting on Twitter that she was in 7-Eleven in Hope Sound, Florida, and that her family was being held hostage and the police were not taking her report seriously, that she desperately needs help. It was later revealed that, yeah, exactly, that she was hacked and that she was a victim of swatting. She didn't write these tweets. It wasn't her. It was somebody else. It was a hacker. It wasn't Vanessa. So Poker Fraud Alert did a little looking into it, and we came to a pretty reasonable conclusion that, yes, it was Vanessa. No, she was not hacked. No, she was not swatted. And there was a good chance that this was really about she and her girlfriend having issues. We even found evidence in their on the Twitter of their business they have together called Nightlight, where prior to this happening, a few days prior, they claimed due to an unforeseen personal issue, Nightlight is taking a hiatus or something like that, which basically sounds like you, know, you have two girlfriends, you know, they're, they're lesbian uh, lovers, fiancés, whatever, but they're, they're the two who run the business. That's it. Nobody else. So they, they split up, they have some kind of major fight, they separate for a while. Uh, obviously the business they run together can't continue. It's a due, due to an unforeseen personal issue. And th- this was before all the stuff in Hope Sound where, uh, where, where she was supposedly hacked. It, it was way too much of a coincidence, and uh, we even found evidence of a 911 call that was actually made from that location. There, there is way too much evidence pointing to the fact that, yes, Vanessa really made that call and was probably not in a right state of mind, perhaps due to the stress, perhaps due to uh, being on too much medication, perhaps due to some kind of uh, alcohol or drug abuse. We don't know, but she was not in a proper state of mind and made those crazy tweets, probably after making crazy phone calls to the police. Now, Vanessa Russo has not been part of poker for some time here. It, It seemed like she kind of dropped out of poker around the time that she got onto Big Brother, that TV show. And she developed a, a pretty good-sized fan base because there's a lot of people who really like that Big Brother show and really like following the contestants even after the show's over. Her sister later appeared on the show as well. Her sister never played poker, to my knowledge. But... Vanessa, she always had, she was always dogged by allegations that she was kind of crazy. She was always seen as kind of an unstable person. Uh, There's also some weird things from her personal life, such as, you know, she married Chad Brown, who was a lot older than she was. 
And then he got cancer. He had sarcoma. And there were these heartwarming articles written about how she's standing by him during the cancer and uh, you know, she's his support, blah, blah, blah. And then what happens? They get a divorce when he has terminal cancer, which is really weird because you love the person and they have cancer they're not coming back from. Even if the relationship sucks, like, you know, why not just ride it out at that point? Especially you just did articles a short time before you're you're, you're announcing the divorce that you know, how you're standing by him, how you're, you know, you've... Uh, you're pretty much his support network, blah, blah, blah. You, know, you, you, you go out, get interviewed for these articles where you talk about how uh, you're standing by him and helping him through this horrible time and how close you've become during this. And then you divorce him while he's terminal. I mean, I still don't understand that. And then after that, you're suddenly a lesbian. So it's weird. The whole thing was weird. And this, this, this was weird. This whole thing about the, the Hope Sound 7-Eleven where they won't take her seriously that her family's being held hostage. And you can go back and listen to that episode. It was in, in May. The episode name was Hope Sound 911. We actually named the episode after this situation. But go back and listen. You can hear the whole thing being described. I'm not going to go rehash this now. But I have an update. The last we heard, she and... It was announced that she and her girlfriend, Melissa Ulay, were taking a break from social media because of the hacking, supposedly, of So Traumatic. So I, I thought this meant that they either they broke up and they're just agreeing to stay away from social media for a while, or maybe this was time they, they just took away from social media to get away from external factors and then would take another crack at the relationship after that. Well, it looks like it's the latter because they both returned around the same time. They haven't uh, re-enabled Nightlight from what I can see. Let me see. I don't think they've re-enabled Nightlight. I mean, the, the Twitter page exists. But yeah, it's it's still down. It's it's still, the last thing they have is, uh, hey guys, we had an unfortunate personal situation come up this week. We'll be back hopefully soon to continue with Nightlight. So that's still not going on. But she returned, Vanessa. That is, she returned to Twitter, and she's been tweeting very actively since returning. She returned earlier today, or I guess yesterday now, because it's after midnight. But she returned on June twenty eighth. Back to social media in the nick of time. Can't wait for tonight's Big Brother. I guess the premiere was was that night. June 28th. She had not been seen on Twitter in almost a month. The previous post was May 31st saying, uh, uh, Thanks for this, all the love and support. Me and uh, Melissa Olay are taking a small social media break. Being hacked was very scary. Be back soon, promise. And then the last tweet prior to that was... Eight days before that, hey guys, so sorry I was hacked. Everything's resolved now. Everyone's okay. She also deleted a lot of the tweets she had. She did not all of them, but she deleted a number of the tweets that she had made while she was having that meltdown. But you can still see some up there. So, to me, it looks like, and Melissa returned around the same time. To me, it looks like that they're back together. You know, they've, they've been 
at tweeting each other a little bit, not really saying very much, but you know, in conversations with other people. I think they're, I think they split up a little bit and they got back together. I don't know what happened to precipitate this, but it looked like they split up. She flew back to Florida to be with her family for support. She had this meltdown on the way between the airport and, and her family's home. And uh, maybe she had tweeted right before that, that she was on the way driving you know, front to, to see her family. I was excited. So then you know, she's probably been in Florida with her family getting right in the head. And then now she and Melissa are trying again, is my guess. Very weird. Very, very weird. But I just never felt that she was totally all there. I never felt that she was seen. So that's the answer at the moment. She has not been seen at the World Series, in case you're wondering. She hasn't been seen in poker in a while. I don't think she's ever coming back to poker. I think she's moved on to this whole Big Brother thing, even though she's not on Big Brother, I think. Big Brother and other opportunities like that, that's pretty much her new career. I don't know how much she's making beyond this now that she's not on the show anymore, but I don't even know what she's doing. Poker legend Lyle Berman, who's 75 years old, he still plays sometimes. Not all that actively, but he still plays sometimes. He will own a minority stake in the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino. The Stratosphere was built in 1993 by Bob Stupak, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, It was built on the former site of Vegas World. Actually, I I didn't realize Stupak died this long ago. He he died eight years ago. Almost eight years ago. I thought he uh, died like five years ago. I see an article from 1999 in the Las Vegas Review Journal that it says Bob Stupak is the greatest huckster in Las Vegas history. And he he really was. He was, uh, everything was a gimmick with him. His Vegas World casino was full of gimmicks, including gimmick games. Everything was a trick with him. Everything looked good to the customer, but always had a catch. Even the Stratosphere, which was... The Stratosphere, which took over the spot of Vegas World, even that wasn't quite what it appeared to be. The Stratosphere, when you saw it was being built, you you thought, okay, the Stratosphere, you're going to stay in some really tall tower. You saw the giant tower being built. You're thinking you're going to stay in this giant tower. No, you couldn't stay in the tower. You're, You're staying in some crappy hotel that's right below the tower. (laughs) <laughs> the tower is just for entertainment. 
I mean, it wasn't promoted that you stay in the tower, but that's. Uh, I was surprised when I first found that out. I remember seeing that thing being built. And I said, what the hell is this? What's this tall thing they're building? This super tall thing they're building. The tower of the stratosphere is 1,149 feet. It's the tallest freestanding observation tower in the United States and the second tallest in the Western Hemisphere. The only taller one, the CN Tower in Toronto, which I went up to the top of in 2014. Also, it's the tallest tower of any kind west of the Mississippi, and it's the tallest structure in the state of Nevada. But again, the hotel is not part of that structure. The hotel is a separate building with 24 stories, and it's just kind of an ordinary hotel casino that's not even all that nice. I mean, it's, it's kind of crappy, to be honest. And it's in a terrible neighborhood, which is between the Strip and downtown. It's north of the Strip on Las Vegas Boulevard, but it's, it's in a bad, bad neighborhood. In fact, there's some super ghetto apartment complexes that are right next to it. So, the concept of the stratosphere, by the way, began in 1989, that they had planned to construct a thousand-foot neon sign tower for Vegas World. And Stupak submitted plans to the city for approval for that tower, and it would be four times taller than the Vegas World Hotel. Then he withdrew the, the plan because he wanted, the, he wanted it to include an elevator leading to the top. First, they weren't going to have a way to go up to the top. Then he wanted that too. And he said, I want what I'm trying to do for Las Vegas is what the Eiffel Tower did for Paris and what the Empire State Building did for New York, what the Seattle Space Needle did for Seattle. It, 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 this was typical Stupak. He always wanted people to think that he was doing something for them, that there's something great for you whether as a customer or even for the city of Las Vegas. It's never for him. It's always to it's always something great he's doing for you. So eventually this became the stratosphere. The construction began began in February of ninety two. I remember seeing that being built. On August twenty ninth, nineteen ninety three They had a fire. The tower was not finished yet, but um, it caught on fire. And Vegas World, uh, the the hotel was in danger because of the fire being so close, so they had to evacuate Vegas World. In 1993, he actually uh, sold 33% of Stratosphere and Vegas World to a company called Grand Casinos. Now, Vegas World closed in 95. It became the Stratosphere Resort. And uh, they even renovated the hotel towers of Vegas World, and, and it became the Stratosphere. That wasn't all of the Stratosphere. The Stratosphere had more rooms than Vegas World did, but... Part of Vegas, part of the stratosphere was old Vegas world, not just the site. 
The Stratosphere actually opened in 96. It's funny, I remember 93. It was actually 96 when it opened. And shortly after opening, after all this, the Stratosphere filed bankruptcy. (laughs) Uh, So they were actually building a second tower at the time. And Carl Icahn got involved and bought up uh, a lot of the company. They completed that, uh, that, that tower eventually. In 2001, the second tower was completed. And uh, by then it, it was owned by American... In 2010 it was owned by American Casino and Entertainment Properties. And they had also built... uh, There's a number of rides that were on top of the tower by then that had been there for some time. And uh, they also put antennas on top of the tower for certain radio stations, including KOAS 105.7, KVGS 107.9. So, and they did renovate some of the stratosphere, not the tower, but the hotel in 2010. Some of the rides that are on top of the stratosphere, the Big Shot, which is a ride that you know quickly you sit on it, it quickly shoots you up and down over and over. And there's a lot of versions of the Big Shot all over the place, but the big deal here is you're on top of a very tall tower when doing it. Usually those are on the ground. Uh, there's one called Insanity, which opened in 2005, that dangles the riders over the edge of the tower. However, not too long after it opened... The riders were left dangling several hundred feet above the strip for nearly an hour when insanity shut down. And the reason it shut down was because it was programmed to stop if a fault or problem was detected by the ride's control system. So I, I don't know if there's an actual fault or if it uh, just f- falsely detected one, but imagine being on that thing and you're just hanging over the strip and it just stops and you're stuck there. I mean, how, how helpless do you feel there? Like, well, what could be done? <laughs> Oh boy, you're, you're just hanging over, you're just waiting if the whole thing's just going to crash down, you're just waiting, 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 that's got to be awful. They also had one called uh, Sky Chump Las Vegas, which is, it's kind of like bungee jumping, except you're going down uh, 855 feet, and you're attached to a descent wire. That opened in 2010. And there's one called X-Scream, which is... Uh, I think another roller coaster up there. There was one called the High Roller that was once up there, and that was taken down. That was just a roller coaster that kind of spins around the top, but you didn't really do much. It was just kind of the novelty of having a smaller roller coaster at a the top of a building. So, anyway, getting back to Lyle Berman, a company called Golden Entertainment, in which... Uh, Lyle Berman is a 7.14% owner, I think. 7 point something percent he owns. They are going to be buying the Stratosphere and other properties. Uh, Golden Entertainment owns uh, a few casinos. They own the Pahrump Nugget Hotel and Casino. Pahrump is a 
City, I think it's about 45 minutes away from Vegas. It, a lot of people go there who are gun fanatics because it's in a different county. It's not in Clark County. They have relaxed gun laws over there. There's also legalized prostitution over there, which is not legal in, in uh, Clark County. Gold Town Casino. I don't know where that is. Lakeside Casino and RV Park. And the Rocky Gap Resort. I don't know any of those. The only reason I know the Pahrump Nug is because of the Pahrump part. That's what Golden Entertainment already owns. But they're buying American Casino and Entertainment, who currently owns the Stratosphere. And also, Locals Casinos, Arizona Charlie's, both the Decatur and Boulder versions of it in Las Vegas, and the Aquarius Casino and Resort in Laughlin. And for those of you that don't know, Laughlin is about 95 miles southeast of Las Vegas. It's on the Colorado River. It's kind of a small, working-class version of Vegas. The purchase price, $781 million, plus... 4 million shares of golden stock. So the 4 million shares of golden stock would be worth about 68 million. So the entire package is about 849 million. So Lyle Berman, who owns 7% of golden, means he owns 7% of the stratosphere now, as well as Arizona Charlie's in Decatur and Boulder. I, I actually, and also the Aquarius. I actually went to Arizona Charlie's sometimes in the past. They used to have various locals-friendly promotions that were better than the promotions on the Strip, especially if uh, you got a new card over there. They had a pretty good promotion where, like, your first two hundred fifty dollars of losses are on them, or something, something pretty good like that. If you have a new card. So pretty much you bring any adult you know who can get a new card. We had to show ID. We had to get a new card. And then you play and it's a free roll. If you lose, they give you the money back. If, if you win, then you keep the winnings. And there weren't any catches. A lot of these other properties that did this, especially on the Strip, they had a catch. Like you'd have to get half now, half in a month. Or there's always, or you get it in free play, you'd have to run the free play back. Here it really was a total free roll at Arizona Charlie's. And I think it was like 250 or 200 It was It was something worth going down there and doing. I remember at Arizona Charlie's, this isn't related to the, the free roll you could do there with a new card, but I remember I was down there and I was playing blackjack with Mike on. And Mikeon, he kind of understood the concept of card counting, but he didn't. He wasn't really good at it. He hadn't really practiced. He just kind of understood when a lot of small cards come out, you bet bigger, and when a lot of big cards come out, you bet less. But he didn't really keep track of the count well. He wasn't really a, a real card counter other than just understanding the basics of it. But he did play with me, and provided he mimicked what I did, then he didn't really need to count cards as long as he just knew basic strategy. There, there's a few modifications you have to do when you play blackjack if you're card counting to, to basic strategy, but even if you don't do them and you just stick to the vetting patterns that are correct, then you're actually uh, still going to be positive expectation in any kind of decent game. So I, I was card counting at Arizona Charlie's with him. 
and we got this obnoxious dealer. And, and keep in mind, at higher end strip properties, they get higher quality dealers, and they get paid quite well. These blackjack dealers at high end strip properties, like the Win, like the Bellagio, they get paid quite well. I don't know if they still do, but at one point they were getting like ninety to one hundred k per year just for dealing blackjack, which is amazing. But at Arizona Charlie's, they don't get anything like that. So they also get a lower caliber of dealers. Well, there was this one dealer there who was an older guy. And I'd say this occurred about 10 years ago. This guy was an older guy. Looked like he probably had been uh, dealing blackjack for a very long time. Maybe dating back to the 70s or something. But uh, one of these old, grumpy guys, not super old, but he probably looked about 60. And, you know, it looks like he's been around for a long time and just kind of grumpy in a bad mood, doesn't really like being there, especially at Arizona Charlie's and where the games are low and the tips are low and all that. So I was betting a lot higher than they typically see at Arizona Charlie's. And so was Mike on. And. Then Mycon started saying, you know, he said some stupid things like uh, he, he thought the dealer could control the penetration, which is you know how far they deal in the deck, which is important to card counters. But usually these days the dealers can't. Even ten years ago they couldn't. So Mycon said something like, uh, you know, hey, are, are you going to take care of us here? Like he, he, he didn't even say, hey, you're going to deal down in the deck and give us good penetration. No, he just said, hey, uh, you know, you, you're going to. There's something like, uh, you're going to help us win here? Something like that. And the guy says back, I'll tell you this. If you take care of me, I'll take care of you. Something, and that's a stupid statement. He he can't control the cards that come out. I mean, it, it seemed clear to me from the way Mike on phrased it that it sounded like he was asking, hey, are you going to give me good luck? And the answer was, if you take care of me, I'll take care of you. As if somehow tipping the guy well meant that the cards would magically come out uh, more favorable for us. So I just kind of ignored that. I, I kind of thought that was stupid for Mike on to ask. Like he wasn't, he wasn't even close to explicit enough to where the dealer would even understand. Because a lot of people come up and say them things like that. Like, hey, dealer, gonna give me lucky cards today. So I, I was annoyed that Mike on even brought this up because now he's like creating an expectation for tipping. So sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Um, I was betting, you know fairly big there for Arizona Charlie's standards and doing well. Mikeon also started off doing well and he started tipping like like really big, like so big that there's no way to even be positive expectation in the game because what whatever edge you have he's tipping away. I mean, yeah, you can still win if you run really well, but I'm saying that you have to be careful if you're playing blackjack for profit, you can't tip so much that you're actually killing your edge with tips. So that's what he was doing. Now, I wasn't tipping to that level. In fact, I don't think I had tipped yet at all. Like You don't tip every hand you win. Like, even, even tipping like a dollar every hand you win is going to eat you up. So, my conscious tipping and tipping and tipping. I hadn't tipped yet. We're, we're already close to the beginning anyway. It's not like we'd been playing a long time. And the guy starts making comments about how I'm not tipping. He says, oh, I see you're taking care of me. This guy over here, you know, he, he's, he's, he, he's won a few hundred dollars already. He hasn't given me anything. You're, you're not supposed to say that as a dealer. You're not supposed to ever mention tips. You're supposed to keep your mouth shut. And if the, if the person playing wants to tip you, then they should. Or then they do. And if they don't, they don't. 
You're, you're not supposed to say that. Anyway, Mycon actually kind of goes along with him. Mycon's still believing you've got to keep him happy to keep the, you know, so, so he deals further down in the deck, which isn't true. It was so clear that there was a specific point the guy had to deal to, and that he, there was nothing he could do for us. So Mycon keeps tipping, saying, well, sorry about that. You know, I, I can't control him. You know, I, I, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you. The guy's like, oh, no, I know that. And I, I'm, I'm hoping you win. But this guy here, pointing to me, you know, I, every hand, I'm, I'm hoping he gets the worst. I'm, I can't believe this. The dealer's actually rooting, openly rooting for me to lose because he's not happy about the tips. And keep in mind, he knew the two of us were together. So between the two of us, with Mike on giving the big tips, he's still getting a lot of money, way more than he gets from these uh, small limit players there, especially with Mike on over tipping. So instead of being ecstatic about this and not caring which of the two of us that are doing it, uh, he's openly rooting for me to lose. In the meantime, Mikon doesn't want to say anything. He wants to keep him happy because he believes this guy is going to, quote, take care of us. Not understanding that the guy took it as, I'm just going to give you good luck. So, finally, after, I should have just said something, but I didn't want to, the game was fairly good at the time, and I didn't want to be, like, identified as a counter or something kicked out, which later I learned was wrong. Later I learned, just from experience, that, when you report a dealer for being rude, first of all, most of the time the dealer doesn't know what you're doing. Second, um, reports of counting actually have to come from the, the eye in the sky or from the floor. They don't even take the dealer's word for it. So there's not much the dealer can even do. So, And dealers, even if they're mad at you, don't usually say that. Either they don't know or they just don't say it. So I have found that... If a dealer is obno- was obnoxious to me, I don't play blackjack much anymore, but I found if the dealer was obnoxious to me, I would speak up and I would complain. Or I'd tell the dealer, you know, I'd talk back to him and tell him, if this crap continues, I'm going to uh, go to the pit boss and report him. And that's actually a, a threat that holds water because when you're betting fairly big for this place, they don't want to lose the action. And they'll get mad if a dealer drives someone out. So I should have, but at the time I wasn't doing that yet, so I, I just kept my mouth shut. And afterwards, I said to Mike, what were you doing? What were you doing? Why, why did you do this? Why did you overtip this dealer, especially how he was treating me? You know, you should, you, like once he was talking this way to me, I wasn't going to tip him anything. That was my rule. If I ever had a dealer mouth off to me or bitch about tips, that means it gets nothing. So... And I would tip, when I play blackjack, I would tip something reasonable to where they get something, but at the same time I wasn't negating my edge, otherwise I might as well not play. And why, why, why play blackjack and count cards to be positive expectation if you're going to tip away everything you win? So, but, but if I'd get complaints about it, that's when I'd shut down and, and tip them nothing. So anyway, I, I said to Mike, why were you still tipping this guy so well after, after how nasty he was being? And Mike was like, well, you know, he said he was going to take care of us. So, you know, I thought that meant he's going to de- de- deal better. I said, no, no, come on. <laughs> so that's what I remember most about Arizona Charlie's. That and the good free roll. The uh, player's card free roll it is, not poker free roll. Saw24 says in chat, quit being a Jew druff. I knew we'd get that from chat. That's actually why I opened the uh, 
chat. Also, Chris Ferguson was deep in the 10K PLO8, but he busted fourth. That happened tonight. And I'm glad he didn't win. I know it was Bryce Yockey against uh, some other guy. I don't think Bryce has a bracelet yet. Bryce is a good player, though. Bryce is, is one of these good tournament players that you may not have heard of, but he, he really is very good. And I, I knew him a long time ago when he played at the Hustler and was kind of a nobody. Kind of played low stakes at the Hustler. He wasn't. He was just some kid who played at the Hustler. This is pro- I'm talking like 10, 11 years ago. So, anyway, I knew someone would make some comment about being a Jew. And it's easy to say, hey, you're betting big. Why don't you tip well? Well, it's not like going to a restaurant and, and, and tipping well for your good service. It's, you, if you're gambling to win money, the tips have to be factored in. And if you're tipping so much it's going to eat up your profits, then, then you shouldn't be gambling to win money because you're not going to win in the long run. All right, let, let me get to the FTC and its opposition to the merger between DraftKings and FanDuel. FanDuel and DraftKings, the two biggest fantasy daily fantasy sports sites, which have about 90% of the daily fantasy sports market, want to merge. They've been embroiled in some scandals over recent years, and they have been spending a fortune on marketing. A fortune. That's why you've heard of them, I'm sure. If you don't play daily fantasy sports, I'm sure you've heard of DraftKings and FanDuel because of how they blanketed everywhere with ads. I even played a World Series event sponsored by DraftKings, the DraftKings 50-50 no-limit event two years ago, where 50% of the field cashes. And of course, by my luck, that's the event where, where I make it beyond the final 10, where I'm not even helped by the uh, 50%. In fact, I'm hurt by it because the, the cashes are reduced for those that made it past the final 10. 10%, that is. Speaking of which, you want to hear something freaking annoying for me? Um, much like uh, the Dodgers, who I'll talk about towards the end of the show, they're probably annoyed by the existence of the wild card in baseball, which didn't used to exist prior to 1995, because before 95, it was just whoever won each division made the playoffs and nobody else did. And now there's two wild cards from each league who also make it that are not division winners. Well, the Dodgers have not been helped by that very much. The Dodgers have made the playoffs five times since 2008. And none of those times were they the wild card. They won the division five times since 2008. Sorry, six times, not five times. Six times since 2008. 08, 09, 13, 14, 15, 16. And I think probably 17, too. So they were division winners six of the last... Nine seasons, and the other three they didn't even make the wild card. So <laughs> the Dodgers are probably saying, "Crap, there's more teams in the playoffs that we have to beat." So we're we're getting the bad end of the wild card. We have to beat more teams in the playoff, and yet 
we're never the wild card ourselves. Now, they've been the wild card, I think, twice since it was put in, but they've won the division far more times, especially recently, than they've been the wild card. So, much like that, not only did the 50-50 event, where they, they, they don't do that event anymore because it was kind of a fail, but much like that where I finished in the final 10% and didn't need that 50-50 crap, since they changed the World Series last year to include to, to make a cash at the top 15% instead of the top 10%, I have never been in the top 15% without being the top 10%. So I cashed twice last year. Both times I made a top 10%. So I've never been helped yet by that 15% rule. Yet strangely enough... There were a lot of times prior to that that I was the top 15, but not top 10. Including in 2012 when I was the stone bubble of the 5K limit hold'em event. It's too bad this year wasn't the top 16% or the top 15 point something percent because I would have been the first casher in the 1500 limit hold'em instead of the stone bubble boy. But yeah, I haven't been helped by that yet. I've only been hurt. Figures. Anyway, getting back to the whole thing with uh, DraftKings. They want to merge. They want to be become one massive, massive site that has 90% of the market. Basically to save money on marketing. They're tired of outsp- trying to outspend each other in, in a market frenzy. They, they're tired of both having to spend so much marketing to beat the other. So they say, hey, if we, if we move and become together, not only don't we have to spend as much money marketing to compete with each other, we probably have to spend as much overall because uh, we're, we're pretty much the only choice uh, aside from a few fail sites that are never going to compete with us. The main reason they're advertising so much now is, is more to compete with one another. I guess also to get some new people, but it probably wouldn't have to be as aggressive. So... The Federal Trade Commission is not a fan of this. They don't like the idea of a daily fantasy sports near monopoly. The FTC put out a press release. Part of the press release says this. According to the FTC's complaint, DraftKings and FanDuel are each other's most significant competitor. At present, the two companies battle head-to-head to offer the best prices and product quality, including the largest prize pools and greatest variety of contests. The proposed merger would create a single provider with by far the largest share of the market for paid daily fantasy sports contests in the United States. And this was said by the acting director. The acting director of the FTC said the merger would deprive customers of substantial benefits of direct competition between DraftKings and FanDuel. The FTC is committed to the preservation of competitive markets, which offer consumers the best opportunity to obtain innovative products and services at most favorable prices and terms consistent with the provision of competitive returns to efficient producers. So they're basically saying with no competition, uh, they're going to be not monopoly. They won't be able, they, they can do what they want. Everything that you might like about fantasy sports, a lot of that might go away when they have no one to compete with, except for some tiny fail sites that won't have the number of players that are there to play against in the first place. So, the FTC 
along with the Attorney General of California and Washington, D.C., are seeking a preliminary injunction to prevent the merger. So they're not just speaking against it, they are attempting to prevent it. So we will see if that's granted. So the administrative trial for this complaint will begin on November 21st, 2017. So we've got a little while until this is heard. Okay, now it's time for the Jew tip of the day. There was a person who listens to this show who was in Las Vegas and got ripped off in a way by the Rio, according to their story, which I believe. I'm not going to name them. They can name themselves if they like, but I will tell their story. And there's really nothing to be ashamed of here, except for the Rio. They, they should be ashamed of what they did. Uh, this person stayed at the Rio for, I believe, uh, was it seven nights or something? Four, maybe four nights. I don't know. So, so, it doesn't matter. There's a number of nights in a row they stayed at the Rio. They were about to leave, and they got an email saying, hey, would you like to extend your stay? Now, I've gotten these before, too, even though I get comp rooms at the Rio. Uh, my comp rooms... Uh, I sometimes, you know, I've been staying the maximum amount I can stay, and then I leave and I come back and, and do another comp stay. But uh, when my comp stay is, is ending, I get an email saying, would you like to extend your stay? And then I'm supposed to click to, to see some offer to, to extend my stay. But it's never comp. It's always, it's, it tries to demand money, and I refuse. I, I just ignore it. I don't have to do anything. So this guy actually got a similar email, but it said that he could stay two nights comped. So I said, great, okay, I'll stay two more nights comped. <laughs> he, so this is a guy who paid for four nights. I think it was four nights. And now he was saying, hey, you can stay for two more nights comped. I don't know why it offered that. Maybe because he played at the, at the tables or the pits. I, I, I don't know what he did. He, For whatever reason, it, the computer decided it was worth keeping him here. Which is a newer thing. I, I hadn't seen this prior to this year, but it makes sense. It makes sense that they would have a computer that analyzes someone's play. And if the computer likes having them here, if the computer decides that it's worth keeping them here for cheap or for free because they're expected to continue gambling and losing, that it's worth offering. And that it, it kind of cuts, cuts the host out of it. And in fact, it... Uh, it offers them something. You, the, the traditional model would be if you want to continue staying, you'd go to your host and say, hey, can you give me two more comp nights? Here it's coming to you. The computer's coming to you saying, hey, would you like to stay for two more nights comp? Or, hey, would you like to stay for this discounted rate if you want to stay further? So it emailed him, you want to stay two more nights comp? So his answer was yes. He clicked on the link to go ahead and do that, and it failed. Now, mind you, he acted very quickly. He got this email two minutes after receiving the email. He responded and tried to click. And it did not work. So he went to the Rio. And he brought this up to them. And by the way, I'm not not just telling this story to bash the Rio. I'm going to transition into 
what to do if this or something similar ever happens to you. Not just about extended stays, but much more general than that. But I, I want to give you guys some advice on how to handle situations like this, which I'm about to explain what happened to him. Which you can probably already guess to some degree. Uh, so what he said happened then was he went... Uh, uh, so, so I guess he stayed somewhere else. Or I see what happened. It was, it was, I'm reading his, his message again to me. He first got this email not the day he was leaving, but the day before he left. So he tried. Two minutes later, it failed. And said, all right, maybe there's an issue. And uh, so uh, so then he went to the front desk and said, hey, you know, your email, it, the, the link on it didn't work. It wouldn't let me comp the nights here. It offered me two free comp nights, but it won't let me book it. So the front desk said, let me look into this. They came back and said, okay, you're right. Uh, we can give you the first night comped, but uh, the second night we can't give you because uh, we're full. <laughs> so he says, that's strange. Why would it have offered me two comp nights if they're totally full? I'm sorry, the computer made a mistake, he was told. We can give you one night, but the, the, it can only be one night. Second night, you're going to have to leave. Now, this is still he had one more day. This is the, the day before he left. So next day, the day to check out, um, he, he checked one more time. He said, hey, have any rooms opened up? Perhaps uh, the second night, is that available now? Sorry, sir. No rooms the second night. Totally booked up solid. But then he overhears them offering others rooms for $300. So if you're willing to pay 300 bucks, suddenly there's rooms that are open. But the comp rooms which are being offered, they didn't even tell him that we just can't give it to you comp because we're busy. They just said, we're full. Sorry, we're full. No room. And then, oh, hey, hey, you want to stay here? $300. They say to somebody else. Really shady. So... He decides to check. Close to when they're checking out, he, I guess he goes online and checks and uh, sees, sure enough, um, no, I guess it wasn't online. I guess he asked as, as he was checking out. He asked one more time. Hey, before I check out, uh, can you check one more time? I said, yeah, yeah, we actually have rooms now, but for the second night, it'll be uh, $300. So he said, come on, I was offered two comp nights. How can you tell me the second's 300 First, you tell me it's full. Now you're saying it's three hundred. They said, "Okay, well, hang on. Let's let's uh, uh, let me go ask the manager." So the person disappears, talks to the manager, comes back. Uh, yeah, um, hundred ninety dollars. Manager's giving you a discount. So to that, he said back to them. <laughs> so he just said, "Screw it! I'm going to fly home." Went to, went to go fly home, and uh, I guess they got bumped from the flight or something. So um, it went back to the Rio and said, okay, you, well, well, you've, just curious, can you give me uh, the comp room now? Any chance you can really do it? No 190 no 300 They check, oh, okay, 60, $65. We want $65 now. Big discount. <laughs> so he says, look, I, I hate to tell you, but I already... Uh, 
got another hotel, not a Caesars property, but I already got another hotel to, to count me a room. So I'd rather stay here, but I'm, I'm not paying anything. So they said, okay, well, don't pay. So he left. So he felt that they were giving him the runaround and that they were only going to give him two nights for free if he paid for one of the nights at an outrageous rate. Or I guess it wouldn't be two nights free. It'd be one night free and the other being uh, that crazy 300 rate where it really breaks down to 150, 150 if you think about it. So is that what was happening? Was this a bait and switch? My answer, believe it or not, no. I don't agree with them. I think they screwed him. I think they should have kept to what was offered in the email. And I think to lie about being full when they're really not full is BS, which, by the way, I, w- I witnessed happened myself because on my last day at the Rio this month, they put me in a room with a connecting door and I didn't want a connecting door. And they promised me I wouldn't have a connecting door and I get up to the room as a connecting door. So when I went to switch rooms, uh, they had several rooms available to switch me to, but none of them met my specifications of what I needed. So I had them just hold a room for later that day when someone was going to check out and then give it to me at that point, which is what I did. And I switched at that point. But the reason I'm telling you this is that while they're searching the property for rooms I can switch to, they're naming me like like 10 different rooms that are open. And they didn't even stop. They just, they just eventually stopped and said, look, uh, what you're looking for, we don't have. But had I been willing to take any room, they had at least 10 and probably way more that were vacant right at that moment. And this is like at 4 in the morning. So you can't even say that there's like a lot of people who are, who are still you know, going to check in that they could swap into my old room. And furthermore, my, my old room wasn't even, wouldn't be clean if I left it. So they couldn't even swap someone into it immediately who just came. So I, at that, and then I heard someone come up and say, hey, you have any rooms tonight? They said, no, no, sorry, we're completely full. <laughs> While they're telling me all these different rooms that are available I could switch to. So clearly the full at the Rio really means full for you. We don't want you here. So this, the guy who I saw walk up and asked, hey, do you have any rooms tonight? At this point, they probably decided that the remaining rooms are being held for any casino guests who have a history there that uh, you know that they want in the property, and they want to hold a certain number of rooms empty for that, and also for people who need to switch rooms or whatever for maintenance problems. So that's probably what they meant by full. Now, that part's reasonable. But what's not reasonable is what they did to this radio listener telling him that uh, the offer you just got two minutes ago is no longer good. You have to pay $300 for the second night when we just said it would be comped. Or first, you know, first telling him it's full and lying to him. And then later trying to squeeze 300 out of him. So what was really happening here, I believe, is that they only want to give comp rooms if they have a big surplus of rooms. So this guy probably did not play high enough. He was not worth enough to give him a free room for a night where someone else is willing to pay 300 Because the casino has something called the average daily theoretical. And that is, on average, if your luck was, was completely average... This is what you would have lost in a day over your last, you know, 
whatever number of visits. They take all your visits, they do an average of the whole thing, take luck out of it, and just look at the theoretical loss of each game you played. And they come up with what, if your luck was 100% average, right down the middle average luck, what your expected loss would have been for each day on average. And that's what you're worth to them. So if your average daily theoretical is 200, and you want a comp room that's worth 300, they probably don't want to give it to you. Because they'd rather someone pay 300 than have you lose 200 in the casino and get the room for free. So when they offered him that comp room by email, the system must have been behind that offered the comp. It must have been behind the other system, which could see that the hotel was getting a lot more full than they expected. So it offered him the comp based on old data, old meaning like maybe a day old, two days old. And then when he went to redeem it, they're like, oh, no, 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 we're way more full than we thought we'd be. The remaining rooms will go for a lot of money. It may have been during EDC now that I think of it, but the remaining rooms will go for a lot of money, and uh, you can't have it. So here's the problems I have with this story. That is on the Rio's end. My, my problems of how the Rio handled this. Number one, they've got to be honest. Don't, don't give this that we're full crap. Be honest and say, this uh, comps are always revocable. And if when it offered this, it was based upon a low occupancy, which we don't have anymore. So I'm sorry we, had to re- we have to revoke it. The, I'm sorry the computer offered this to you. But uh, that was when we thought the computer thought the hotel was not full. We're actually getting very close to full, and we can't or, we can't offer comp rooms at this point. Something like that. That still wouldn't be great, but at least it's being honest. And it doesn't sound that bad. But the best, what they really should have done is they should have just honored the mistake. They should have honored what the computer sent. They don't. They don't have to by law. A business is not required to give you comps by law. They can always rescind comps. Now, they can't pull a bait and switch. They can't say your room's comped, and then when you check out, oh, guess what? We decided to uncomp you, so now you owe $1,000. Like, they can't do that. If, if you're coming in and you complete a comp stay that you're told is comp, they can't uncomp it retroactively. But they can say, we're deciding to no longer comp you. Even when you get there, they can say, uh, we're not going to comp you anymore. Decided not to give you for free. Uh, what they cannot do, they cannot... Uh, change the price on you. If you have a a price that's confirmed by email, they can't change the price before you get there. But as far as something giving you for free, they can take that away. You're not entitled to comps. It gets a little more murky if you have a claim that you were enticed to come out there and had to go through some expense to get there based upon a comp stay and then they don't offer you the comp anymore. You could sue them and possibly win in that you got enticed, you know, to, based upon a comp, spent money to get there, and then they took it away from you. But short of that, they can always take away comps, provided it's up front they take it away, not, not that uh, they say something's comp and then make you pay later. But it's bad form to offer someone comps by email. They respond two minutes later, and then they're told... Sorry, you can't have this. So they should have, even if this was going to cause a small loss to give him this room, 
they should have given it anyway, just for goodwill, just and, and then fixed the problem with their system later to where it, it doesn't do this, to where it's not behind like this. But forget what they should have done. Let's talk about what you do when this or something else like this happens. And that's why it's called the Jew tip of the day. Um, first of all, from the story that was emailed to me, it does not appear that he spoke directly to the manager. It looks like he spoke to the front desk, then they went back to talk to the manager, then he came back another time and they offered an even lower amount, the 65 that he could stay, but at that point he already had a free place somewhere else. But I don't see anywhere that he actually spoke directly to the manager. And that, that's, that's something that, uh, I don't want to call it a mistake, but it's, it's something that uh, should have been done differently, let me say. I'm not trying to get on this guy's case or anything. I, uh, I'm just trying to give advice to the future. And in fact, I even told this person that, uh, this is someone I kind of know. I said, next time this happens, if I'm here, which, which I was when this happened, uh, tell me. So I, I would have gone to bat for you. And I actually could have helped, I think. So, and I would have. I, I would have tried to really help this person resolve that and get them their two-com night. I think I could have been successful. But aside from that, forgetting my assistance, first of all, you always need to speak to the manager. Never go through a third party who asks the manager something and comes back and tells you. This is true at hotels with a front desk. This is true with telephone customer service where someone goes and checks with the supervisor and comes back. I have it so many times. I say, let me speak to the supervisor. They say... I'll go ask the supervisor for you. I go, no, 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 I don't want you to ask. I want you to give me the supervisor. Well, no, no, it's fine. I'll ask. I don't want you to ask for me. I will ask myself. Let me speak to the supervisor. Then sometimes they still insist they'll do it. I say, okay, fine. You can ask for me. And if the answer is yes, then I'm fine with it. Then I don't need to speak. If the answer is no, I need to speak to the supervisor. So you always need to speak to the manager if the answer is no. Directly. Why does it matter? Well, because it's always hard. It's human nature. It's always a lot harder for a human being to tell another human being no face-to-face or even directly talking on the phone. The easiest way to say no is through a third party or by email or by text. That's the easy way to say no because there's not someone arguing with you right there. There's not someone who just shoots back a response to you as soon as you say no. On the phone that happens, in person that happens, but... Through email, there's a big delay. You can choose not to even answer the email back to you. Uh, same with a text message. You know, all, all those things you, you can avoid. If it's through a third party, you can really avoid it because you're, you're never talking directly. So it's easy to go tell the person who works for you, yeah, go back out there and tell them no. Go back out there and tell them it's $190. And that's, if he doesn't like it, too bad. It's a lot harder to directly tell that person that. It, it sounds like it's not, but it really is. So it's much more effective to talk directly to the manager, and if they don't want that, then say, okay, you can go ask the manager yourself, but if the answer is no, I want to talk to them. And insist you talk to them. It's the manager's job to come out and talk to you if you want to talk to them. So that's, that's the first thing you should always do. Second, you need to be persistent if the answer is no. I can't tell you how many times that I have changed a decision 
at some kind of business where something's decide. You know, I ask for something, they come back with no, and I keep pressing, and by the time I'm done, the answer is yes. This can be for a few reasons. This can be because they weren't convinced that what I'm asking for is reasonable, and then once I reason it out, they understand. It could be because they're just tired of dealing with me, <laughs> and I'm a pain in the ass. Uh, it could be because uh, they're afraid that I'm going to you know, lodge some complaint above them because they're uh, they're not making something right. There's a lot of different reasons why someone, after a lot of debate with them, who's in a customer service capacity, will agree and back down and do something that before they weren't going to do. So you need to speak directly to the manager, whoever, and I'm talking about the real manager who can make a decision, who's empowered to make the decision. Not just a more senior rep, not just an assistant manager. You need to speak to the highest manager available if the answer is no. Again, if the answer is yes, then just stop. (laughs) Then you don't need to speak to anyone anymore. But if the answer is no, you need to keep going up the chain. If that manager says no, I want to speak to your manager then. Just keep going up the chain of whoever's there at the moment. Now, as far as hotel promotions or comps, it gets a little more complicated because like what I said before, these are not guaranteed. So that becomes a different story. Anything that, If you're paying for a hotel room, anything that comes with what you're paying for, even if there's a promotion attached to it, like a free breakfast, a late checkout, uh, a free box of chocolates, whatever, If you are paying for the hotel room and it says on your confirmation that this is what you get, then they need to deliver it. 100%. That's the law in all 50 states. So in that case, it's very straightforward and simple, and you should just not take no for an answer. I I once had it at a hotel where their computer system – and this wasn't a casino hotel, by the way – but their computer system – screwed up and I, I had gotten a promotion where I, I get a 4 p.m. checkout plus like a box of chocolates uh, with this promotion and it, it, it was not very much more than the uh, the regular rate and just the 4 p.m. checkout itself was worth it to me so I, I paid the a little bit extra money to get this promotion so first my box of chocolates doesn't come like it's it was supposed to be like a welcome box of, box of chocolates it just does not come I'm on like my second or third night there. I'm like, where's the box of chocolates? They're treating me like I'm a pain in the ass. They, you know, they, they they say it's coming, then it doesn't come, and I'm like, well, you know, how much how much effort do I want to put into this box of chocolates? <laughs> but still, it's like the principle. I want to get my damn box of chocolates. So I, I I keep calling. Finally, after a lot of calls, they send the damn box of chocolates up there. But but of course, the more important thing to me in this was the late checkout. And I, I'm actually uh, we had stayed up the night late the night before. And we were uh, we were taking a nap there. We actually were flying out that day, an evening flight, so it was nice to have the 4 p.m. checkout. So we were taking a nap, and I'm woken up by the phone at like 1.30. Uh, sir, you were supposed to be out by uh, by 12. Uh, you haven't vacated the room yet? I go, what? what? No, I have a 4 p.m. checkout. Uh, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I have the, the confirmation here. Um, no, you need to request that when you check in. I go, no, I don't. I have a confirmation that says my checkout's 4 p.m. I don't have to request anything. Uh, no, sir, you have to request it. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I'm getting this whole debate with this idiot calling me up, this bitchy woman, who's telling me because I didn't, quote, request the 4 p.m. checkout that uh, that was part of my reservation. 
that I paid extra for that I have to get out now. So I said, I said here, here's my answer. Absolutely not. I am not leaving. I have a document on my computer stating I, I paid for a 4 p.m. checkout. I am not leaving until 4 p.m. Uh, you cannot remove me until after 4 p.m. If you send anybody to remove me, I will show them this document. And if, and if, you, if for some reason I get removed, I'm going to sue you. Goodbye. <laughs> so, I mean, why? Because the law backed me there. They can't email me. I have a 4 p.m. checkout. I'm paying for a 4 p.m. checkout, at all, uh, and I have to request it. So what was the truth? The truth was their computer screwed up. The truth was that this extra thing I paid for, the 4 p.m. checkout, the chocolates, it didn't show up in their computer. The computer glitched. It showed me as a regular reservation. When I asked for the chocolates, they were confused. They finally just did it anyway, and it still didn't fix the problem. And then when I came for the checkout, uh, rather than admit that the computer screwed up, I guess they needed the room and, and tried to argue with me with nonsense like you have to request it, you know, ju- just as a way to get me out, just as a way to – because they needed the room. They didn't want to – oh, sorry, we, we had it wrong in the computer. They, they, and when I confronted the manager about this later – when I when I actually did check out and I was very unhappy about this, the manager and, and the manager tried to make excuses. I said, "Look, how about you just admit to me the truth? The computer messed up. Uh, you guys were trying to find excuses. You probably needed the room." She says, "Okay, final level. Yes, is exactly what happened." And she showed me it. You know, it's a, it, here it says regular you know, regular reservation. You know, we 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 fell short on inventory. This was you know this this employee took it upon herself to try to find a way to get you out. We shouldn't have done it. I'm so sorry. So I, I actually figured it out. She admitted the whole thing. So uh, she gave me a hundred dollars off my bill, which wasn't very much. My bill was like eleven hundred there for the nights we had been there. So, but I took it, and that was that. Anyway, here's my point. That was a cut and dry situation because I had the confirmation saying 4 p.m. checkout, box of chocolates. They, they can't deny that to me legally. Uh, however, anything extra they're giving you, including a comp, they can deny you. Especially if it's before you've actually redeemed it. Meaning, if you don't have any kind of confirmation you have been booked for this comp, then you're on really very flimsy ground as far as being able to force them to give it to you. It's different if they if they have a confirmation email saying comp, they usually won't rescind that. I think they can by law, but it's it's hard. Uh, they usually don't, but just being offered a comp and then the comp being told, you're told, no, you can't have it. That doesn't mean anything. I get offers from Caesars Properties all the time where I call up to redeem them. Oh, sorry, it's not available anymore. Why? Well, we sold out the maximum. Of the, and I said, well, it says right here, still offer available. No, that's wrong. Well, there's nothing I can do. This happens all the time. But this is a bit different because this was offered to him and he jumped at it two minutes later. So it can't even be like, well, you were too slow. Everyone grabbed it. Like two minutes later, he tried to do it. So... That's why you got to handle each of these situations on an individual basis. If you're offered something by a hotel that's comp and some time passes before you try to redeem it and then they say it's not available anymore, then it's just, just tough luck. You just got to accept it. You can try to talk them into it, but the, there's a good chance they're going to say no and there's not much you can do. But if it's something like this where you're offered something, snap accept it, and then they won't give it to you, while they're not required to give it to you, you can press very hard. And the ways you can press hard uh, include threatening to complain to corporate, uh, you know, demanding to talk to their boss about it. Uh, if you're a casino player, you can exaggerate the amount you lost on this trip. or uh, Because they don't have access to that at the hotel. Only the, the hosts have it. 
I lost a whole lot of money here. Um, you know, I'm moving my action somewhere else permanently because of this. You can really give them a hard time and, and tell them all the consequences that are going to happen unless they deal with you in good faith. And what tends to get the job done also is when you make it clear to them that you just want them to be fair to you. Because they get people who are trying to angle for things all the time, especially at casinos, who always want to angle for free things. Who think the world is owed to them just because they played a slot machine and lost 100 bucks. There's people who with totally unrealistic expectations as to what they are owed for losing at casinos. In fact, they don't even understand theoretical loss. Where, and the reason theoretical loss is important to casinos is they know people will get lucky sometimes and people get unlucky sometimes and sometimes in the middle. So... Just like uh, if you win, the casino doesn't take away whatever cops they gave you. Uh, if you lose more than expected because your luck is worse than average, they're not going to give you a lot extra because you lost. They'll give you a little extra sometimes, but not, not a whole lot extra. So my, my point here is that they have to deal with people all the time demanding free things that aren't entitled to it and shouldn't be entitled to it. And you need to separate yourself from people like that. You need to say, I only want what's fair. I only want what promised to me. If I get something two minutes ago saying, extend for comp, you need to honor that. If I, if I waited a long time and you filled up, that's a different story. If I get this two minutes ago, then you need to honor it. And you need to really press that. You can't force them to, but you can put a lot of pressure. where They will eventually relent in many cases. And you need to do it with the manager. If that manager won't help you, spe- ask for the hotel manager. You know, say who's who's your boss, who's the uh, the manager of the whole hotel. The higher you go, the more willing they are to do things for you. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, because the higher the manager is, the more authorization they have to make these decisions. And number two, there's less oversight on them. Uh, the average front desk employee is not empowered to just give you comp rooms. Why? Well, because the, they can start giving comp rooms out to all their buddies, and every, you know, they, they can start selling comp rooms on the side. There's <laughs> a lot of things they could do. Okay, Th- Those people are not entrusted with, with that level of access to give things out for free. And then as you move up the chain, they're empowered more and more, and there's less suspicion over whatever they give out, whether that's right or wrong. So someone who's the, the top hotel manager, they, they can give out a lot more, and it's actually considered to be part of their job to be more professional, to be nicer, to be more forgiving in these type of situations, to make customers happy, and, and there's no one breathing down their neck, oh, why would you give out another comp room when you shouldn't? Like, no, that's their whole job is, is, is to do things like this. So... You just need to keep pressing up the ladder there. Especially if you have a day to do it. If this is the day before you leave, then you have a full day to reach that person if necessary. So, in general, I always say you need to use this litmus test to figure out whether you should press something or not. If you feel you get ripped off in some way or some offer is made to you and then it's revoked and you feel that you did everything you possibly could as a customer 
to understand what was being sold to you and then you're not getting what you paid for or you're not getting what was offered to you, then you're probably right. If you have to stretch it in your mind for why you're right or 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 find excuses for why you're right or, or bend and twist to, to find a way to explain why you're right, then you're probably wrong. But like in my example with that hotel I told you about earlier, if my document says 4 p.m. on my computer, I paid for a 4 p.m. checkout, and they tell me, no, you had to request it. That, that's, that's nonsense. That fails the sanity check. I paid for 4 p.m., I'm getting 4 p.m., period. No way around that. Not quite as strong, but also strong, you get an email saying, we're offering you two comp nights. Two minutes later, you respond to it, sorry, we're sold out, and then you find evidence they're not sold out. That's a problem. And by the way, you can also raise issue about that, that they weren't truthful to you. That they told you you're sold out, and then you, you heard them offering somebody else uh, th- rooms for $300. Because nobody likes being caught lying. And I've also had that before, where I've caught businesses lying to me, and then they give concessions <laughs> mainly because I caught them lying. And it's embarrassing for them. So... Anything that you're promised, anything that is in writing or or that you've paid for, even if it's an extra you paid for or an extra you're given as part of a promotion, let's say, you know, this week only, uh, free breakfast, and then you book, oh, sorry, we don't have the free breakfast. Either you can't have it or or we just don't have it, uh, or we decide we're canceling it. No, you paid for it. You may not have paid specifically for it, but you could say, I booked the room as opposed to another property because I got this free breakfast. So what would I do at that point? I'd say, okay, the, what's the free breakfast cost? They say you know, $15. Okay, take 15 off my bill because I thought I was getting that. Totally reasonable. So the most important takeaway from this whole thing is always talk to the actual manager. Don't ever let someone be the go-between. And, and if you're offered something and you respond immediately to it and they deny it, I would press that. If you were offered something and you wait a while to respond and then it's, it's no longer available, then I, I would just give up. I might weekly try to see if they can honor it, but I've given up in those situations myself many times where I'm told such and such is free. I respond to it two days later. Sorry, I can't have it anymore because we're out of it or we've reached our max of what we can give away, whatever. Then I just give up. All right. Time for an editorial. It's been a long show. I think it's been uh, six and a half hours already. The tough thing is it's been almost all me. (laughs) I'm used to having a, a... a co-host when I do a long show like this. This has been just about all me tonight. Actually, I guess it's not quite six and a half hours because we had that downtime in the middle. I was just subtracting from the start time. I want to talk about the Republican health care bill. And there's, there's accusations from the Democrats that this bill is going to kill tens of thousands of Americans just to save rich people money on taxes. Is this true? Well, it is true that an additional tax was added to pay for Obamacare that mostly affected rich people 
or semi-rich people. It is true that Republicans are removing that. It is true that, in the most basic sense, that this is a tax cut for rich people. However, it's more of a tax reversal. It's the removal of a tax that was added fairly recently. But still, I guess one could say it's a tax cut. But more importantly, is this going to kill tens of thousands of Americans who will not be able to afford a health plan anymore and therefore will die? We're just going to have people who die now because they can't afford health care? There's no more subsidies for them? Well, the short answer is no. First of all, if you go to the emergency room, they're never going to turn you away. They can't turn you away by law because of your ability to pay. Whether you can pay or you can't pay, they have to take you. But second, what the Republicans want to do is they want to change the amount that each person is contributing. They, they feel right now that the subsidies are too generous and that the taxes are too high. That some of the people who are getting health care for free or near free could be contributing something to it and are not. So it's not, hey, let's, let's uh, do a tax cut for the rich and, 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 give to the, and, and take from the poor. It's more like uh, we took too much from the rich before to allow a large number of people to get free health care or very, very, very cheap health care. And we've decided that's not fair. It wasn't equitable. We, we took too much from the rich. We put too much burden on their shoulders. Uh, we're taking some of that off. And that's not the same as, quote, a tax cut. That's not the same as raising uh, the, the responsibility for the poor to, to give the rich a tax cut. That's not it. They, it. It's reversing what was done fairly recently where a certain percentage of the population was saddled with paying for the health care premiums of uh, certain other people in the population. And uh, is the Republicans' opinion that uh, this went too far? Now, this may sound like I'm defending the Republican bill, but I'm not. I will tell you something. I think the Republican health care bill sucks. I don't like it. I don't think either party has any clue about how to properly reform health care. A big problem that we've seen in the past few years since Obamacare came into effect in 2014 has been skyrocketing premiums. The same plan that I paid for in California for uh, $172 in 2013... is now over 400. Now, it's not the identical plan, because I actually lost my plan. They, they canceled it, which Obama promised wouldn't happen, but did. But they canceled my plan. Anyone on, not just me, anyone on my plan, the whole plan was canceled. I had to buy a new plan. And in 2017, the cost of that plan is over $400. With similar coverage, but... It's worse because a lot fewer doctors take it. So 
the coverage numbers are about the same, but the acceptance of it is much lower, which which is very difficult to deal with. Before, on healthcare prior to 2013, if you had an individual plan, just about every doctor in the area took it. Now, you have to call around. You've got to go through the website. You, and a lot of times, the better doctors in the area won't take it. Only the doctors educated in foreign countries. I'm not even just saying foreign doctors. There's some people, there's Americans who go to foreign medical school because they can't get into American medical school. And that's, that's not a doctor I want to see. I, I want to see a doctor who's... Uh, was at the top of his class, not the bottom of his class. I want to see the doctor who the medical schools were begging to come there. Not the doctor who couldn't get into any and went to some foreign country that would pretty much accept anyone as long as they, they could pay the tuition. Just like anything, there's there's uh, excellent people in certain professions, there's people who are good, there's people who are okay, there's people who are terrible. There's some doctors that's even amazing to me that they they could uh, even have become licensed. They seem so clueless. So I can tell you from having an individual plan, from being part of Obamacare, that it's awful. Very poor selection of doctors. It's gotten really expensive. Several times what I used to pay for premiums. Everything's gotten worse. It costs a lot more and it's not as good as it was in 2012, 2013. We're not, we're not comparing it to like 1985. We're comparing it to 2012, 2013. So why have premiums gone up so much? Well, some of it was because now they had to take everybody who they would not insure before. Before, if you had a pre-existing condition, you would not get insured on an individual plan. Now they have to take everyone. Now, I'm not opposed to that. The insurance companies started to become overly cautious because they were so worried that people were trying to sign up for insurance only when they needed something major done that they were afraid to sign up anybody who was only signing up because they were ready to take advantage of massive benefits. And that's understandable. But the problem was this created paranoia on the part of the insurance companies who were looking for any reason not to accept you or to deny you care when something big would come up. So they keep taking your premiums, and then one day, oh, you get cancer. Oh, actually, we think that was a pre-existing condition. We don't want to pay it. And that, that was happening. So that, th- that whole thing needed reform. And that was a big problem. It never affected me, but it, it was a big problem. Actually, it did affect me once. I once got refused because of an erroneous cholesterol test. And it was very difficult for them to accept it was erroneous, even when I was willing to take another. And I won't go into the story. But there, there was a lot of reform that was needed. So I'm not even against the basic principle that there needs to be something done about getting insurance for those who either have pre-existing conditions or who can't afford it. I don't want to see people dying on the streets just because they're poor or because they didn't have health insurance because of a pre-existing condition. At the same time, 
you can't just watch the prices skyrocket for healthcare and do nothing about it except say, eh, we'll just make the rich pay more. Eh, it went up again, okay, rich pay even more. Eh, it went up again, okay, rich can pay even more. And just use the rich as a blank checkbook to pay for an out-of-control system. And one problem that can also occur from subsidies is that it creates a system where there's always guaranteed money. And when there's always guaranteed money, then all of a sudden the entities that are using that money want more of it. So if the government keeps subsidizing people's insurance at whatever price it is, they just keep raising the price, raising the price, raising the price, and uh, uh, even if the insurance companies are losing money on these plans, which sometimes they are, this also occurs at the doctor level, where with all these additional people with insurance, uh, they've, they've charged more and more. They charge the insurance more and more, which makes the insurance have to raise their premiums. It's a vicious cycle. So you can't just have the government write a blank check to insurance companies who then give much of that money back to medical providers for whatever they're told it costs. There has to be some cost control, and neither the Republicans nor the Democrats are attempting to control costs in any way. Look, look, look at the bills that the Republicans want. Look at what the Democrats are countering with what they'd like to see. A lot of them want to see a single-payer plan where the government pays for everything. No one is proposing anything that will significantly cut costs. No one is. We're hearing a few things like, oh, let's make, uh, let's make it so you can compete or, or insurers can compete uh, out of state. Right now you have, to, you have to buy insurance based upon what state you're in, and some states are much more competitive than others. How about opening up the market to where you can buy insurance from anyone in the U.S. in any state? State borders no longer matter for insurance health insurance. That's what Republicans want. Well, that's a good idea. I agree. But that's not going to fix the cost problem. That's going to that's fix a competitive problem, but that's, that's not the big issue. Then there's some suggestions. Well, pharmaceuticals are too expensive. Let's open it up to buying pharmaceuticals by mail from other first world countries like, like England or other ones that, uh, that we can trust. So this way it'll control prices through competition. Okay. I agree with that too. But again, that's not the main problem. That's a side problem. It solves the side problem. It doesn't solve the main problem. The main problem is that medical care is ridiculously expensive in this country for no good reason. And second, health care is one of the few things, and I'm not talking about premiums. I'm talking about when you actually go to the doctor. It's one of the few times that you don't know what you're buying, you don't know how much it's going to cost, and yet you're legally responsible for paying it. And that's insane. Imagine anything else in life like that. Uh, you go to a restaurant and they say to you, uh, we're going to choose the food to serve you. We're not going to tell you the prices. And whatever we serve you, whether you want it or not, uh, you owe us for. And they just keep dropping plates of food in front of them. Oh, this plate, you know, this dish here is $70. Oh, this right here, this is $50. Oh, and this side we just brought you, that's $22. So, okay, here's your bill now. You go, but I didn't want this food. I didn't order this food. I don't even like this food. I, I didn't need this food. I, we, we brought it to you. It was our choice. You owe us the money. You, you say they're crazy and walk out. But this is exactly how American healthcare works. You go to the doctor. 
with a problem. You have some kind of issue. The doctor examines you. Doctor may use some kind of equipment to examine you. I don't mean like x-rays or things that are clearly like uh, probably extra money, but I mean they'll, they'll take out a piece of equipment uh, to, to look at something, to listen to something. You don't know if this is included in it or not. If you ask, the, the doctor doesn't know. Um, the, the, maybe they will uh, run some kind of machine that's a test. You ask well, how much this is going to cost. We don't know. It depends on your insurance. After you're done, they you, you get this bill with, with 15 different items on it, most of which make no sense you don't understand. And that all adds up to describe your visit. Even if your visit was simply going to the doctor, being asked a few questions, you know, explain what the problem is, having them use a few pieces of equipment to, to examine you, and you leave. You'll get this bill with like 15 different items on it that don't make much sense or very generic with a bunch of separate charges that all add up. And then there will be the amount the insurance pays and the amount the insurance uh, has negotiated that they write off and the, the amount that's your responsibility. And the, you had no idea when you're over there. You, there's no way to find out how you're going to get billed, how much each thing's going to be. You can try to research it beforehand. You're going to run into brick walls. You're not going to find out. You don't know what services you're getting and you don't know how much it's going to cost. And once you do it, then, then you're responsible for it. You can't just say, well, I, I didn't know all this. I don't want to pay. Then, then you're, you're legally responsible. They can, they can go after your – they can uh, sue you. They can put it on your credit. They can send you to a collection agency. There are all kinds of things they can do. And this is a big problem. It, it's completely opaque. You have no idea – what everything costs, you have no idea what services they're providing, you have no idea what's, what's included in the office visit and what isn't, you have no idea what your insurance is going to cover in many cases, or how much they're going to cover of it. And furthermore, the, pl- the prices are often ridiculously inflated. Some things are reasonable and some things are crazy. So... First of all, you know, what's needed, and I've talked about this before, you need an, you should, there should be an estimate... Just like when you get your car repaired, you get an estimate before they do the work. There should be an estimate. This is what we're going to do. This is what you're giving us permission to do. This is how much it's going to cost after your insurance. Do you want to do this? Sign on the dotted line if yes. Otherwise, no. Tell us what you don't want us to do. There should be someone who goes over this with you. You sign to it, and this would cut that right there. That would cut off a lot of cost. But also, there needs to be a sane cost structure. And right now there isn't. Right now things are way too expensive, cost far more than the rest of the world, just because they can, just because that's what they want to charge. So the medical providers charge these inflated prices. The insurance pays, but the insurance has to get the money from somewhere, so they get it from the premiums, which keep going up, up, up. And then it's made even worse by the fact that a lot of these premiums are paid by the government, which then has to, pay, has to tax people to come up with the money to pay for it. And you see how this cycle continues and gets worse and worse and it's getting out of control. The Republican bill will not fix this. Any idea the Democrats have will not fix this. They they say, oh, let's go to single payer, have the government do the whole thing. I said, what will that fix? Well, because uh, this way everyone can can, can get care when they need it. Well, okay, but where's the money going to come from? Well, we'll have to raise taxes some, but the rich can pay their fair share. Okay, what about the costs? Our costs are still crazy. All you're doing is shifting the costs further to the rich. 
but there's still way too much, and there's going to be more utilization because it's free for everyone now. Well, you know, but they're going to save so much money on marketing and and and, and uh, processing expenses. They go, no, no, they're not. First of all, that's only a tiny percentage of healthcare expenditures is uh, marketing and, and and processing. But but the government they they won't have marketing, but they're going to have a lot of processing and bureaucracy expenses. Those don't go away. So all of these proposals by both parties are just a shell game as to who pays the inflated prices that, that uh, and, and this ridiculous system where the patient doesn't even know what services he's buying or how much it's going to cost. It's, it's just a matter of who pays right now. Republicans have one idea who should pay. Democrats have another idea who should pay. But as far as the costs themselves, no one is attacking the problem. What needs to be done is the costs have to be brought down to a reasonable and sensible level. People have to understand what they're buying, what their responsibility is. There should be some sort of disincentive to just keep using medical services because someone else is footing the bill, whether it's insurance, the government. There should never be that you feel you have a buffet of medical services. Or otherwise, people will start going to the doctor more and more for either unnecessary things or things that they could wait out a little bit and see if they improve. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've felt some kind of pain, some kind of problem, where I know if I were to go to the doctor and have an MRI done or a CAT scan done or even an X-ray or just an office, whatever it is, there's some kind of financial disincentive where I know if I go there right away when these things start to hurt me, that it's going to cost me an amount of money that I, I really wouldn't want to pay. Not that I couldn't pay, but I, I have the thought, okay, maybe I shouldn't go right now because this might get better. Maybe five days from now it'll be totally better on its own. So maybe I better wait a week or two weeks before, unless it's you know something I can't stand. But if it's just something that's mildly bothering me, something I wouldn't want to live with long term, but I can live with for two weeks, maybe I'll, I'll wait out the two weeks. And I do this all the time if there's a problem. My, my knee hurts, uh, uh, you know, one of many other problems. I've had many times where something feels weird, feels wrong, but it's something I feel doesn't need to be handled immediately because I know if I go there, there will be a cost. But if it was totally free, oh sure, let's have that MRI, let's let's have that CAT scan, let's have uh, let's have that X-ray. Just send the bill to Uncle Sam. Send the bill to my insurance who covers everything. It's not going to hurt me any. There also needs to be some sort of fair distribution of costs for those who use the services a lot more than others. If you do have a reason to use healthcare a lot and run up the run up the bill, that the insurance pays, just like when you get into accidents with your car and your insurance goes up, same should be with your body. Now, I know with your car you have control, you know, with an at-fault accident, that's your fault. And it makes sense they raise your rates. And with your body, if something goes wrong, sometimes it's not your fault, but sometimes it is. What, what, what if it's uh, because uh, you don't eat healthy, you don't exercise, you, you have a drinking problem, you have a drug problem, these things cause health problems? Well, okay. These are lifestyle choices. If you have health problems as a result of these, you shouldn't be left to die, but at the same time, 
uh, others shouldn't be forced to subsidize that. And some some people have health problems that have nothing to do with their lifestyle. Some people live as healthy as possible, and uh, they just got bad genetics. And sometimes, you know, you can't know. Sometimes uh, there's no way to tell. Your body doesn't tell you, I'm having this problem for this reason. You just have the problem. So I understand all that, but there's there also should be something that's that makes sense as far as if you can afford it to some extent and you're using a lot more care than the average person, then you should pay more. I can understand the argument that it, it shouldn't bankrupt someone, it shouldn't ruin their life, you know, the, the medical bills. But at the same time, you, you can't force the healthy people to pay all of your expenses uh, in, in the name of, quote, fairness. Because it's not fair. Uh, right now, if Bill Gates had an individual health plan, he would have an out-of-pocket maximum, typically, of you know, 6000 something dollars, whatever. And then beyond that, any procedure he got, anything that he got medically for that calendar year, he would get for free. The insurance would cover the rest. doesn't matter if he's a multi-multi-billionaire. He'd get it for free. So am I suggesting to raise the out-of-pocket maximum for rich people? Uh, not necessarily. I, I'm suggesting that there needs to be some sanity regarding if you're using a lot of services, that you pay for services at least up to a certain point. And there needs to be some cost control before the government just gives a blank check to cover everybody who can't pay for themselves. Because you see, it's, it's, the costs are going up, up, up every year at a crazy rate. And I hate to see where it's going to be five years from now, ten years from now, if it's not kept in check. And I can tell you where this is going to go. I don't like it, but I can tell you where it's going to go. If Republicans don't get their act in gear and really come up with something that's really going to solve the problem. Not a Band-Aid solution, not something which sounds good on the surface but doesn't really do anything. Uh, not something that makes uh, certain constituents happy because it's lowering taxes. They need to solve the problem. If Democrats aren't doing it, they need to solve the problem. Or otherwise, I'll tell you where it's going to go. It's going to go to socialized medicine. Eventually, everyone's going to throw up their hands and go, this is getting so expensive. This is so difficult. There's no solution in sight. Screw it. We support socialized medicine. Just let the government take care of it. The insurance model is just not working anymore. Everyone's going to throw up their hands and say, look, we got to try it. In fact, uh, Canada does it. The UK does it. Uh, it couldn't be that bad. Well, let me tell you, not only is the care worse in those countries for those who do not pay outside of the system for private uh, care or go to other countries for care, but the U.S. care will be much worse than you're seeing in Canada and the U.K. because they do not already have the existing crazy cost structure, which would stay in place. So what would happen if we went to a socialized system in the U.S. would be the cost would remain the same. It's just the government would be now covering 100% and people would use it far, far more. And the cost would go up, up, up and the taxes would go up, up, up and the waiting to see a doctor would go up, up, up. It would be a freaking fiasco. But that's where we're going. 
if Republicans do not find a way to put a stop to this, if they don't find a way to solve the problem, not just find a way to counter the Democrats, not just find a way to cut taxes, not just find a way to remove taxes the Democrats added, not just add some token forms of competition that weren't there before, but actually solve the cost problem and make it into a sensible and transparent system, if they don't do that, it's going to be a freaking disaster. And I I hate to see it. It's it's like a train wreck that I see is about to happen. Nothing's been hit yet. There hasn't been the explosion yet, but it's coming. Not to say the system isn't already having a lot of issues now, but it's nothing compared to what we're going to see down the line. And only, I think, when it becomes a complete and utter disaster are they going to go, oh, you know what? We should, have, we should have gotten cost control a long time ago. That's been our problem the whole way. Yeah, if we, you know what? If we got these costs down to something that's, that's reasonable, if, if the system was transparent instead of opaque, yeah, you know what? The costs for everybody would have gone down. Then we, it would be much cheaper to pay for the whole thing. The premiums wouldn't go up so much. We could find ways to, to insure the uninsured. Yeah, that was the solution the whole way. But no one's approaching it that way. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say, okay, cut costs. Well, how? It, it would be a massive undertaking to redo the entire medical billing system and changing the, basically the standard of how much people pay for health care. It would be a massive undertaking, but one that's necessary. But you know what? When I see the Republicans trying to cut that tax, I say, fine, do it. Why? Because if you don't, then it's just going to be continuing on the system as usual. So something needs to be done to to start uh, to break the system so people understand it's not sustainable. But what the Republicans are, are trying to put forth is not sustainable either. But we, we can't just keep raising taxes to pay for these skyrocketing healthcare costs and not try to put control on the costs. It makes no sense. Okay, finally, I'm going to talk about the Dodgers. So if you think the politics is boring, wait till you get this segment. If you don't like baseball, if you don't follow baseball, if you don't want to hear about baseball, turn off the show because there's really, unless I get some kind of surprise phone call, this is it. This is going to be the show. And you're not going to be missing anything. I held it to the end, so this way you are not tortured with baseball talk if you do not like baseball. It's simple. I have been a lifelong Los Angeles Dodgers fan. I, I wasn't born in California. Some of you know this. Some of you don't, but I wasn't born in California, but I grew up in California. I came to California at age one, so obviously I don't remember coming to California, but I was just there. But my dad took me to a Dodger game at a young age. It's funny. I think it was when I was four. I seem to remember in 1976, I saw a Dodgers Expos game at Dodger Stadium, and the Dodgers lost. But my parents deny this. They said they didn't take me till I was six. I don't know. I seem to also recall going in 77, the year they made the World Series. I didn't go to the World Series, but I seem to recall that year. But who knows? Uh, 
I, I can't remember those years of my life that well. I can remember them, but I, there's a lot, a lot of fuzziness for those years, four, five, six. Some things I remember better than others, but I don't have like super clear memories of those years. But my parents don't either, <laughs> even though they were obviously adults then. So it doesn't matter. I've, I've been a Dodgers fan for a very long time. Last time they were even in a World Series was in 1988, when they came in as the underdogs in the playoffs, in the first round against the Mets, who had beaten them 10 out of 11 times in the regular season, and and honestly were a better team. Dodgers, thanks mainly to Oral Hershiser, managed to squeak by and win the series 4-3. to Then they went up against the A's, who were very much favored in the World Series, and just shut them down pitching-wise. Kirk Gibson hit that miracle home run when he couldn't walk, and uh, that was pretty much it for the A's. The Dodgers won the series 4-1. to one. It was never even that close. So the Dodgers were the champions. Next year they finished under five hundred, and they've never been to the World Series since. Now, they struggled for some years in the regular season, failing to win the division. But uh, in 95... They won the division. I believe in 96 they were the wild card. Then for some more years they they didn't make the playoffs. Then in 2003 they, uh, I I think they, look this up, I'm forgetting. I actually, I'll tell you something. There was a a period in my life that I actually kind of tuned out of baseball because the steroid thing was frustrating me so much. It was so clear that so many were on steroids that, it started to be frustrating to watch because I felt like I was watching the steroids instead of the baseball games. When they started to get that more under control, it's not completely gone, but it's it's gone enough now to where for a while I felt like I wanted to get back into being a fan of baseball again. So I, yeah, it was actually 2004 when they uh, they won the division again. They, they only made the wild card twice in 96 and 2006. But since the wild card was introduced, they and also since you know the eighty eight when they last won the World Series, they they won the division in ninety five, oh four, oh eight, oh nine, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. So since two thousand eight, they've they've definitely been the best regular season team in the National League West. They've won six of the nine years, and yeah, they had some. Difficulty between 88 and 08, that 20-year period. I guess it would be a uh, 19-year period from 89 through uh, 07. They only won two divisions and two wild cards, which wasn't that good. But they had a lot of teams that seemed competitive, that came fairly close. Obviously, in the playoffs, winning the you know, division, they were, they were still not never getting to the World Series. They got to the National League championship series a number of times in recent years. In, in 08, they got there. In 09, they got there. In uh, They got there uh, last year. They got there in, uh, in 2013, I believe. Yeah. Anyway. Didn't win any of them. Lost them all. The bottom line is it's been 29 years since the Dodgers were last in the World Series. 
And they've only won the World Series twice in my lifetime, in 81 and 88. They've won the World Series only six times in the franchise history. 55, 59, 63, 65, 81, 88. But the frustrating thing is they've had a lot of good teams in that time. They just they just haven't quite gotten there. So this year is the I feel is the best Dodgers team I've seen in a very very long time. Definitely since they last won in '88, this is a better team. This is a better team than the '88 team was. So this team will also I, I think they're gonna win more than a hundred games. Don't know for sure, but I, I think they're gonna win more than a hundred games, which uh I think they only did in, in like seventy four and I'm not sure when else, but they 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 haven't done that very often. It does help that the Dodgers are in a league, the National League, where there's a lot of bad teams at the moment. So they could really beat up on teams that are not very good. And that makes it easier to win a whole lot of games. They actually have some strong competition in their division this year. Despite their excellent record, they uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are right on their tail, and uh, the Rockies were on their tail until they just swept the Rockies in a recent series. But uh, I think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to outlast the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. They did just lose two or three to the Angels at home, which is pretty obnoxious. <laughs> but was that at home? I mean, no, I was on this one was on the road. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Dodgers are 52 and 28 right now. They have the second best record in baseball behind the Houston Astros, who are 53 and 26, which is only a game and a half ahead. And they don't need to finish ahead of them. Actually, I think maybe this year they do. I think they they did away with the All Star game, deciding who the home field advantage for the World Series is, which was so stupid. So maybe it is about best record this year. I I think it might be. But this team is the best I've seen since the Dodgers won the World Series last. Now, that doesn't mean much. There's some great teams that just don't win the playoffs, and the playoffs, it's, it's kind of like at the end of a poker tournament. Uh, the best doesn't always win. Just whoever gets hot at the right time. So, the there are some opponents the Dodgers may have a problem with. The Washington Nationals have some excellent pitching that the Dodgers may have trouble handling in a playoff series. The Houston Astros have a really, really good team here. And I'm not sure if the Dodgers could beat them, especially if Houston gets the home field advantage. That is provided Houston makes it to the World Series. And then there's even the Yankees. I, I think the Dodgers could handle, but they've been surprisingly good this year. Though... Not as good in recent times. In fact, the Red Sox have caught them. 
But I still think that there's something about this team. It's just a lot better. They have a really, really strong offense this year. They have Cody Bellinger, who's the, the rookie, who's just clubbing home, one home run after another, setting all kinds of records. They have so many players who can hit it out. There's even some players who haven't even reached the potential they could this season. The main concern I have is the starting pitching. You have Clayton Kershaw, but then beyond that, there's no clear number two starter. You have Alex Wood, who's been excellent. I've seen him at Dodger Stadium. I actually went to two games that Alex Wood pitched with Benjamin, and Dodgers won both very easily, and Wood did a great job. But still, Wood was no good until this year. He was always seen as a guy with potential, but he wasn't reaching that potential. So he's had a great first half, an excellent first half, but... How long is that going to last? Is it going to fall apart at some point? He's, he's a guy, you can't just say you can count on him to have a great season. He may, he may not. He had a great first half, but will he have a great second half? He may not. He also has some lingering injury problems that crop up. Brandon McCarthy is another one seen as a high potential guy, but hadn't put it together. This year was looking good, but he's had a few rough outings recently. Rich Hill's been having blister problems. He hasn't been good the whole year. So basically, they better help Alex Wood can be a, a strong number two starter. Otherwise, they're going to have problems in the playoffs. And they've got to find a way to beat Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and whoever else the Nationals throw at them. And have to find a way to beat teams like the Houston Astros in the American League if they want to win a World Series. Now, they may acquire a top-tier starting pitcher before the trade deadline, but they may not. This this current organization, this current regime of, of general managers, they, they don't like trading prospects. They've resisted it. In previous years, they could have gotten some key players that may have helped them in the playoffs, but they would have had to give up... Uh, Top prospects, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Julio Urias, who, by the way, is not going to pitch again this year. He's out for the season, so that's kind of a blow. They thought maybe he could contribute this year. So they they have held firm that these guys are the team's future and that they're not going to give them up. And you, know, you see guys like Cody Bellinger, the way they're hitting, Corey Seager, you go, great, I'm so glad we didn't give them up. But... You can't just get this for nothing. You you can't get excellent starting pitching for nothing. And are the Dodgers willing to give up prospects, or are they going to just stick with what they have and try to win this year with that? So that, that's my one concern. Offense-wise, no concern. I think they have a great offense. They could put runs on the board very quickly. Even against Houston, which they have a an even better offense, it looks like. But the, I, I could even see the Dodgers stacking up with them or the Yankees, you know, the two teams that are really crushing it offensively. The Dodgers have been so good offensively that they've actually scored more runs this year than the Rockies, which is crazy. The Rockies spend half their games at Coors Field where it's so easy to score runs. Rockies have lost eight in a row, by the way. But 
the Dodgers have scored two more runs than the Rockies have, which is crazy. So I, I really like the Dodgers' offense, especially recently, and and the uh, their bullpen has been very good. In fact, it's the best in the National League. They have Kenley Johnson, who's just uh, so good. He he went fifty strikeouts and didn't allow any walks. Finally, he allowed a walk the other day. But he he started out the first half of the year fifty strikeouts, zero walks. Can you imagine that? So he, he's the best closer in baseball. Clayton Kershaw is the best starter in baseball. So they have that. They have a pretty good middle relief. But some of those starters, I don't know who's going to be the number two, number three starters. It's it's uh, it's concerning. Facing teams like the Nationals that can both hit and have strong starting pitching beyond just one pitcher? It's a little bit scary. Now, at the moment, the Dodgers are four games ahead of the Nationals for best record in the National League. So, they'll probably have home field advantage against the entire National League, but that could change, too. So, I'm optimistic, but cautiously optimistic. What's also a little bit scary about the Astros? They're, they're twenty nine and nine on the road. Can you believe that? Twenty nine and nine on the road. That's insane. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. The Dodgers do all their good work at home. They're thirty three and eleven at home. They've won three quarters of their games at home, which is nice in a way because I got I go to games and I can kind of just count on the fact that they're going to win. Especially if there's a good pitcher going. I just kind of avoid the fail pitchers like Ryu. Go when a pitcher like Alex Wood is there and uh, and pretty much go to the bank, it's going to win. 33-11 at home, the Dodgers have been. Two of those I was there for with Benjamin, who's becoming a bigger and bigger Dodger fan and is excited about them being in the World Series this year. But what he's not going to be very happy about is that despite my statement a number of times that I will go to the first World Series game, or I go to a World Series game if the, once the Dodgers make it there during my adult years. I've never been to a World Series game as a 16-year-old in, 2000, or in, in, 80, in 1988. I couldn't afford to do that. But I was saying when the Dodgers make the World Series again... I will go. So now that you know it's it's believable it could happen. It's by no means a lock or even a favorite to happen, but it's very believable that it could. Will I do it? Well, I'm afraid the answer might be no. The problem is it might be too expensive. And what scares me are the Chicago Cubs of 2016. To see the Cubs at the World Series, it was like $1,500 for the worst seats in the park. 
I'm not paying anything like that. I might pay a lot of money to sit in good seats, but if the worst seats are going for insane money, you can imagine what the best seats would go for. Forget the best seats, even good seats. I usually have pretty high standards for where I sit at baseball games. If you you saw the seats that I sat in at the last game I went to last week, you'd probably be jealous. Like, this, there's like front row of the field section, and so the only thing in front of us were four rows of the dugout section, which are low enough to where nobody's heads are in the way. And so we were right behind the Dodger dugout on the field level with only four rows ahead of us in a little different section of its own that doesn't block us at all. Not blocked at all by the foul screen because that was to the, to the you know closer to the home plate. Right behind the Dodger dugout between home and third. Front row of the field section. So how much would a ticket like that cost on a Friday night at Dodger Stadium? Doesn't that sound expensive? Doesn't that sound like something that would be like for super rich people? No, I got it for $142 each. Which, you know, it's, it's a lot of money to attend a baseball game, but I still spent less than $300 for the two tickets to sit in real premium seats of the park. Now, I don't need seats like that to see the World Series, but but I'm not going to sit in nosebleed crappy seats. I'd rather watch it on TV. So I've either got to have a, a decent seat or I don't want to go. I'd rather just watch on TV. So I'm afraid because it's been so long and because there's so much money in L.A. and such a large population from which they just need to have 55,000 people come, many of whom may not even be big baseball fans but just want to be there for the first World Series in 29 years. I'm afraid it's going to be like the Cubs where they hadn't made the World Series in so long that people paid insane money to just be at one of these games. So the funny thing is when they finally make it, I I may not even go. I'll probably go to the first two rounds of the playoffs. I, I can always get playoffs for playoff seats for great prices too. I've been to the playoffs every single year they've made it since 08 in every single round. If they made it to two rounds, I went to both rounds. If they made it to one round before being out, I was in one round. But I saw one game in each round of the playoffs every year since 08. 08, 09, 13, 14, 15, 16. And every time I got a great deal. And sat in very good seats, even in the second round. But the World Series will be a different story. So. And, you know, if the Dodgers end up facing the Yankees in the World Series, oh my God, that's get, the money for that is going to be insane. You have it when the Yankees play the Dodgers in interleague games in the regular season. It's just prices are through the roof. Way more than the playoffs. So can you imagine a Dodgers-Yankees World Series, how much that's going to cost to attend? I'm, I'm pretty sure I would not go to that one. Okay. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. The guy on the Greyhound bus, I'm sure, is very, very disappointed we're ending here. 
he probably was really hoping I would continue for another 45 hours. But I'm not. I have two more World Series events prior to the main event. Hopefully I can do something in one of these two. 1500 No Limit Hold'em on Friday the 30th. And $888 No Limit Hold'em, the Crazy Eights event over the weekend. I will fire two bullets in the Crazy Eight that has unlimited rebuys, but I'm not going to be like Negranu in 2007 who bought 48 times into an event and didn't cash. He really did that. He bought 48 times into a rebuy event and didn't cash. That that wasn't one of Negranu's brighter moments. But I will buy in twice if necessary. If not necessary, then whoever bought a piece of me and that will get a refund for the second bullet. But that's the most I'm buying in is twice. I don't care how good the event is. I don't care how tilted I am. I don't care how much I want to continue playing. After two bullets, I quit. The bullets may or may not be on the same day. There's multiple starting days. I'll see how I feel. If I sit down and go out in the first level, I'll probably do it the same day. If I last a while, I'll probably do it the next day. So two bullets potentially in the 888 event. A regular $1,500 no limit on Friday. And that's it till the main. Disappointing series so far. Got a few more shots to get something done. And maybe the magic will happen. We will have a show next week. The show will be... Will it be on Wednesday? Hang on, I'm stopping. I'm stopping the music. Stop, 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 stop. Gotta look at the damn calendar. Yeah, okay, Wednesday is the 5th. Yeah, I can, I can do it the 5th. I, I was wondering if it's going to interfere with the 4th of July, but it won't. I, I I always go to fireworks on the 4th of July. So I was not going to have that interfere. However, the 5th of July the, of Wednesday, it, yeah, that's fine. We'll do 5th of July. 5th of July is the next show. And what about after that? Now, the main event is be, will be taking place... So we'll have to play that one by ear. Depends on how far I make it in the main, whether there will be a show that week on Wednesday or when it is. But for sure, next show, July 5th. Good night, everybody. Shalom.